Well, greetings, all you commanders, eagles, and angels. This is Rainbird, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Tara and Rama's a True History and History of the Sarah and our Galactic Origins, as we are a little late today. Thank you for your patience, and uh, <laughs> everybody's okay, so we were worried, and uh, we're online now, so... Let's take a few moments to go into our heart space. First, I would like to say a few things about uh, inviting in that energy for the circle of support. We put everyone in there who's already in there and um, put Cheryl in there for a voice. And also um, one of our long-time family members for 30 years. Can you? Well, I forgot it last time. More. <laughs> Denise Moore has gone over the rainbow about 10 days ago, Wednesday of a week ago. And, uh, yes, yeah, she's been with us for a long time. Now she's on the other side. So she's in the circle of support, and she gets <laughs> on with her new life. And, uh, yeah, so let's just take a few gentle breaths now and go into the heart space. So breathe in through your nose and out your mouth gently and slowly. As as I do that calling drumbeat, call us all together. For all those who gave up on us, hear this drumbeat. Know that it's time to check back in with CBS Radio and see if you are finally on. So here we are in our heart space, and we gather our guides and guardians, our spirit teams, our healing teams, our ancestors, any of those we like to work with on journeying with the drum. And there's a council fire. It's in the center. So come in close as we gather here. Gather around this council fire. The virtual council fire, just like we all are virtual now, as we gather around it, and we know how to do that in a good way. And let's call in the uh, seven sacred directions in the Cherokee way. Get a lot of that drum beat into our system. All you spirit takers of the East, come, look this way. We give gratitude for this new beginning, for the clarity of mind, and the openness of heart to learn and to grow. And we welcome you, eagle and condor, and hawk, you high-flying ones, for your gifts of insight and that ability to look at our lives with a benevolent eye. Thank you for this new day, this rising sun, this opportunity for beginner's mind to truly experience the joy and the humbleness of starting anew. And we invite divine masculine, that solar energy and power of protection, be with us as we begin this journey. Hello. 
all you spirit keepers of the north, come join us as we gather. We give gratitude for all the ceremonies and the teachings that sustain us. For all you white-haired ones. Thank you, white bird ones, the snowy owl, the hare, the polar bear. Who live in that place of the cold, hard truth. Teaching us to embrace and be grateful for the truth. Thank you, Buffalo people, for your medicine of abundance and gratitude. We're grateful to this tall, standing nation for your teachings of longevity, endurance, and how to stand in our power without breaking. We're grateful for you, the winds of change, for empowering us to resist complacency. We welcome all you spirit keepers of the West. Come, look this way. Thank you, Bear, for that medicine of going within, for healing and discernment. And thank you, Big Cat, Jaguar, Panther, Cougar, and Shop. For showing us how to live in two worlds, the tangible world and the, and the visible world, the physical world, those two worlds. So thank you, divine feminine lunar energy, for your gifts of life and death and rebirth. We give thanks to twilight for that sacred time and place in between the worlds. Be with us on our journey. Give us the strength to look deeply within our hearts. Welcoming our hurts and fears to come sit with us in order to be transformed. Thank you, Otter, for your playfulness and women's medicine. Wado. All you spirit keepers of the South, come this way. We give gratitude for the medicine plant. We keep it strong in body and mind. And thank you, coyote and rabbit, you tricksters. You remind us to laugh at ourselves, to not take our egos so seriously. And for the balance of the irreverence with the sacredness. Thank you, Porcupine, for your gifts of innocence, trust, and faith in ourselves, in and in every being of the planetary family. I'm so grateful for you, Stone People, who carry the library of creation, and Gem People, Stone People, who are those healing ones. Thank you for our physical fitness and each body's expression of the divine. Wado. And as we look up to the sky, we welcome the spirit keepers of the Sky Nation. Come, look this way. Give gratitude to you, Story Medicine Bowl, for the campfires of our ancestors, finding the dark sky. Thank you, Sister Sun and Brother Moon, and you clouds and rain beings for our lives, 
keeping us company on our earth walk. And thank you, Dream Time, for that ability to travel on our spirit body to experience our true nature so we don't forget who we are. And many gratitude to swans, dolphins, lizards, and dragonflies. Your beautiful guardians of, and messengers of the dream time. Come join us here today. You sound touch the earth as we call in you spirit kickers of the love of the earth. Come look this way. Watch your mama. Daya. Mother Earth. Thank you for our lives. Thank you for your all you children of the earth blanket. You keep the creepy crawlers and the wicked ones and the thin ones, the four-legged ones, and all you pollinators and regenerators who keep us alive. Many gratitude for the diversity of life, of the interconnectedness of life, and web of life, and to the equality of each member of the planetary family. So thank you, Mother Earth, for teaching us how to take care of you to honor all life forms and to walk gently upon you with love and respect. Why no? Now let's just put your hand over your heart as you sleep and write those within the direction that inner sacred space to all you spirit keepers of within Come, look this way. You medicine ancestors, personal ancestors. Thank you for the wise choices you made in your lifetime. You sustain and nurture us. You pass down the wisdom and the knowledge so we can better live our lives as sacred human beings. And thank you to the next generation for reminding us to make wise choices with intention and respect. To pass down the wisdom learned so that you might live your path at this way. Well, no. All the property In Lakesh, our tent, I end another year. Stay wherever that drumbeat took you as I spend a few minutes to bring you the housekeeping news of the day. <laughs> so we are um, grateful that we have the rent paid and as it's due and lots of bills are paid. And uh, we're grateful for BBS Radio for all that they do. And each week we need $300 for our fees with BBS Radio. This week we need three hundred dollars, maybe a little less. <laughs> and <clears throat> so, well, we need to get it done. So here's how we do: it. we go into our heart space and see what is ours to give, and then go to bbsradio.com and, and click on Radio Station Two. You're looking for the menu for Radio Station Two, 
And on the menu, you're looking for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday for our shows on those days. Thursday at the 6 o'clock hour and Friday at the 6 o'clock hour and Saturday at the 1.30 hour. These are all Pacific time. You will find on Thursday a night at the round table with the panel. You can click on that icon that's there. takes you directly to our account. And the same is true for the Friday show, the hard news on Friday nights with Tara and Lala. Click on that icon. That will take you to our account. And for this show as well, the true history, history, and the Sarah in our galactic origins with Tara and Lala. At the 1.30 hour, which is really the 3.30 hour, so <laughs> we're glad that you're here and finding us. And that's how you make a donation to our account at DBS is as you click on that, those icons that takes you directly to our account. You can use your bank card to make a donation any amount. Thank you for taking the action and attending to that detail. Lots of gratitude. So we're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs. And this week, um, as I said at the beginning, they got their rent and they got a couple bills. They just have a couple more and they need living expenses. So that $250 will cover those outstanding bills. There's two of them. And um, $300 will cover their living expenses. So lots of gratitude for that to show up in a good way and so that they can have a good week. It's birthday week for Tara. Her birthday is Friday. And so it'll be here soon. So let's let's think about what we can do for Tara for her birthday. Anyway, um, yeah, here's how we make a donation to Tara and Rama. You want to access Rama's PayPal account? You do that by going to RainbowRoundtable.net. Click on the menu grid that's on the top left or right, depending on if you're on a computer or an Android, <laughs> and you'll see a menu items drop down on that list is near the bottom the donate button is what you're looking for click on that that links you to Rama's PayPal account and where you can make a donation in any amount so that's how you do that if you have your own PayPal account you don't want to take that link you want to go directly to your PayPal account if, to uh, access the friends and family option and once you're there, you put in Mama's email at PayPal, and it is as follows. Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at hotmail.com. And that's how you access that um, friends option with PayPal, so you don't pay the extra commercial charges. Either way, it's perfect. We are so grateful for your gifts and grateful for your lives and for all the ways that you show up in your lives. So if you're sending something, you want to let Rama know what you sent, and that email to contact Rama for a personal message like that is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999, at Comcast.net. And then as you need it, the physical address for Tara and Rama is Ram D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z. Post Office Box 280-280, and that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, where the zip code is 87567. So there you have it, all the information, and I want to give you two web addresses that you can use for joining these organizations if you want to support in that way, the Rainbow Roundtable. 
And so here it is. Shop Kmart um, address is https colon forward slash forward slash www.shopfreemart.com forward slash T-A-R-R-A-M. That's where you go to look around, see if you want to join. If you want to join and buy something, you set up your own account and do that. And that's how that works. So, and also we have the new gen coin, which is <clears throat> the free market has been involved in, in terms of populating the new gen coin. So here it is, HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash www.newgencoin.com. Dot com. Oh, I mean, it's coin. N U G E N T O I N dot com. And then forward slash, you can use N A R N O R for Marshall Norris for that. Support him for his work that he does. And, or you could put forward slash T A R R A M and go in there. Either way is perfect. We're grateful for uh, your participation in your abundance that way. So much gratitude. So 13 cases, honey in the heart, and I'm passing this talking stick, and it's, it's, <laughs> everybody's got loads of bread. They really are ready to celebrate. Lamont is tomorrow when it starts at midnight, um, and it is that high holy holiday, the be end of summer. Say goodbye to summer in your ceremony and greet the fall, the autumn, the autumn season, as we go to August the first on Monday. And so that's Lamas or Lugnachas, which I don't know the Scottish way of pronouncing it yet. I will learn it <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so this talking stick is full of these elementals, ready to celebrate the, the uh, end of summer, beginning of fall, and that cooler weather. And uh, that harvest, and the first harvest is wheat, so everybody's got bread. <laughs> so greetings, Tara and Rama. Here comes the talking stick full of all the all of the rays and and, and of the universes and all the colors and all kinds of fairies and feathers and lots of little people with dragons and unicorns. So, <laughs> An Excalibur sort of truth is still there. It will not go away. Greetings, Tara and Rama. Here comes the talking stick. <laughs> Greetings. Greetings, everybody. Happy Lamas. The first harvest. Is it today or tomorrow? It's coming up August 1st. Monday. Okay. Yes. Tell everybody what that is. That's the first harvest. In the northern hemisphere, an imbolac is the one. In the southern hemisphere, it's starting to become spring again. Well, it's the halfway point between yeah. uh, the beginning of the summer and going into the fall. Yeah. I think Bridget's involved with this, isn't she? Um, I forget who imbolac. Yeah. It's uh, a place knows a lot about that, I think. Yet, um, we're here. <laughs> it's a little late, but the, every moment is now. So I could yeah, just... Yes, there's no such thing as late. There was just a, a shift in the energies, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll just say...
say that time is changing in terms of our perspective in life. It is. And uh, and at the same time, time's of the essence. And I'll just say that as time <laughs> continues to move faster and the energies go higher, uh, it's again 2,000 years of applying details. And your mind can be tricks on you for sure. And, um, yeah, and, uh, clearing up our attitudes too. And I'm going to say that because, you know, the thing of this dirty birds that have been playing, uh, like they're good guys and all they're interested is and all their only their profit and nobody else matters no matter what it costs and that's exactly what empire has been doing and pretending that they're not i mean they're, they're kind of uh if you can look at it in a comical view the ferengi are sort of like the republicans and the Ferengi are a little kind of uh, more, let's say, as we meet galactic beings out there, uh, the ones right here that are the descendants of the original watchers, I might call them, or those fallen angels, the Nephilim, what I'm saying is not all the folks out there are as mm, self-centered as the folks we're looking at right now on the small screen. Okay, thank you. We're going to read... Um we're going to plague uh, Stephen Greer, and I'm th- sure he's got an update and a half. Yeah, let's play. Let's read Aurora Ray because she's a good lead, and she's an ambassador of the Galactic Confederation. So she says, uh, "Dear beloved family of light, the Galactic Federation is an association of multiple civilizations comprised of galactic races that are also living in this Earth." With, human- with humanity, be on the ground and in the clouds. The reason behind our existence is to elevate planetary consciousness, not just for Earth's inhabitants, rather also for all inhabitants of the universe. To achieve this, we had to use different tools. The first thing that humanity has to realize is that there is no time like the present. Some <laughs> <laughs> Present time, hello. Some people think that change is impossible. And the longer they wait, the longer they will take to become aware of their own power. That's a very powerful statement. Mm-hmm. Reaching a level of consciousness where you're where you realize you have control over your fam your reality is your natural state. That's a big line too. Everything is under your control in this state. It means you are consciously choosing to become aware of everything. You are becoming a conscious creator. 
co-creator too. This is not magic in the sense of pulling rabbits out of hats or making money appear out of thin air. Although I've had direct experiences of watching people do that. I saw Swami move to Nanda do it live and in living color in Topanga Canyon. That's right. And uh, what's his name from southern India does it too? Sai Baba. Sai Baba. Yeah. He manifests anything from money to gold diamonds coins. to gold coins to crystals, everything. This is magic. You know, you open your hand and there it is. <laughs> this is magic in the sense that you are purposefully shifting your frequency to create what you want. You have been operating from one and the same frequency for a very long time. It is time to switch the dial and tune in to a new frequency, one in which all things are possible. When you become conscious creators, you begin to perceive the interconnectedness of all things. You see how everything is actively a part of your, a part of your consciousness and that you can manifest it into different forms by thinking about it in a different way. When you shift your consciousness from being uncreative to creative, it has a domino effect. Then you will become aware of the potential that exists inside you, just waiting to be brought into your awareness. Raising your consciousness means being able to consciously work with the forces of creation, rather than being victims of circumstance. You will be overjoyed as you receive something you have wished for or when you receive a piece of good news. It is a normal part of your lives, even if the good news you receive is false. You will be happier because you believe it to be true until you learn the truth. As a result, Happiness does not come from things or circumstances outside of one's control. It comes from within you, from your consciousness, as you've shifted your consciousness to that specific frequency. The eternal circumstance is merely a tool that assists you in tuning in to that frequency. It is merely a pretext for you to enter that happy state of mind. Success and happiness have nothing to do with each other. Happiness has nothing to do with ambition, nor does it have anything to do with wealth, power, or status. It's a completely different world. Happiness is something related to your level of consciousness. It is related to letting go and relaxing. Searching for happiness is an exercise of utility. As long as you are trying to find what will make you happy, it means you are missing it. Happiness comes not by finding what will make you happy, rather by finding happiness within yourself. The majority of people continue to seek happiness through external means. They stop chasing after they stop chasing after 
there's a word missing there. They get that thing. Oh, they stop chasing after what they get in terms of that thing. They are relaxed. They have calm. They are happy. However, it is only a matter of time. They'll start chasing something else once more. They become tense once more. Again, they become relaxed and happy for a short period of time. After receiving that thing, it is a continuing process. It is completely absurd because they created the tension by chasing something in the first place. They are the source of it all, and they look for ways to relieve tension so that they can relax and be happy. Again, there's only one of us here, everybody, and we are going to contemplate that thing until we get it. And then we're going to keep contemplating and remembering it. Happiness, on the other hand, is here now and requires no conditions. Happiness is a natural emotion. There are no rules and regulations for your happiness. Maintain your happiness for no apparent reason. There's no need to look for a reason to be happy. Simply be happy. Just now, that this, just know that this is how to play with, with your consciousness. Turning water into wine isn't necessary. As you drink water joyfully while maintaining your pure consciousness, the water will transform into wine. You will be able to enjoy the joy of wine by simply drinking water. It is just a mental state. Raise your consciousness. Life is happening right now. It is to be lived. Live it wholeheartedly, consciously, and joyfully. When mass consciousness rises, the earth has the potential to transform into a world of peace, harmony, and unity. We are ready to provide you the tools you need to awaken from the deepest levels of yourself, from joy to embodied love, from knowing your authentic self to goodness and service. As you do this, you contribute to raising consciousness and creating a better planet. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family here. A family of light. Aho, Aurora Ray, Ambassador of the Galactic Federation of Light. And in terms of the news, Rama, it's time to start that. Uh, I'll just say this real quick. Inflation, Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. This first point of three is the biggest one. Produces carbon emissions. Excuse me. Reduces carbon emissions by roughly 40% by 2013. That is a knockout. Allows Medicare to negotiate drug prices and caps out of pocket costs. And as I understand that, what that means is that uh, Tom Harvin gave him uh, an example that uh, for people that there's like 45% of the population of the United States have diabetes. Outrageous. Monk fruit. Pass the word. Monk fruit and stevia. Those are, those combinations are one or the other. You don't miss 
sugar. No. At all. Uh, so I'm going to say, and, and then, um, please, as you're going to drink coffee, make sure it is 100% organic because they use byproducts of napalm on the fields of coffee that's not organic. And that's going in your body, and we don't want to know any more about that. I just want that. I mean, so many people drink coffee. Most of the people on the planet, planet do in one form or another. So it, it, it's really important that one step, make sure it's organic. I mean, you know, you know anything for shortcuts and profits uh, is the only name of the old program. So, okay. So now we're going to play... Oh, the, the, yeah, the third part of this. See, 15% corporate minimum tax for billion-dollar companies. That is amazing. I don't think it all the way passed, but it passed in the House. And they're on the Internet. They're, I mean, on the TV and everything, and on the Internet. They are going after mansion and cinema. And I'm going to take a bite out of them if they don't cooperate, but... It's the Republicans, everybody. It's the Republicans. And all I can say is let's give peace a chance. Manchin and Schumer did their job by putting this together and agreeing to it. And, of course, Mr. McTurtle is furious. But we'll send him more up. <laughs> all right, let's just do this. This is uh, 56 minutes, everybody. Dr. Greer is going to give us something to think about. It's coming. Good afternoon, Dr. Greer. Hey, Pat. How are you? Good, good. Glad to see you. Good to see you guys. I know you wanted to, uh, we wanted to kind of get together and talk about some of the upcoming events that you have going on. Um, interesting things. So would you like to tell us a little bit about that? Yes, it's really exciting. We're going to be out at uh, doing CE5 contact in the desert of Arizona in uh, September. Uh, the 16th, 17th, 18th, that uh, weekend. And uh, on that Sunday night, the 18th, we're going to be out in the desert on Native American sacred land uh, under the stars. And so people can join us in person or by webinar. And we want to do a mass CE5 uh, contact meditation uh, each night. Uh, the first two nights, Friday and Saturday, will be inside uh, but we have the use of the native lands on that Sunday night. And the reason we want to do that is because it creates uh, this huge shift in consciousness when you have thousands of people online and in person doing this meditation. You know, we did that last April. We had uh, craft that came over. We had uh, objects that came in the field. Many, it was mass witness events. And so it's very exciting, and I'm hoping that, you know, we'll, we'll uh, do this on a regular basis, you know, two or three times a year uh, in, in person, but also by uh, live webinar. So uh, this, this is the sort of experience that people have when, you know, you look at the, the studies in consciousness where 1% of a population begins to do something in consciousness and meditation, it shifts the other 99% a very positive way. So our goal globally would be to have 75 million people at some point 
but this is how it starts. And so we're hoping that we'll be able to pull in uh, a lot of people online and in person. Um, you know, the site only holds a few hundred people, but online we can have an infinite number of people technically. So that's what we're going to, going to be doing. And during the day when we're not doing this at night, I'm going to do more uh, uh, in-depth than last time on techniques for remote viewing, where I will be teaching meditation techniques, <clears throat> one that's more Vedic, Sanskrit mantra, and the others that are breathing techniques for being in a higher state of consciousness, and then the techniques from there, how you begin to be able to see remote places and do the CE5 contact protocols. So that's going to be a, a big part of the project uh, during the afternoons. And I'm also going to do a big update on official U.S. government disclosure and, and what's happening in Washington that uh, you will not hear in the news or see on the Internet. Um, and I think it's very important because, as I've mentioned, the biggest events um, and progress that I've seen in 32 years are currently happening. And so it's a very big uh, uh, movement forward. That's why I put on my 2001 disclosure project. It's a rag virtually, mm-hmm. uh, polo shirt from the original disclosure project. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's, <laughs> you might want to get some more of those made. I know I dredged it up and it's, uh, it's, it's, it was, it was only one that was made for me uh-huh. and <laughs> it's got a few holes in it, <laughs> but anyone who, who knows me knows I. Honestly, don't care about clothing, but uh, the interesting or anything else for that matter in the material world. But I think that this uh, experience out in Arizona. Something going on there. Yeah, it's a commercial. We're going to be way east of uh, Phoenix, east of Scottsdale, um, at a Native American uh, hotel and during the day. But then this night event is, is in this beautiful setting. It's just a stunning setting way out dark, out on the edge of, of the city, um, adjacent to uh, thousands of acres of Native American uh, sacred land, but also Tonto National Forest, which I think is something like 5 million acres. So that's going to be a really great thing for people to come to in person if you can get there. And um, uh, it's a, a, a great experience for people. And one of the other things we're going to be adding to, to this weekend intensive, I consider these a weekend intensive training uh, for Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, September 16, 17, 18 is um, a, a really a deeper dive into the higher states of consciousness and the experience of those and how you can develop those and do your CE5 contact teams. Now, in the mornings, because um, I'm not a morning person, I normally go to bed at 4 a.m. and get up at noon, something like that, um, you're, we're going to have uh, presentations uh, that you'll be helping with on setting up uh, your own local CE5 team, and, and also Justice Camp will be helping with that. And we're going to have sessions also on um, doing transdimensional photography. Now, people go, what does that mean? Well, if you look at the pictures we have of the ET from Andromeda that came to Joshua Tree, Bijou, 
Um, there was a very specific way that happened and the way it unfolded and get into it. Same thing with the uh, ET healer that healed the man of his hearing loss in Oracle. Uh, we're actually going to be going uh, before this event in, in Arizona. Uh, in Arizona, uh, up in the mountains above Tucson. And the photography isn't just take a picture. Uh, it's specific settings of a camera, uh, uh, certain exposures, uh, shutter open links, but also a conscious component. Because what's interesting is that when we're sitting in circle under the stars doing this, there's all kinds of interstellar phenomenon happening. Uh, and not all of it's 3D. Some of it just partially comes into this dimension and vanishes uh, for a number of reasons, including their own safety and security. But um, what we found is, like when uh, our friend Raven took the picture of Bijou at Joshua Tree, she actually connected to the being because we heard a group of the ETs speaking about three feet outside our circle and asked permission it was making a conscious connection with him and he turned and waved to her and she and appeared in the, in the uh, uh, picture just as she took the picture. So there's this sort of conscious interactive component to it because interstellar civilizations, the big secret that no one at the CIA wants to talk about is that their technologies are all interfacing with consciousness, thought and higher dimensional fields. So to be a CE5 ambassador where we initiate contact, you really got to, A, understand that, which is what we'll be doing very much at this three-day event in Arizona. But to then capture and document it, you have to also know the principles of the physics of going from one point in space, you say, you know, Andromeda Galaxy, which is where Bijou's from, it's two and a half million light years away. Well, you're not going to travel to speed of light. <laughs> you know, it would take you two and a half million years. Mm. So you're going to be going through other dimensions at resonant frequencies beyond 3D, beyond the speed of electrons, atoms, light, which means you're going through other dimensions, which are increasingly conscious dimensions mm-hmm. and, and dimensions of thought and consciousness. And then you're going to reemerge into the space around this Wicopa resort in Arizona, for example, you know, on September 16th, 17th, 18th. Now, when they come in, they step down from a higher frequency dimension into 3D. At that instant, there's all kinds of phenomenon that happens. Now, in full disclosure and honesty, I'm 10 thumbs with a camera, so I don't operate the camera. So I, the people who have expertise in the camera work, would be, you know, Marcel uh, and uh, Justice and some other folks who who do this and actually know what they're doing with, you know, really good cameras that you have now that you can uh, do digital work with that are extremely sensitive. We're also planning to have at this event, we hope, a 360 high-resolution camera. So things that have happened out on the Native American land will be able to capture and this is something I've been wanting to develop for 20 years. And now we have someone who, who thinks they may have gotten this uh, nailed down. So that would be very exciting. And um, and so those are going to be some of the, you know, highlights. But we're going to go through 
an intensive training in meditation, remote viewing, CE5 contact protocols. I will do an update also on um, what's Let this soft mineral melt in your mouth to rebuild your gums and teeth and never need a dentist again. People are fixing their... Res- well, that's nice. What's happening in Washington uh, because it's very historic and it's not uh, at the point now where it's covered in the media or on the Internet. But um, because of the folks I'm working with, I know exactly what's happening and we're providing the intelligence to them so that they have gotten inside these uh, corrupt illegal projects. And now they have dozens of people coming forward as whistleblowers. So this is a very big development. It's very dangerous, frankly, um, but it's very, very exciting. And I'm sure in another month and a half, there'll be even further developments than, than what I'll be covering here today, although I do want to get into that. And the other thing about this three-day intensive is that people who come to that can then begin to be put into a system where if they want to come for a whole week, um, uh, one of these small events where we only have 20 people or 30 people um, out in the desert with me. Uh, but I want to have people have a certain level of knowledge and experience before they do that so that it's a richer and more um, meaningful experience for everyone who comes. So that's another reason why we want people to start attending these three-day events. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's going to be very exciting. And I think what people are going to enjoy about this is the uh, ability also. We're hoping to organize a means. Uh, we have to get our volunteers. We have about 25 volunteers coming to organize it so that people who come will be able to at certain times, maybe lunches, because we're going to provide lunch for people on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, be in areas of the United States or a state, you know, like we have a convention, you know, like a, and you hold up a, you know, Arizona or California or New York or whatever, um, so that people who are in their region, they can meet with, network with, to form CE5 local or regional teams. That's a great idea. Uh, yeah. Cause this is what, of course, you guys have been doing in Texas. Um, and have trained, you know, people every month, you know, sometimes 50 or 100 people who come uh, and obviously that's great because I can't be you know everywhere so that's that's a really good networking opportunity at a, at a, a convention a conference like this lots of people have asked about that like how can mm-hmm. we can, how can we meet other people there's some this is good that we're doing this this is great this will mm-hmm. yeah I, we probably need to get a bunch of like sticks with a, a <laughs> something on it where you can just put your state or if you're from England or wherever and put it see who comes over um, because I think that's you know, for people who want to do it with a group. Um, not everybody wants to. I mean, some people do this just with their friends or family. But I think there's a real power in, in uh, developing a network locally. And um, to that, on that note, also, uh, the we have a, an announcement. We have just finished the uh, renovations on the Star Retreat Center in Hot Springs, Virginia. And, of course, Pat, you'll be there in a couple of weeks with a few of the rest of us. Um, so at some point in the near future, we will be announcing how people can sign up to use that 10, it's got 10 bedrooms and sleeps 22 people. Um, and uh, on it's on five acres, but surrounded by several hundred acres. And it's about five minutes from 
about 685 acres we got that we haven't yet cleared to get up on, but we hope to eventually get a path up to the top of that land cleared because it's surrounded by, uh, I think, 1.8 million acres of national forest. But that retreat center is just gorgeous, and uh, it's an old 1907 Victorian house, great energy, beautiful views. And um, so people who have their own local team, for example, you know, say if there's a, a team that wants to meet someplace where they all gather for a week or a weekend, they can uh, then get it. And, and by the way, uh, thank you, Pat, agreed to coordinate, you know, those teams with using that um, retreat center. I'm happy to help. Yeah, it's great help. Yeah, I think there will be a lot of groups. This is always one of the things that people look for is when they get a group together. Yeah. Is um, you know, it can be problematic is if they're in your city, mm-hmm. you have too much light pollution. But this place would yep. be perfect. Oh, it's so dark and and remote, but you can get to it. I mean, you can fly into uh, Dallas Airport in DC and be there in three hours, or into. Um, uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, or Shenandoah Airport, or Roanoke, Virginia, and be there in an hour and a half. So, um, and about an hour from the uh, West Virginia Airport, where White uh, Sulphur Spring, uh, the, the the Greenbrier is uh, in, in Lewis County. So, there are airports you can fly into that are anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half, and and if you want nonstop, three hours away. So you could. Go in and do that or drive if you're in the regional, like from Atlanta, North Carolina, D.C., Pennsylvania, Ohio, um, that part of the United States. So uh, even Michigan, so it's an eight-hour drive. But, you know, people will do it if they're going to be there for a while. And it's nice because each bedroom has its own um, uh, HVC air-conditioned heat controls. Um, there are... Um, Dining for 22 people inside and about that number outside. Mm-hmm. And, um, and of course people are responsible for their meals. I mean, it's just the place, but, um, it's all. If you wear glasses or contacts, you must see this. An award winning doctor reveals an astonishing natural way to reclaim the 2020 vision you were born within record time. Did you? beautiful and, and seven of the bedrooms have their own bath and suite and then the third floor has three bedrooms and a bath and a half that would be shared in its own living room living quarters i think those were the <laughs> very politically incorrect but i think in 1907 those were the servants quarters that we've now renovated into a really nice space for people and it has two living rooms and two dining areas and um so um, I have Bluetooth speakers, and we have 31 of those anti-gravity chairs so that so if people want to come, they don't have to bring their own chairs and stuff that, you know, recline where you're just very comfortable out under the stars. Um, so that's oh that will be there for anyone to use also uh, in the garage. I think that's great because there are, I, I know a lot of groups that would, would use this as a, a trip, a CE5 trip. Yeah, it's very bonding. A weekend or a week, yeah, people would show up for that mm-hmm. because it's a great property. You know, it's dark out there. Uh, mm-hmm. What could be better, really? Well, and also just as a spiritual retreat for a group yeah. of people to, to spend time meditating away from the world. Um, there are, you know, very good restaurants in the area. You have the Omni Homestead Resort. It's a billion-dollar resort six minutes away. Um, and it's beautiful. Lots of national forests and lakes are there's uh, 
a 2,500-acre lake about 25 minutes away and another beautiful state park lake about 30 minutes away. Wow. Um, beautiful places to go out and do CE5 and uh, or on the property. But um, I think that that's a really great uh, thing we've been wanting to develop um, so that people have a place to go as a team and develop team cohesion, coherence, deepen their meditation and all of that. So we designed it so it had that so people would have, you know, their private spaces. Um, there are multiple places even for small group meditations and in, in the main level. But then on the second floor, there's a second floor porch and a second floor sitting area for private meditation and, and small groups. Um, so it's, it's got a lot of, we designed it so that people would have, you know, breakout areas like that if, if they had a larger group. And, and the bonus is that it is your place. <laughs> yeah. And well, it, it's, it's bonus, the CE5 I mean, retreat center. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, when we go there, uh, in two weeks or so, we're, we're doing this whole christening thing there and it's yes. wonderful. <laughs> yeah. We're going to do the, uh, the, the Sanskrit puja and the meditation and, um, we might have fun naming the rooms. I think yeah. one of them should be the Bijou room. And what should yeah. <laughs> I think each bedroom should have a little, uh, a it little, should be the little plaque. And by the way, I want to thank everyone who sent art. As you go through this house, um, I think maybe in a couple of weeks we'll do a YouTube from there just to show everybody. There's gorgeous art that was donated and a beautiful set of mandalas that someone gave mm-hmm. and uh, beautiful uh, objects and things. So, Thank you to everyone who sent those um, objects in to put around and make it beautiful because it's 7,500 square feet. So it was a lot to furnish it and make it look nice. And so it wasn't just an empty place, you know, yeah, but we did it fun. two and a half, you know, yeah. we, from the time we got it to now it's two and a half months and it's now ready to go. Yeah. I think doing a zoom from there, doing an interview from there and walk through would be fabulous. And just even the views, you sent me a picture recently of, of the double rainbow. I was like, oh, my gosh, look at that beautiful, yeah. beautiful photo. Yeah, that's right across. That's uh, right across from uh, the valley from from the property, and that's an 11,000-acre conservation easement wow. where that happened. And so and the farm around us is about almost 500 acres. And, uh, you know, it's set way up off the road. There's a, a road that goes through the valley. And it's set above and off there. Um, and, it, you know, I think it's a really beautiful area. Uh, now, we do get more clouds and rain here than you than in the, the desert of, of Arizona. But you just have to plan for that. But right. the nice thing is there's one of these gigantic old southern porches with Corinthian columns where you could have your whole group if it was starting to rain. Wow. And, then, and you could be there and then you could go out on the, the grounds if it cleared up. So, you know, it's kind of nice because it's in one of these 14 foot high ceiling old porches that was, you know, the classic big porch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that Just, fabulous screen door and I thought, I haven't seen a screen door like that for 50 years. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's all been really beautifully uh, reserved, uh, preserved and renovated. Beautiful, right. And then, and then we added, we doubled the number of bathrooms so that each, on the first two floors, Every bedroom has its own ensuite bath and temperature controls. Wow. Yeah. Very cool. Yes. So it's exciting. It's a lot of work, but you know, um, and when, when we were talking about this expedition that's, um, that we're doing the week before, 
somebody brought up on Discord. They said, you know, this will be great. You're out on there for six nights out there. And uh, you can let them know about the thing at Wecopa. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, the, the big three-day event that you guys are being invited to um, will sort of warm up the area by being about an hour and a half, two hours away up in the mountains about Tucson for a week with a small, smaller group. Um, and, uh, so I think that's exciting. And just, you know, if people can spread the word to other groups and let them know we're doing that, and if they can't be there in person, then they can be there, um, you know, virtually through the webinar. Right. I think it'll be fun. We yeah. had a great time last time. Everybody mm-hmm. that went had a great time. Oh, yeah. Things that happened out there that Sunday night under the stars, mm-hmm. uh, everybody was like, holy cow, that, that was amazing what happened. Yeah. yeah, it is. And I think it's very powerful for the earth and humanity when there's a group of people doing that with this purpose of transforming uh, the direction where we're headed, right. uh, which is very disastrous, into a very positive direction. And that all happens first in consciousness. And the higher someone's state of consciousness is, the more powerful the change happens. But they've done studies like that Dr. John at the Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Lab, the Pear Lab at Princeton University, he was an engineer. Let this sweet mineral melt in your mouth to rebuild your gums and teeth while you sleep and say goodbye to the dentist forever. People are fixing their bleeding and receding gums, loosening teeth. Engineering professor, and they found that with like random number generators, these quantum random generators, that if you uh, had one person putting your awareness on it and intending in consciousness for the random number generator to shoot out more ones and zeros, it would. But if there were two people that were united or loved each other, it was an exponential effect. So imagine when you have coherence with hundreds of people there and thousands of people online doing it all together. And this is what these these advanced civilizations are looking for. They're looking for the earth and humans to transition to a, a, an awake, enlightened, peaceful civilization that will approach space, outer space, mm-hmm. by first having mastered inner space, higher consciousness. So everybody wants to go out in space before we've uh, done the work in here, in our hearts and, and minds and souls. And that is really a very important point. It's the reason why these ETs have such concern uh, since the 40s when we started detonating hydrogen bombs, atomic bombs, uh, which tears the fabric of the cosmos, sends out electromagnetic pulses that are beyond the speed of light, disrupts interstellar communication and travel. That's why after the atomic bomb, that's why all these uh, UFO events started happening around all our uh, uh, nuclear facilities and then the Roswell event. People forget the Roswell Base, the Roswell Army Air Base, was the only place on Earth in 1947 that had operational atomic bombs. No, people do forget that completely. Yeah, and they so it wasn't by some accident that that happened. They were they were downed by electromagnetic directional energy weapons, primitive ones for 1947, 
compared to what we have now. But that was not a coincidence. And similarly, all through uh, history since the 40s to now, not only here, but the Soviet Union, Russia, China, France, England, uh, nuclear uh, armed ships on the ocean. Uh, in fact, I just heard from uh, a Navy guy who was on a nuclear armed uh, ship that, that had a ET visitation because of their concern about these weapons. Now, of course, the, the, the Spinmeisters in the intelligence community and, and the UFO community have spun that as an invasion from the aliens and a threat to our national security. <laughs> That's not true. I mean, obviously, if they wanted to turn all those systems off, they'd turn them off tomorrow. Uh, it's because they're concerned about us being out of control and violent to the point that we could store could destroy Earth. Mm-hmm. But also, we could be we are a threat to other worlds out there at this point with the technologies we have that are beyond the speed of light. You know, as Ben Rich, who is the head of the Lockheed Skunk Works, said, we already have the means to take ET home, quote unquote. He said that. So, and he knew, knew what he was talking about. All right. That was quite a while ago. Yeah, that was in the uh, 80s or 90s. Yeah. Or yeah, at least 30 years ago. That is now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So ordered. I mean, because you have an exponential development of technologies as you know, with each decade. Right. Um, and you figure, well, trillions of dollars in black, beyond black budget funding. And some of the brightest minds in the world that they recruit out of high school and college working on these systems, mm-hmm. you, you have some serious payoffs. Unfortunately, they're in the hands of the worst criminal enterprise the earth has ever seen. Those are the folks keeping this secret. Um, which means even more that we, so let me frame this in other way about what we're doing out in Arizona, September 16th, 18th, um, 17th, 18th. There has to be another uh, countervailing force that's positive. Yes. Uh, 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 another type of energy coming from humans besides all this fear mongering and saber rattling and uh, taking everything as a paranoid military threat. And these civilizations have been waiting. I, I actually say they've been knocking on our front door, back door, basement door for you know, 80 years, you know, since the 40s, uh, waiting for humans to answer properly. But the UN isn't doing this. The foreign ministries aren't. The State Department isn't. So that's why a private group, a, a public group, that, but, but private in the sense it's not part of any government, is so important. A non-governmental organization, which is what we are. Because that is exactly how change happens in the world. And by doing it, when you understand the multiplier effect of a group of people in meditation and coherence, now, I know that last time we did this in Arizona in April at the Wicopa, uh Native uh, American facility, there was those meditations in the evenings. There was such coherence and silence. And it, you could everyone could feel the effect that was having on knowing that's where we were but beyond, because remember, the conscious field isn't limited by space and time. It affects everything. That's the power of non-locality, as it's called, or entanglement. And so, you know, understanding those principles, which we'll go into a great deal over the course of the weekend, uh, and then practicing them 
that's what we want people to leave with that experience. Yeah, that Friday night, I I was literally shocked. Mm-hmm. I was that Friday yep. night because from eight to ten, mm-hmm. uh, we did an early. You did an earlier session, um, but that night was we came back to do this evening session where we did a puja. We did the whole puja, and then you led a, a meditation. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, this will be interesting to see how people who who really have never done this before. You know, are they going to be able to kind of follow along and kind of be still? And how will this work? I, I was absolutely, everybody, we were all looking at each other like, oh, my God, this is amazing. You could have heard a pin drop. I know. I don't know, 600 people in there? So I don't even know how many hundreds and hundreds there were. Literally, you could have heard a pin drop in there. The the coherence and the energy that that the energy that emanated from that group meditation was you know, amazing to me. Yeah, it was beautiful. And I think everyone felt that. And so many people commented on it. Mm-hmm. So, but, and, but that's going to be picked up by the civilizations from other star systems. Right. Because their technologies and their awareness are not looking through the web telescope. I mean, their, their technologies are beyond the speed of light, beyond, uh, just 3D dimension, right? Here's why I threw away all my blood pressure meds. Drinking this before bed can lower blood pressure by 26 points. If you're over 50 and struggling with hot... Right? Three dimensions. And so, you know, that's going to be sensed and known, and it actually resonates, and it actually then attracts these civilizations to interact with a group that's peaceful, coherent, enlightened... Um, and are safe because a group like that is not giving off the energy of fear and violence, right? No, they're giving off the intention of yeah. friendly, uh, peaceful contact. Mm-hmm. This is why when people say, oh, you're going to do a sky watch. I go, no, 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 no. <laughs> We're not. This is way beyond going out just looking at the sky. This is actively becoming part of the cosmic mind and then doing it specific. And, of course, what I recommend also to people listening is to get the CE5 contact app. It's actually right now number four in the world on educational apps on the uh, iTunes store, app store. Um, and because that has an entire training program. So if you go through that before you come in September, um, then you're going to be much more prepared and more powerful. You will be a more powerful ambassador. We call that whole program ambassadors to the universe that we're citizen ambassadors from earth. And this is what I want, like training people to, to think of themselves this way as uh, the sort of liaison and emissaries from the earth and peace to these other civilizations, all of them. And that has a very powerful effect. Um, because honestly, until we founded the CE5 contact uh, movement in 1990, nobody was doing that on, on a global scale. So I think it's really important that the ETC humans finally, after all these years, doing something meaningful and enlightened. Um, now, now switching, switching, you know, a little bit to another issue here. Um, I've been spending every, uh, Every week I've been going into uh, Washington, D.C. and and having taking meetings. And uh, I have some very important news. Um, There are uh, both a Senate and a House bill 
that will be part of the Defense Authorization Act uh, that goes through this fall that provides explicit, specific whistleblower and uh, protection and release or vehicle for uh, witnesses in the military or contracting world or intelligence world who've been involved in these covert uh, UFO project programs to legally share their information. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we sent out something about that, and as a result, a very senior Air Force officer, now retired, contacted me, who has very in-depth knowledge and involvement in this. And he said he's been watching what we've been doing with the Disclosure Project for 20 years, and has kept his powder dry until we were able to get this moved through. And that's going to go through in another month or two, a couple months. So this is extremely good news, but it's important that all of us share this YouTube, a link, because you never know who's out there who's been following this, waiting for this moment. Right. Now, remember, the presidents and the CIA directors and these sort of people I've briefed in the past didn't want to go this far. The folks who are running the investigation inside the government now do, and they are going this far. So this is a game changer. In 32 years of doing this, as the founder of the Global Disclosure Project movement, I've never seen anything like this in terms of this potential. This is really, um, really there's a There's a door is open, and we better move through that door because it could slam shut again. Um, so I encourage people to share this information with everyone they know, you never know who is in your network of friends, family, uh, work associates who are, in fact, um, people who have had some involvement with this issue, who have been sitting on the fence or waiting for a safe vehicle, a safe way to move their, their knowledge forward and to end the criminal programs keeping this secret. And by the way, 99% of everyone involved in those projects don't know that they're being run illegally. They don't? No, they have no idea. Only the very top echelon. Mm-hmm. So re- let me explain something to folks. Most people are sort of hogs in a very big machine in these beyond black, unacknowledged special access projects because most of them don't know what I learned in 1993 when I read the director of the CIA. And that is that beginning in 1956 or so, the U.S., the constitutional government of the United States is decapitated. President, senior folks were actually being deceived and moved out of an organization that arrogated to itself the right to work on this issue, but not inform the constitutional leaders in the White House or the Congress. So those projects went completely rogue, let's say, in the late 50s. This is why Eisenhower in 1961, when he left office, said, but we're... Where were you on March 9th, 2022, when President Biden signed the death warrant on American... Beware the military industrial complex. Now, the very good news is that there are extremely senior people now in the U.S. government 
that we've given actionable intelligence to who now know that that is true and not some, you know, subculture conspiracy theory nonsense. So they know for a fact it's true, but the implications of it, obviously, are there are people who have worked for a period of time or episodically, or maybe they were had an incidental event that they saw. They don't know that these projects, you know, they were told, keep this secret, sign this 70-year non-disclosure agreement, and they thought they were signing on to a legally sanctioned, even if it was a black project, a legally sanctioned black project, right? Now, I've been meeting with people who manage the black budget of the United States who denied access to these projects. That's more proof of what I said in the 90s after briefing the CIA director and after a brief the head of intelligence for the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral Wilson, and the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, on and on and on, and members of the Senate Intelligence Committee even in the 90s. They all said, look, we know nothing about this. So there's no way those projects are being run legally if the president, the CIA director, the Secretary of Defense, the people in charge of the Pentagon at that level, can't get access to and are threatened. Mm-hmm. Admiral Wilson admitted he was threatened mm-hmm. with the motion, and he told me worse, if he kept pushing on it. There's a former member of Congress who at the time was a member of Congress that I briefed. I found out about a month ago, two months ago, that a, a couple of guys showed up and threatened to kill him and his family mm-hmm. if he pursued this any further. Now, that's another reason why we're putting this in place to also protect... That's why... The folks that I talked to said this is the most crucial time to send positive love and vibrations of good energy to all these ones that are going to have to face goddess. Yeah, I was going to add that I was talking to Micah earlier, and he was saying that the Belgian royals murdered one of Kesha's most beautiful people, Fabio. And so evil is evil no matter where it's going on and send good vibrations always send more love to the ugly stuff. That's how it works. Okay, continue. To get a, a protection for these whistleblowers. So we're not only providing people who have their non-disclosure agreements and security oaths uh, whistleblower protection as well as a mechanism around those in often cases, they literally sign 70-year secrecy agreements. But we're also uh, providing a mechanism for them to be protected uh, physically and eventually financially as well if, if that's in play. So I think this is why whether you're on the corporate side of it with a, a contractor or military or intelligence or other government agency, you need to contact us at SiriusDisclosure.com, S-I-R-I-U-S Disclosure.com. And there is actually a box on the contact bar for witnesses, military corporate witnesses. Um, it's very important because this is a very, very big development. Um, and the support is now there and there's a mechanism there. And it has to happen, I think, pretty efficiently in the next year or so because I don't know that the window is going to be open for much longer than that. So I think, you know, time is of the essence. Yeah, I think so. And that's yeah. huge news. And that's, that's so much 
different than what it's been in the past. Oh yeah, there's nothing like it. I, I mean, I'm in DC every week and have been for decades, and and I've never, you know, this is by far the most promising um, movement forward. And by the way, it's it's totally separate from that office at the Pentagon, or you know, that sort of dog and pony, so clueless open hearings that happened a couple months ago that were, uh, frankly, a charade. Um, because the guys who were there testifying didn't even know what the Maelstrom Nuclear Strategic Air Command uh, nuclear case was, which is, of course, multiple disclosure project witnesses and, and official U.S. government documents that we published in 2001, okay, 20 year, 21 years ago. So you're, you're dealing with people who are where it's really just sort of a, a storefront, <laughs> But there's another thing going on. What I'm trying to tell people without saying what I cannot go into details on is that there's something else going on that's very profound and very effective. And I'm sure they wonder how you know all this stuff. Well, <laughs> look, it's it's 32 years of hard work and over you know a thousand or more top secret guys who give me information, documents, facilities, project code names the locations of underground work areas, on and on and on and on. And I'm conveying all of that to these people, every shred of it. It's a process. Yeah, we're in the process of of, of getting my archive properly digitally scanned and organized so that it can be put into a massive um, archive for uh, these folks. Someday, maybe we'll make it available to the public if we had enough. Again, we're doing this with all volunteers, so... But it's, um, you know, I've, I've told them I don't want any official U.S. government uh, supporter funding. I want to stay fiercely independent, which I've always been. Yes. It's, 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 so, it's so not Washington because everyone has their hand out. Um, but I said, yeah, the, I, those things come with very big strings and ropes that tie you up. No, thank you. I'm fierce, as you know, Pat, I'm fiercely independent. I will not be corrupted. Um, you know, I walked away from the head of uh, General Stubblebine offered me $2 billion as the head of Army Intelligence and the Special Forces in 1992. And he offered me personally $2 billion to betray what we're doing. I said, no, thank you. So I think that this is something that people have to understand the kinds of threats that are scary and bribes that are substantial that have corrupted this process since the late 1950s. Um, lethal force has been used and a lot of money. You know, remember I met with a member of this committee that runs these covert programs in uh, 1993 prior to briefing the director of the CIA where he said we have – Ugly toenail and fingernail fungus gone in record time. If you're over 25 and struggling with smelly yellow nail. Madison Avenue, goodbye. We paid at least 10,000 people, $10 million each or more, to secure their cooperation with what we're doing. And then he offered me another kind of bribe. So I think that that's real. It's outrageous. Um... But look, a lot of people for that kind of money will say, oh, yeah, sure, great. You know, they'd sell their grandmother under the bus for that. Or if they're threatened, you know. I mean, this is why I tell people the currency that matters in this is 
integrity, honesty, courage, perseverance. The, the, these, these people I'm working with in DC, they have all that. We've gone round and round. So they're going the distance and they're very courageous people. Um, yeah, yeah, but they're not, they're not just, they're not the political class, lawyer class of, you know, kind of dancing around folks. These are people who've done special operations. They've done, uh, very courageous things. They understand the risks. Um, they have the ability to go the distance legally now. And so far they're going the distance. So. While that door is open, I'm making an appeal to everyone who is listening, who's concerned about uh, this kind of illegal secrecy. Remember, this group is a transnational group that's global that responds to no legal government anywhere in the world that have technologies thousands of years more advanced than anything the mainstream legal constitutional government of the United States or China or Russia or Great Britain or France have. So, um, that's what you're dealing with. And I'm, I don't sugarcoat the challenge. It's a huge challenge. But what we have is the force of higher consciousness. This is why I ask people, you know, when we do at week, at, at this week, in, in Arizona, in, in outside Phoenix uh, in September, I will lead people through a meditation where we put our awareness on all those facilities and all those organizations. And see a different energy entering their hearts and minds to cooperate with moving this forward yes. into a nonviolent change. Yes. So that's very important. The power of meditation, prayer. Uh, I mean, you have to work on, I think, many dimensions. Absolutely. You know, you know, and, you know, I get a lot of people say, why don't you just stick with disclosure things? Why don't you just stick with the CE? I said, no, it's all part and parcel. Mm-hmm. Now I have another exciting announcement. This will be the last one. We just started last week the organization and production of the next huge feature film, The Lost Century. And it's going to be an expose of a hundred years or more of exotic, amazing, free energy, zero point energy, anti-gravity technology. Uh, that will be a two hour special that we hope to have finished to have come out, uh, early next year sometime. So we're starting work on that. You'll be hearing more about it. We do need to crowdfund and do some things with it. We haven't set that up yet, um, but we're going to need a lot of help and support. Now, what if you're listening, what we need right now, anyone who has an operating free energy device, quote unquote, I say free energy meaning coming from the quantum vacuum or zero point plasma generators, putting out more energy than it consumes when you start it up. Um, they need to contact us <laughs> because we're going to get a billion to two billion people to see this. We're going to use all the big influencers and a lot of the celebrities interested in this will get behind it. Secondly, we need to have uh, people who have collected archives of past inventions that have been suppressed mm-hmm. or and that have been tested and have validity, not just some rumor of something. We need that because we want to feature the top 10 of those in this two-hour documentary. So anyone who has that information, who's been researching this, please get that to us immediately. Because we're actually, we're actually 
collecting all that now. And in September, early October, we're going to do all the, the interviews with people and then be in post-production October, November, December. And then this will be ready to hand off to um, whatever distributor to get it out to the public for, for 2023. So we're on a very tight, fast timeline. Of course, anyone who's worked with me knows that I don't, I don't know how to work any other way. But um, but it's we need help with that. So people listening, if you can help us, uh, please don't write us with just rumors of rumors of rumors or nonsense. Um, we need very, you know, scientific, legitimate things. And we're, we're not interested, by the way, in someone who has an idea about something. We have thousands of pages of people's theoretical ideas. We're not interested in theories. We're not interested in someone's idea. Only something operational right now that can be run or very solid evidence of not only the existence of previous ones, but also their suppression. How were they suppressed? Were the people killed? Was it confiscated? Was the National Security Act abused and national security orders? Were, the, were their patents confiscated? Um, these All these techniques have been used in the past, and we want to feature the ones that have the strongest evidence, not just rumors, uh, but the strongest evidence for because the public, think about it. The public, like they have with the UFO issue, where's the evidence? That's why we did the disclosure project and put 110 top secret witness testimonies together and all the documents. So we have to do the same thing with this, where we prove that this is not an urban myth and that your Tesla automobile, instead of having 900 pounds of lithium ion batteries, it have one this big. And then one of these generator motors, boom, and it runs, never has to be charged, never have to plug it in. Huge. Yes. Yeah, I love the idea that you're going to do a CGI to show what would this world look like? Because mm-hmm. people, I think Cash needs to connect here, get all that technology that's already out there now to produce gas without digging in the ground. It's plasma energy. I don't think there's one ounce of of, uh, byproducts of that, I don't think. Not what I heard. A penny, uh, a penny costs a, what, a penny a gallon or something? (laughs) Okay, continue. Do not have the ability to visualize what they know right. is what we see right. right now, and they can't right. imagine what the world right. look like or how it would be. So and that's a huge problem. You know, I think part of what we're going to put, we're, we're going to need some support for this, but we're going to have people who can do really good graphics and, and, and motion graphics and uh, to show what the Earth would look like in 10 years, 20 years, 100 years, 500 years, 1,000 years. It, We have this large pyramidal structure, and the witnesses, they can't believe their eyes. Because it's complete, nothing looking back thousands of years could prepare anyone for what the world will look like in 50, when all this technology is put into peaceful use. It is a whole new world. And that's why I'm convinced the E.T., when Colonel Corso said, what's in it for me? When the ET at, at White Sands in 1956 said, would you help us? And he, he, you know, he was very brash and admitted to us. He said, oh yeah, I was just like this young Air Force Colonel. 
And, uh, and the ET said, a new world, if you can take it. It is a new world. Beautiful. And we want to show that to people. Because I think there's so much hopelessness about the environment, inflation, and oil, and pollution, and toxicity, and the oceans dying. It is depressing. Sure. Um, but, but that's not it. You have to know, you have to describe the problem, which we will do. But we also have to describe that we have a solution and improve it and then show the world in the aftermath because it has to become a publicly supported movement. Because let's face it, any inventor that has one of these devices, if you're listening, you're not going to be able to get this out through any conventional strategy that a normal technology would get out through. You're going to have to have one to two billion people know about it. You're going to have to have strategic security in place. You're going to have to have an enormous infrastructure around it, or it'll be squashed like a bug. And I tell people, thousands of these devices and inventions since before Tesla have come and gone. Why have they never gotten out into application? Because the collusion of corporate fascists and government interests that want to keep the world centrally controlled by certain types of people with the kind of money and power they have, those people do not go quietly into the night. They want to hold on to that power, even if it kills the biosphere right. and millions of people. You know, even if you don't believe in global climate change and warming, five million people or more a year die from just the particulate pollution in the air from coal and gas and pollution. And God knows how many from cancer, from all the toxicity that's in our food supply, water, ground and air. So it's, it's, it's the, the number of people who died in the Holocaust happening every year just due to pollution. You don't think about this. And, the, and never mind, there are 3 billion people on the planet that still don't have any means to cook their food with gas or electricity. They're cutting down old growth forests and wood. And there's what's called the certification where this growth of deserts is happening because it's all being chopped down for subsistence. That's 3 billion people. That's nearly thirty so, percent. Yeah, yeah, no, it's more than thirty. It's more like forty percent. Is there really? Uh, yeah, it's it's more than forty percent of the world's population. So, you know, when you're dealing with that kind of situation, you're not going to fix it with solar or wind, and you're not going to fix it by just drilling more oil and gas and coal. So, what the points we're going to make is that both sides are right and wrong. The people advocating more oil and gas, in the sense, are correct that the current technology that people know about won't replace the power grid in the United States. I think the whole world could run about 75 seconds, it's estimated, on the amount of battery storage that you need for wind and solar that we currently have on the earth, 75 seconds. It, it, it just is too little, and it's going to be too little too late. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also not an answer to just keep dredging up oil, gas, and coal, even if we have hundreds of years of supply, because it's poisoning the planet. Mm-hmm. So both sides have – and here's the thing. Always remember, when both sides are right and wrong in different aspects, but in, of course, in a polarized world, nobody thinks this way anymore. Both are missing something. What is this other ingredient being missed? It's these technologies that have been kept secret. That's the solution. And that's why the lost century and the subcaption to it is and how to retrieve it. Um, so the lost century and how to retrieve it. 
that is such an important thing for the public to know about because uh, it's not as simple as an inventor saying, oh, I have a new energy thing and the world's going to beat a path to your door. Before the world's going to know about it, you're going to be killed or you're going to be offered $100 million to be rich. Mm. It's not going to get out to the public. We have to develop a strategy where a billion, two billion people know about it, understand it, and get behind the support socially to move it forward. That's how change happens when you're dealing with a asymmetric, powerful group of folks who are a very small number of people, you know, a thousandth of one percent of the public, not the one percent, um, but who have outsized power mm. and are willing to use force to maintain that power. To change that, I mean, this is real power to the people here. Mm. To change that, you have to have a totally different way of thinking. And that's what we want to present. And we're going to need help with that. So, you know, it's like looking back in the history, um, some of the largest changes socially mm-hmm. that helped our world have really come from um, a grassroots um, program from people. I mean, it's, it's everything. It's everything. Right. Yep. No big change that's happened in human history has come from the people at the top of the pyramid. Right. Because they're at the top. They don't want to see that change. Right. Think about it. Think about the power dynamic. Right. So it comes from the base of that pyramid. Us. You know, this is sort of ordinary people like you and me. Um, and I put myself squarely in that category. I mean, having grown up very poor in the South and with no privilege and no access to anything, I don't, I think people have to view themselves as, uh, however, um, you know, how would Martin Luther King or Gandhi or uh, any past movement that's uh, led to great advancements in science or thought or society happen if, if we had waited for the king or the emperor or whoever was at the top to do it? It would have never, ever, ever happened. Yeah. So that's what people, we live in a time where because of the internet and social media and smartphones and all that, I think people and TV become more and more passive. And we have to develop an activist based base for not only CE5 contact, make contact peacefully with these other civilizations, but to also do disclosure, which is what we're doing. And then the. I've spent the past 50 years building one of the largest financial research firms in the world. The third part of this triangle, you know, our logo is just three circles that makes a, tri- a equilateral triangle. Uh, that, that third one is the energy, the technologies and new energy systems that will run the planet indefinitely with no pollution and without poverty. And therefore, eventually, if you solve this, the social justice poverty issues, you can eventually have a foundation for lasting peace. And without peace, there is no future because the technologies, once you get to the nuclear threshold, are such that without peace, you're facing every decade or two a situation like we have now where Russia is threatening to send nuclear weapons to America if we support Ukraine, all this kind of stuff. So this sort of thinking is not sustainable once you go past machine guns and tanks and conventional bombs because such an event would be the end of life on Earth. So I think we have to develop a civilization 
where it's a totally different consciousness first, a set of values, but also the technologies go with it. It's not going to help the earth if everyone's sitting in enlightenment in a cave and we're all still using oil and gas and coal to have air conditioning and run our cars and eat our houses <laughs> and manufacture things. You know, China right now is building 30 new coal-fired power plants. One of them, one of the, it'll be the biggest one in the world. Oh. So, the, And India is similarly. So th- this is happening all over, and it's getting worse and worse, and the only solution is the known solution. <laughs> and it, even though it's covert and it's controversial, we're also going to have interviews with really top-drawer physicists, PhD physicists at universities who are going to confirm the zero-point energy field and confirm these technologies. So this is going to be a very hard-hitting piece. Right. So anyone who has leads for us on any of this, please contact us because we're actually in production now. Yeah, when I read the description, I thought, wow, this is going to cover a lot of very, very important and really very interesting stuff. I mean, really Mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah, it is. Cool. Well, I hope all of you can join us. I'll let you go now. It's been about an hour, I think, and um, uh, I got to run. But uh, thank you, guys. Thank you, Pat. And uh, I you. hope I hope all of you can join us uh, either in person or virtually in uh, September in Arizona, where we'll make contact, CE5 contact in Arizona in the desert. Thank you, Dr. Greer. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Well, we don't have much time for anything much, do we, Ron? Did you want to play that Enoch thing? No. No. Okay, everybody. Well, we'll do what we do after we come back. Oh, six, twelve. Yeah, I know. That's why I was thinking of playing something like that. But um, I'll just share with you, this is exciting news. Um, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, uh, says to Lord Rama, he signed up with it. Oh, well, I want you to stay here until we get off. Oh, okay. Uh, so Rama, uh, she's saying, uh, Rama signed up there, and she's saying, Rama, it took three years, but Alexandria's amendment to study MDMA and psychedelic substances for therapeutic applications finally passed the House. Why is this important? There is a lot of evidence that these drugs can help veterans address PTSD, and they are far less addictive than many prescription opioids, I would say, than any of them. Yet the Stigma around these drugs have stopped scientific study. Now, with this amendment, that will change. That's just astounding. Um, Getting this amendment passed was a rare bipartisan win. When AOC Crunch and Crenshaw passed psychedelics amendment in bipartisan rarity. Texas Representative Dan Crenshaw filed a connected amendment creating a grant program to conduct research and clinical trials to treat PTSD using psychedelics. This doesn't 
Sami. Together, Alexandria's and Representative Crenshaw's amendments are huge steps forward in removing the harsh stigmatization and restricts restrictions imposed on psychedelics during the war on drugs that have blocked further research on their therapeutic applications. So that's what that is, asking for donations, and I'm sure that can be accomplished well. Okay, uh, we got a few more minutes. Let's just see. Maybe I'll go there and see if we can play... Uh, from Tom Hartman, Professor Wolf. That might squeeze in. Well, let's see. I just got to find the professor here. Where is the professor? Huh. I must have missed it somewhere. Excuse me just a moment. Oh, there. Okay. Now we got to find the professor. Today is the 30th, so that means we've got to go down to 27. 28th is Thursday. Okay, we're going to do 27th. Well, it may take me longer to find it than there's time to play it. Uh... Um, okay, just a moment, down a few more, I think this is it, let's try this on for Professor Richard Wolf, the economist, the co-founder of democracyatwork.info, the author of numerous books, including his most recent, The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself, also available as an e-book. DemocracyWork.info, Prof Wolf with two Fs on Twitter. Professor Wolf, welcome back. I, I had two questions for you today, and, and they're, they're you know, quite separate. I'm, I, well, maybe you, you can scramble them together. But uh, no, no. Okay, Patty, you're on. Line one. Sarah, I, I wanted to get the address for the piece by Aurora Ray. That's one thing Rama didn't send me before. Oh, go send it. going to go send it. Okay, fine. All right. That's what I wanted to ask. Okay. Yeah. That girl piece uh, was superb. That's really was, good. Wasn't that good? Yeah. And she's she's continuing to put things out, and I got it right here, too. It's the, um, oh, there's water stand on there. Uh-uh. Oh, I can't read it. Oh, I think it says the galacticfederation.com. Penny. Yeah, what's that? I remember he, I heard him say that. Uh, what was it? Galacticfederation.com slash 10 hyphen 25 AA. 5 AA, yeah? That's it. That's what it says as the address at the end of what I read today. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, and I'm, Rob, I'm printing this with one finger because I'm holding the phone in the other hand. Galactic Federation. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. okay. Slash 10 at 25. The galacticfederation.com slash 10. Oh, I missed the dot com. Yeah, right. I would not be going anywhere without that. Okay. Slash 10 hyphen 25 AA. Is that small A or big A? Two small A's. Thank you. Two small A's. Okay, good. All right. Yeah, it's just HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash at the beginning. And it's all small letters for the whole thing. I understand. All right. Okay, good. Thank you. Carry on. (laughs) We'll see you in a little while. Okay, bye-bye. Everything's going to be all right. (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. We're all good. Yeah. Okay. Actually, I quite like what you said. You know what? When you said there's no such thing as late, it's just a shift in energies. Um, I'm going to use that line in the future (laughs) or at other times when I am Ah! late, right? (laughs) It's a good line. Good idea. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> okay. We must do our homework, though. They don't, don't get away with not doing that. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. See you later tonight. Okay. Namaste. Namaste. One, we're, we're experiencing questions for you today, and, and they're you know, quite separate. Although maybe you can scramble them together. But uh, number one, we're, we're experiencing these massive heat waves, which are driving up our use of energy, which is, uh, I would think, hurting our economy because spending more for air conditioning means less disposable income. Um, and the Fed is talking about, and we haven't heard yet what they're going to do, but they're talking about probably somewhere between a half and a full point increase in the Fed fund rate, um, you know, in the interest rates. Um, how, what do these things do to our economy? What can we expect as a consequence of the, these, these two events? Well, the first thing, and probably the biggest one, is this uh, phenomena of climate change. The fires everywhere, the drought, the heat that is uh, record-breaking literally around the world. Uh, this is what the climate scientists told us we would have if we did not, as a people, as a, as a planet, deal with these problems of global warming. And now we have them. And they are a testimony to a fundamental irrationality of our economic system. Competition incentivizes every capitalist to grow. You're more successful, you're safer, your future is more secure. The bigger you are, the more profits you can generate, etc. So the self-protective incentive of capitalism is to make every enterprise grow. But if every enterprise grows, then we suck up more uh, resources. We don't have the time to question whether it is or isn't in the interest of the society as a whole, of the history we're trying to live that everybody's doing this sort of crazy growth without reference to the to the planet that we live on, and now we're seeing the results of it. What we see particularly now is terrible, terrible inefficiency. It's like making a mockery of the claims of capitalism that it's an efficient system. When you have heat like this, the land 
is affected in very bad ways. People's productivity goes down. Their health is impaired. Their social connections are weakened. I mean, I could go on. We are pulling out more fossil fuels and burning them to generate the electricity that runs the air conditioning caused by the very same process of burning fossil fuels. I mean, the irrationality of our system is never more starkly present than in this. And by the way, it also means disruptions. The heat closes a railway station, buckles a bridge, prevents a factory from opening because the air conditioning isn't adequate. This adds to the so-called supply chain disruptions, and that is a contributor, among many other things, to the very inflation that we're worried about. All these things are interconnected. This is a very damaging, economically inefficient system that functions in this way. And this inflation now, here's the connection to your other topic, the inflation is now so dangerous, so disruptive of our society, so unjust in the fact that the people hurt most by rising prices are those amongst us with middle and low incomes who can't afford to pay them. So the Federal Reserve is going to do what? Later today, announce, as you said, a rising interest rate, which is going to make it more difficult for everybody to borrow money. And again, who does that hurt the most? Those with the least, who can't afford a higher mortgage loan or a higher car loan or to pay more on their monthly credit card bills, etc. So you're seeing a system lurching from pillar to post. It is a very sad as well as upsetting spectacle. Yeah, I, I guess so. Uh, what, what, do you expect an immediate consequence of the Fed rate hike? Uh, I, you know, I know that, uh, mortgage rates right now are over 5% typically, which, if I'm recalling correctly, is about twice what they were a year ago. Um, right. this, this has to be cooling off the housing market. What, what does that do to American, to the average yes. American? It's already cooling off the housing market. It's going to make selling automobiles more difficult. General Motors is in trouble already. The stocks are going down. Uh, Walmart yesterday announced that it is uh, guiding people that its profits are going to be lower uh, for the year 2022 than they had originally hoped or projected. Everywhere you're seeing slowing down. The inflation means people cannot buy what they were able to afford before. Their money runs out sooner because everything costs more uh, than it used to. And therefore, the crunch is coming. We, just, we know that we're in for a recession. A lot of the language makes it iffy. There is no iffy. The only debate is how bad will it be? How long will it last? What will be the ultimate cause? What steps might the government have to take beyond what it's doing? There we don't know those answers. That's about the future. But, you know, we really have done a number, if you'll allow me, Tom. Go for it. The last 30 years, we have redistributed wealth in America. Everybody knows that. Left, right, and center economists, we all know we have moved wealth and income from the bottom and the middle to the top. Okay, 30 to 40 years of that are shaking and ripping this society apart. But it's nothing compared to the last four. We have hit our working class with a pandemic, 
killed over a million of them. Then an economic crash, second only to the Great Depression of the 30s. Then an inflation, and now a recession. Uh, you cannot do that to the mass of your people, especially while you're savaging the, the ecological life of this planet, and not cause the kinds of social disruption that I see coming and for which this country has not prepared itself. Yeah. Now, I, I believe it was the IMF. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm running off a headline I read in the Financial Times over the weekend that uh, warned of a worldwide recession that could be uh, consequential. Yes. Uh, speak to that, please. They did. They announced that they are doing two things of importance. Immediately, they are reducing the projections for economic growth uh, in the whole world economy. They do that at a regular uh, course. They look at the different rates of growth in the different continents and so on. So they're ratcheting down global economic growth uh, way below what it originally was as recently as a few months ago. That's how fast this inflation and all these accumulated problems are impacting the economy. And in addition, they did, they did the math. If you reduce a growth and you have the kind of inequality we have in the world, what you have to see is that we're going to be moving, get ready now, hundreds of millions of people back down into the unspeakable level of poverty that we thought we had escaped as little as two, three, four years ago. That's how serious all of this is, and there is no end in sight. This is an unstable economy. That's why we have inflation one year, recession the next year, and and again, no, nothing approaching the kind of debate or discussion in our society, whether a system that works like this, even if you can fix it each time it breaks down, whether we really haven't come to that moment uh, like you have sometimes with a very old refrigerator when the repairman or woman stands to up with you and says, look, I can fix it, but you'll have me back in two or three weeks and another $300 bill. The time has come to change the system. Yay! Well, let's talk about that in a future conversation. It's a, it's a great setup. Professor Richard Wolf, thanks so much for dropping by. Bye, what? All right, that's the deal. We're going to Sarah now and change the system. That's how it works. All right, everybody, we're going to take a break. And thank you, everybody, for finding this place today. And we will continue after a very short moment as Rama will be doing a little homework. And we'll be right back here with BBS Radio Station 2, best radio show on this planet. Namaste for now, everybody.
The talking stick to you, Richard. Richard, are you hearing us? I hope you know that you're maybe you're muted. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here I am. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, right. I, I, I have to listen on the Internet, and there's about a 15-second delay between your house on its way to Houston up to my house. Oh, my God. Yeah, but anyway. Okay. Oh. <sighs> yeah, after after Doc, Dr. Greer's um, very intelligent, leadership little thing he did there that you played for us. 
I just had to grab the great invocation. Oh, good idea. So, I think what's going on here, now there's four, there's four stanzas in this, right? The first one is, from the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into the minds of men. Yep. Let light descend on earth. Now, we've got a, we got a lot of light. We've been getting this light for a long time. And we have a lot of intelligent humans on the planet. We do. All right. Stanza two, from the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into the hearts of men. Now, may Christ return to earth. Now, after finishing the second volume of Discipleship in the New Age, the Master D.K., uh, somewhere in that several several hundred words, Christ gave this to DK to give to we humans here incarnated. Yes, this comes directly from Christ, who is the acknowledged chief of the kingdom of souls, sometimes called the kingdom of God. All right, so Christ is still in charge in the kingdom of souls. And so he's he's doing what he's doing based on what he knows. Then um, from the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide the little wills of men, the purpose which the masters no one serve. But let's go to the... The last one, which is from the center, which we call the race of men, that's all us incarnated humans, let the plan of love and light work out. All right, there's lots of us that operate from love, and we got plenty of light, and we know what needs to be worked out, which is to seal the door where evil dwells. All right? Now, it appears, just to me, in my observations of what we've been looking at here, that uh, evil's got the upper hand right now. Yeah. So, what Dr. Greer said is, we, we, this is going to be a bottom-up battle. And it has to operate outside of governments. Because the, most of the governments are just nasty, nasty and confused. There are many who are supporting the Dark Lodge unconsciously. Yeah. But there, though, there are many of those whose uh, pursuit of materialistic luxuries and self-serving acquisition of resources and money and power and control, they're against us. Absolutely. They're, they're the ones that need to be taken down. Yes. Yes. All right. Now, to the astrology. This is a very, this is very difficult. And even there's even a trine in here that's that's difficult, and that trine is 
sunshine Jupiter in Aries, sun being in Leo, and this is the um, this is the action of fire. Okay, and while we were told that civilization wouldn't be dis- wouldn't be destroyed by water a, a second time. It's apparently it's going to be destroyed by fire. All right? And that's as as I say, okay, what's what's going on here? Okay. Fire is being used as a punishment for bad behavior. Just like venereal diseases are a punishment for bad behavior, right? The hedonists, the sensualists, uh, you know, they got a new infection, you know. So you got, you got that you got that going on. All right, sun at eight, Leo. And Jupiter at nine Aries, all right, and that's a trine, and it's it may be serving the purposes of Sanat Kamara, the Lord of the World. It's trying to get our attention here that we got to change our ways. Now, along with that, we've got this Mercury opposite uh, opposite Saturn at 23 degrees of Leo and Aquarius, and that is exact today. And the square, those two are square, that Mars conjunct Uranus. Mars is at 18, Uranus is at 19, and it's in the sign of the planet, Earth. Earth signs is solid matter. All right, solid matter, physical, manifested solidness is the Earth sign. See going on there. So we've got, we've got, we've got a, we've got a fire, and you add air to it, you get hotter fire. All right, you get more heat. You get less moisture. So you've got high temperatures, you've got drought coming on, and this is going to be very difficult for some time to come. All right. Now, uh, Venus is at 16 Cancer, and it's square to Chiron and Jupiter. Uh, it's going to be trying Neptune. Uh, Neptune's at 26. Nep- uh, Venus is at 16, so it's 10 degrees away from exact. Uh, but Neptune, you know, Neptune, Pluto, Jupiter, and Saturn, and Chiron, they're all retrograde. So they're going to stay in their signs for a while, right? Jupiter's not leaving Aquarius. You know, Neptune's not leaving Pisces. You know, Jupiter's not leaving 
Aries, and uh, Pluto is not leaving Capricorn. So this adds additional difficulty to the situation. And I think I've covered all the planets. Yeah, well, moon, Moon's in four Virgo tonight. So we did Jupiter, we did the Sun, we did Venus, we did Mars, Uranus, we did Chiron, Jupiter. Yep, that's it. All right. I'm done for now. Uh, yeah. sure Good, Richard. Have... Thank you what, for that. What? What? You have a question? Oh, I was just going to say that. Um, thank you very much. That was a a good uh, share summary to get at a better, at a higher level, at the esoteric level. Yes. Yeah. Well, this audience is probably one of the smartest audiences on the planet. <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> considering considering the topics we. We cover on Thursdays and Fridays in addition to what we do on Saturdays. Yeah, and Thursday is a, a very uh, amazing day, too. It's, it's really okay. All right, here we go. All right, back to you. Thank you, Paley Report, and this one is for Wednesday, uh, July 27th of the great year 2022. And I'm up here at the top of the mountain, just about. I mean, that's actually the top of the mountain, right over there on the island of Corfu over here in Greece. And I'll tell you, there are so many aspects, I don't even know if I can list them all. You guys that are not into the astrology are going to get bored. <laughs> I mean, the moon now uh, is in Cancer, but uh, she's going to go into Leo, and we're going to have a new moon at 5 degrees, 39 minutes of Leo tomorrow, Thursday. And then she's going to continue to move all the way on through Leo into Virgo on Saturday, all the way through Virgo into uh, Libra on Monday. But you know, and I, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, I just wrote about it in the Lunar Planner, but... This is the type of uh, energy this week that has been building, building, and is going to continue to build. I mean, this is uh, such a super intense time period that, uh, I mean, this is the Mars-Uranus-North node of the Moon conjunction that uh, I've been talking about for a long time. And, of course, the... Uh, the church uh, came and stole the top of the mountain. I mean, that's what they do oh. everywhere they go. Uh, here's, uh, I'm going to have to ring those bells a little bit here when I'm done with the report. <laughs> yeah, baby. So anyway, the big thing is Jupiter is stationing uh, to go retrograde. Okay. And uh, he has been sitting at the ninth degree of Aries since July 8th, and he's going to station uh, on uh, tomorrow, Thursday, and then stay there until uh, August 18th. 
That's almost six weeks of Jupiter at the degree. I'm going to read the Sabian symbol for that degree. Super, super powerful, amazing stuff. In the meantime, Mercury is going through Leo squares Uranus on Thursday, comes around, opposes Saturn on Saturday, and then Mars comes up to actually conjunct Uranus exactly on Monday with the north node of the moon at the 19 degree, okay, of Taurus. So, you know, uh, the sun is coming around. I mean, it's just like amazing, man. We got, you know, we have the, the new moon, but then the sun trines Jupiter on uh, Sunday. Yeah. And Venus, we know, has just uh, moved into Cancer and she's cruising along with Black Moon Lilith. And uh, she's going to be squaring Chiron on Sunday also. So you can see there's a, there's just a lot going on. And let me look at the camera and talk to you about that. Rob, it's making a circle. Oh, it's a commercial. How wild is that? That's the first, see? Yeah. Oh, my God. All right, everybody. Okay, so I'm giving a couple of talks. I just wrote the Lunar Planner. I'm doing these Paley reports. It's sometimes hard to remember what I said where and to who I was talking. <laughs> ah! We know, okay, that what's, you know, what's going on now, first of all, is the Saturn has been square... Uranus for all of 2021 and now it's tightening because Saturn's going retrograde Uranus is uh, going retrograde but a lot slower and so they will be coming back into like you know their fifth square in October and November uh, you know when Saturn stations and goes direct and starts leaving Uranus again okay so you know, this is like a almost a two-year Saturn-Uranus past future uh, establishment uh, rebel. Uh, you know, it, it really going against you know red and blue, however you want to look at it. Uh, you know, the, the new versus the old, the uh, the the patriarchs versus uh, you know the the new paradigm. I mean, it's it's been. Uh, going on, creating a lot of tension for a long time. But now Mars comes around, and Mars conjoined with Saturn, okay, uh, last April, in the first week of April. And remember I talked about that? It was Saturn square the moon's nodes, and it was a time of we needed to be grow, we needed to grow up, we needed to mature, we need to get self-discipline, self-control, we needed to make a commitment to like really bringing in the new paradigm and, you know, get tough, break free from the past, blah, 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 blah. So that was kind of the seed that was sown with Mars conjunct Saturn. Now Mars cruises through Pisces, through Aries, into Taurus, and joins with Uranus on the North Node in independent, self-sufficient, grounded, natural expression of Taurus, the bull. Fertility, 
physicality, sensuousness, comfort in our bodies, in this world, okay? And what is, you know, Uranus is, I associate Uranus with the third eye, the sixth chakra. And now we've got Mercury coming around. Mercury is the lower octave of Uranus, rules the fifth chakra. We got a lot of powerful mind. That's what the mantra is about this week. Okay, you know, and the song for this week is Mind Games, <laughs> you know, by the Beatles. I, yeah, I just, you know, it's just what comes up for me. Okay, but it's mind over matter. It is the power of our mind to visualize, to organize, and to really come into bringing, birthing, our ideal self, who we want to be, who we think we are, who are the best version of ourselves. Mercury and the sun moving through Leo. Yeah. Creative self-expression. And last week, I know I talked about opposition, that we're going to get opposition to this, right? Like, you know, who wants us to be ourselves? God forbid. <laughs> Everybody wants you to be what they want you to be instead of you letting you just be who you are. We got the church. It's <laughs> a good example of that. Anyway, so now this Mars, you know, Mars, you know, this masculine, I want, I do, I am, I'm the warrior, I charge, combined with Uranus, the rebel. Okay, on that north node of the moon, this is, this is, you know, this is like uh, Hercules riding the lion into, you know, uh, you know, with his spear. I mean, this is like charge. We could see some violence, hear about some violence, okay, you know. Sometimes birth is a violent act. Sometimes death is a violent act. I mean, it's a, it's a breaking through. It's a breaking out. It's a breaking free. It is a... And what? It's square to Saturn, right? And Mercury comes in to oppose Saturn. The sun is coming in to oppose Saturn. So we've got this T-square going on uh, amidst, of course, the north node of the moon is one. You know, the north node of the moon has to do with emotional. It's the moon. So we've got this emotional energy mixed with this fiery, hot Mars energy mixed with this laser beam rebellious energy of Uranus. <laughs> this is an explosive time. It is an explosive week. And it's going to go one of two ways, I would say. Yes. One is that we embrace and we become Uranus. Mars. North Node. We step in and we rebirth ourselves as beautiful, powerful, peaceful, loving Buddhas. <laughs> yeah. Boom. Uh, the highest frequency, the highest manifestation, okay, of this fixed energy, and which is actually part of the problem. This is part of the fixed cross. This is Scorpio Taurus, uh, you know, with Leo Aquarius. 
these are the four fixed signs. They're, they're even in the Bible, uh, you know, so much as, you know, uh, the bull, the eagle, the lion, and the water bearer. Yes, the man. Um, this fixed cross is stubborn. So when Mars Uranus North Node comes in and says, we can see that it is a deep, solid earth. I mean, it's a, it's it's like a bulldozer coming in. Okay, this isn't a breeze blowing by. Okay, this isn't a wave washing over us. Okay, this is a mountain getting moved. <laughs> you, know, you see what I mean? This is Taurus the bull. Whoa. With Leo, the mighty lion that wants to roar. So this is a week to roar. So the plus side is that we stay in this heart space and we remain in a place of patience and maturity and just move along in a chilled way, breathing and not getting caught up in the tumultuous tornado, okay, you know, or, you know, the tumultuous earthquake or volcano that can also be uh, explained or symbolized, you know, with these, with these astrological indications. Um, because the downside, the negative side, is that, yeah, this can get very violent, very dark by people who are impatient, they are irritated, they are angry, they've been under a lot of tension and stress for, like I said, a year and a half, and they've had enough, and they've had it up to here, and they've reached their, as as much as they're going to take, they're going to take, and so this can also be a time, Uranus is the planet of extremes, of sudden extreme erratic destabilization where things get very shaky very unstable and this lightning strikes and you know this group rebels against that group and then this, this group tries to hold that group back and the oppressors you know try to oppress the oppressed and the oppressed try to rebel against the oppressors and the victims rise and the perpetrators descend and Mars is the god of war, man. So Mercury was square Mars, Mars square Saturn, Mars conjunct Uranus. Uh, I mean, this is this is really wow. But like I say, this is in the big social picture. We can see social revolution and social change being called for. Saturn in Aquarius, yeah. But on a personal level. In our personal lives, with our jobs, our relationships, our families, our friends. This just really personally symbolizes that each and every one of us is a unique, lovable being. And our uniqueness wants to shine. And we are each Uranus. We are all eccentric. We are all bizarre. We are all funky donkey in one way or the other. I got my little tie-dye shirt on. <laughs> you know, 
did up my nails, you know, to celebrate Uranus <laughs> on my birthday. This is my birthday. The birthday was uh, a couple of days ago, you know, and it's just like, let's birth a new me. Yeah, this is a, this is a great time. Change your hairstyle, change your wardrobe, change your friends, uh, change your job. This, it's change. Anything in your life that is not reflecting, okay, your core essential truth, get rid of it. South Node in Scorpio, let go. Goodbye. And step into and do a little ditty, do a little dance, make a little love, get down tonight, okay, with your new Leo. <laughs> That'll be the second song. Maybe that's even a better song than Mind Games, man. I don't, I don't remember the name of it, but I'll put a link. I always put a link to the song down in the notes below. Yeah. But let me read to you. This is like super cool. This is the, um, the Sabian symbol for Jupiter. Jupiter who's come up into Aries. Charge, go, start, begin. And then it goes, uh oh, I got to go back to Neptune. I got to go back to Pisces. There's a little bit of the dream, or I need to dream another part of the dream, or I forgot some of the dream. <laughs> I got to go back into the dream, okay, for a little bit. It's going to spend a couple of months uh, back in Pisces. Uh, I think it's uh, like October, November, and then December. It's going to come back into Aries again with even more power. I mean, like I said, you know, we are on the cusp of change. And there are forces resisting that change. And these forces will self-destruct over a period of time. But the more that we engage actively manifesting what we seek and want to bring to earth, the less damage and the less pain they will inflict prior to their departure. <laughs> so, uh, so Jupiter is sitting here, like I said, you know, for like six weeks on this, on this degree. Yeah. A crystal gazer. The development of an inner realization of organic wholeness. Is this not perfect for Mars, Uranus, North Node, conjunction, Taurus, the sign of organic wholeness? And this is Jupiter and Aries, the ninth degree of Aries. The crystal sphere symbolizes wholeness. Within the sphere, images take form. These images may reveal future events, but more significantly, they picture the situation as a whole. The situation which the clairvoyant is meant to interpret. The nascent mental faculties operating through still dominant emotions act as a centralizing and whole-making power. What the intelligence perceives in its concentration is the function of every inner impulse and outer events in the open field of a personality still unclouded 
by egoism. This is the stage required for the development of individualized consciousness. Concentrated attention. So do not be distracted by headlines and by, you know, scary threats or articles or, you know, people going on saying about the world, this is the end and it's all over and the world is falling apart. And so, you know, there was this mass, you know, shooting or this, you know, there's going to be all kinds of, uh, you know, distractions. But our job is to have concentrated attention on the only thing that we can really take full responsibility, and that is the true highest manifestation of the best version of I, me, my. Yeah? If every one of us just became the best version of ourselves, all, all the, you know, the dream that we're dreaming would be altered permanently. So let's, rather than focus on changing the dream, change the dreamer. And the dream will change. Yeah? It goes from the inside out, not the outside in. Ideally, you can do both at the same time. <laughs> you don't just sit at home meditate. You can also, you know, speak your truth. Display. Be a model. Be an example of your truth. So the, uh, the, the mantra for this week is mind over matter is the name of the game. I'm now playing on planet Earth. Mind over matter. Focus, concentrated attention. Bam. For nothing will stop the new spirit in me that's prepared and is ready to birth. Leo. Let's birth the new me, birth the new us, birth the new reality, the new potential paradigm. Ow! Yeah, baby! <laughs> this is, you get it? Mercury, opposite Saturn, square, Mars, Uranus, da 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 da. Okay, one more time. You got it? Mind over matter is the name of the game. I'm now playing on planet Earth. For nothing will stop the new spirit in me that's prepared and ready to birth. May you, in all of your Leo fashion, birth the most awesome, amazing version of yourself through a focused, attentive, conscious, yeah, ego, I would say, you know, this is like making, like the ego conscious of your soul, unconscious, and merging those two together. Namaste, aloha, so much fun, dancing, singing, loving, enjoying yourself nature, this planet, your body, the world, and 
Have a good tourist time. Ciao, ciao. Talking stick to you, Richard. All right, thank you very much. So, uh, while we were listening to him, I, I got a, I got an impression to uh, do a chart for eighty-four years ago. Oh. The last time Uranus was in Taurus. That takes us to 1938. And so I'm, right now I'm looking at the chart for March 21st, 1938. The sun is in one degree Aries. Saturn is at 8. Venus is at 12. Mercury is at 14, all in Aries. And Mars is at 7. Taurus, and Uranus is at 12 Taurus. So we ha- we have this. This is a, basically it's half a half a Pluto cycle. Pluto is at 28 Cancer. All right, right now it's in 28 Capricorn. But 84 years ago, it was in 28 Cancer. And with square, Mars conjunct Uranus and Taurus at 7 and 12. So it it feels like, and you know me, I don't often use my, talk about my feelings, but I'm going to use the higher octave of my feelings, my intuition. My intuition tells me that we're in a similar condition. Mm-hmm. To 1938, with lots of what happened that time? What happened that time? Remind me again. In 1938. Yeah, Uranus and Taurus conjunct Mars, Uh square Pluto in 28 Capricorn, and square Jupiter. In 22 Aquarius. Wow. That's very similar. Yeah. And the other thing was that World War One was on the table. Two, I mean. Well, well yeah. Yeah, Hitler, Hitler and his cronies. Right. We're starting their genocide and, and, and their destruction and, and all their all their crap. Yeah, and see, this is what you just got through saying a little bit earlier, that they have got to go. These guys in the Republican Party are all, you might say, Hitlerians, studying, studying it her whole lives to do it. 
Well, it's the problem. It's the problem of materialistic pursuits of luxury. Yep. And and the way the way the system is not kind and loving, driving us more and more of us into abject poverty, food insecurity, right. famine. So anyway, yeah, it's, it's, we're, we apparently, well, see, you know, apparently uh, we, we learned a lot of lessons, right? Things, things were different in the, in, in 1950s, late forties and fifties. We had, we had made a, a, a righteous battle against the evil ones. And but we didn't we didn't get them off the planet. They're still on the planet. There's still a terrible infection. Yes. So anyway, that was my intuitional insight of the night. Thank you, Richard. Well, let's see what uh, Sister Tanya Gabrielle has to say about all of this. All right. And then we'll have a little something time less, just a little bit left at the end. There we go. She's uh, how many minutes? 25, right? 23. 23 minutes. Okay, 23 minutes. There we go. Hello there, everyone. It's Tanya Gabrielle, Wealth Astrologist. Welcome to Star Codes. This is the forecast where we look at a very important astro-neurology event. And I say very important because this one truly is remarkable this week. And we look at it from the perspective of rising above and turning to our heart for guidance. So I interpret the codes for you in both the numerology and astrology in order to understand the dynamics, the celestial dynamics that are urging us to move forward and be in a state of acceptance. And in this case, we are going to cover a major event, one of the big events of this decade. You know, the decade started in such a big way with the stellium on January 12, 2020. And that stellium was, was, of course, Saturn and Pluto, conjunct in Capricorn, with the Sun and Mercury, and Saturn and Pluto hadn't been merged in Capricorn in 500 years. So there was a stellium because of the joining of the Sun and Mercury, four planets. And it really set up a decade of tremendous change, transformation, momentum, liberation. And so now we have a very powerful event that involves Uranus and Mars. They're going to be conjunct in Taurus along with the North Node, all at 18 degrees Taurus. And this has not happened in around 2,400 years, so before Christ. This is a really big deal. First of all, anything the North Node is involved in means we are focused on being liberated by being not in the past anymore. So we began the decade with that stellium in Capricorn, which 
is the symbol of the past, and Saturn, the ruler of Capricorn, was part of the stellium. And now we're moving on to Taurus, another Earth sign, but in this case, it involves the North Node, which is the future, and Uranus, which is the future. Uranus is the ruler of Aquarius. Aquarius rules the 11th house in astrology, which is about groups and your future. And then Mars, which is the forward momentum planet. So we are literally lifting the brake and going down on the accelerator. And that's really the feeling right now, because when these three planets come together, there just is an incredible sense of liberation and independence and passion and fire. And of course, it's two planets in the North Node, not three planets. So intuitive Uranus is merging with instinctual Mars to break through resistance. And resistance is one of the key words here because the resistance is often what we're not consciously aware of. It's just basically been around, been gathered, amassed inside of us in a way that we weren't aware of. And now we're firing up the engines and needing to move through that resistance in order to lift off, which is the point of this stellium, North Node, future, Mars, move forward quickly, passion, independence, and Uranus, which is all about exploration, the new breakthroughs, right? So we're using our inner navigation system, and that resides here in the heart. Yes, the mind translates, but the origin of the feeling is purely here. So listening closely is very much a must. Uranus aligns with genius in just ingenious ideas and that inspiration may disrupt the status quo because as it inspires you to move forward, you're leaving behind something which tends to be the status quo, what's politically correct, what has been accepted as a habit or a cultural norm, all of those are poof up in the air. And Mars enthusiastically then acts on what is discovered internally. So Mars conjuncting Uranus creates an electricity, it shatters illusions, and you know, some of us humans sometimes in order to escape pain, go to the dream, go to the illusion, instead of just feeling the pain in order to release it and move forward. So this event, which like I said, hasn't happened in a couple thousand of years, is showing you the true path to set you free. Freedom is one of the key words for Uranus. And freedom is also the word for the Aquarian age that we're moving into. So what are we setting ourselves free from? Well, not trusting. We tend to rely on this to navigate, get answers, analyze, in order to decide what we're going to do, how we are going to approach and feel about a certain situation. And in order to move beyond this and move into the heart, that requires first and foremost a trust 
in the perfectly divine plan. Well, what does that mean? Well, we need to let go of our need to control, which is the egoic mind. And control can come in mysterious, subtle ways. The need to control can come through wanting to get info, data, which then translates into clarity, which is very much a domain of the mind, getting clear on something as opposed to clearing out, right? Getting clarity because you're clearing out and just feeling in the moment. So one of the things we tend to do when we operate from here is knee-jerk reactions. We hear something or see something that triggers us and we react as opposed to going into a place of pure love in the heart where love is the only reality, an uncluttered place, and listening to the response that is for your highest good and everybody else's highest good because it's all the same thing. What we tend to do is react from here in order to protect ourselves from pain. And when we're cluttered, pure love is more challenging to access because we don't trust that our hearts have the most divinely designed access to freedom, to happiness. We literally are relying on all the data and info we've gathered to help us navigate through any painful situations. Once we move into here and learn to trust, we stop worrying. And worry is one of the really important factors to look at because when we're talking about setting ourselves free, Mars, Uranus, North Node, to move forward, we are courageous, we are confident, and we're not able to be manipulated because we're operating from this wonderful intrinsic desire to explore and not to be afraid of the consequences, not to be afraid to be judged. So when we see something or experience something that is traumatic, our minds will try to control through all sorts of remedies. But the only way to be present in this moment and free from the urge to control through the mind, whatever pain comes up in the midst of a challenge, is to trust in this inner navigation system which resides in the heart because the heart has no agenda to control. The heart is your place where you really experience that love is truly blind. I'm sure you've heard that saying, but it is actually true. Love is blind. Love does not justify. Love just is. There's no agenda with love. So really, when you feel the urge to analyze, judge, rectify, take your focus out of your mind and place it into your heart. Just surrender to the heart because you'll feel your way through the experience as opposed to resisting the experience by virtue of inserting the mind in all its clutter. So 
So this is especially important now because Mars and Uranus in the North Node are not taking no for an answer in terms of moving forward. So if you're resisting that forward momentum, it's not going to feel very good. In fact, it will cause a lot of anxiety, more anxiety. And, and this is one of the themes of the last two, three years is how we needed to navigate and, of course, still do now, even more so now, by letting go of that which creates anxiety. So what creates anxiety? When we forget in the midst of a challenge to ignore the immediate response by the mind to want to control the challenge we don't feel, we become reactionary. Anxiety is actually an emotion that is created because you are needing to feel something in response to a situation or just because you are, something is coming up from inside of you. And when we don't go straight to the heart, when that experience is happening, we turn here and here wants to control and you can't control it. So anxiety ensues. Anxiety is literally a trapped feeling inside of your heart. And it's trapped because you're resisting feeling it, feeling the pain or feeling the sadness or not wanting to see that which is going to set you free because you're afraid to move forward. So instead, you get trapped in your mind and become anxious and it causes all sorts of rushes of uh, nervousness and worry that then build because it's all building here, right? You're not here. You're trying to figure it out from this perspective. So let's now move to where the stellium is taking place. It's in Taurus, the other Earth sign. We have three, Capricorn, Taurus, and Virgo. And Mars, Uranus, and North Node are meeting at 18 degrees in Taurus. We'll get to the 18 in a minute because it's very important, actually. Of course, Taurus is an Earth sign, wants to feel secure, financially secure, at home, security in the home, having food and uh, a bed to sleep on. And in relationships, Venus rules Taurus. Venus is about that pleasure, that joy that comes with the security of just living life on Earth. So if you feel anything that is being shaken up in those areas, home, family, relationships, financial, know that it's always for the better. Or I should say feel. It's a knowing, which is here. Feel that it's for the better because your sense of inner safety and security is actually shifting to something much more powerful, which is here. And then we add in the north node, and the north node is a compass. It's pointing north. It's pointing to the heavens. It's pointing to the stars. It represents the future, and it represents what you haven't experienced yet and exactly what will elevate you moving forward. 
So Mars and Uranus being merged with that forward momentum means the blessings are going to magnify tremendously when you flow with that forward momentum. So don't fight the river. Flow with the current. Be current. Be in the current moment. That word is very important. It means two things. The flow and to be present. So you're aligning with this new path and you're aligning with everything that feels destined because there's so much to take in now that all you can do is it, it's destined for us to go through this. So a sense of expansion now is also helping you to create an open door because the North Node feels very Jupiterian. It feels joyful when we join the current. And yes, it can feel nerve-wracking. You know, Uranus and Mars coming together is definitely a stimulating, sometimes shockingly surprising energy. And that's by design because in the moment of surprise, we literally have to go here because this won't even operate, right? Because it is... It is not designed to be our navigation system. It's designed to interpret practical uh, ideas in order to live on Earth in 3D. But it is not designed to be our intuitive navigation system. So sometimes we get a jolt in order to restart this process. So what's been old school, what's felt familiar, been there, done that energy it doesn't motivate. It It's designed to help you feel like you are in control and you're learning something and that's all fine and good, but it's not about change and exploration. Change resides in the heart. So you don't want to swim upstream and resist what is naturally happening. Going against the tide is going to create a lot more drama than you signed up for because the letting go and the surrender is what is truly destined. And in that place, you will participate wholeheartedly in support of the changes on the planet now. So the only thing that you actually control is your attitude towards the changes in play, the attitude towards uh, what is shifting. And the shift is here. It is taking you from here to here. It is balancing the divine feminine with the sacred masculine. That's why Mars and Uranus are involved with the North Node in Taurus ruled by Venus. Mars and Venus are the symbols of the feminine and masculine energies. They are combining now. They are coming together. Not only is Venus the ruler of Taurus, bringing much-needed divine feminine energy into this equation. But Venus is also creating a triple sextile, which is a 60-degree, very harmonious aspect to Mars, Uranus, and the North Node. Venus is at 17 degrees in Cancer and very close to being exact in terms of the sextile to 18 degrees Taurus. And 17 degrees is the immortality number. So what this means is Venus is bringing a sense of destiny, 
that the divine feminine is being reintroduced in a very loving, beautiful, pleasurable way into our lives so that we trust in beauty again. So we trust in love again and move away from needing conflict and wanting to resolve through conflict, through argument, through uh, wanting to be in control and releasing that and allowing pleasure, beauty, love and kindness and abundance back into the equation. Because when we feel those frequencies, we don't even resort to wanting to be dominant and wanting to win at all costs. So Venus is adding an extra beautiful, joyful aspect to this incredible 2,400-year event that uh, really needs to be acknowledged. And you can see it in the chart right here. You can see how Venus at 17 degrees in Cancer is forming those three blue arrows that I marked in for you to the stellium. So in closing, I wanted to look at the 18 degrees that the North Node, Mars, and Uranus will be at in Taurus. 18 is a number of true unconditional love, wisdom through the heart. It is also a number that symbolizes health, healing, rest, and dreams. So it is a beautiful balance to that very masculine Mars and Uranus energy, it brings the heart into the equation. And just so you know, the shadow side for 18 is to be a martyr. And that is designed here. A martyr is a very uh, paradoxically egoistic thing to be, that frequency of martyrdom. So it's not to give up and be in servitude. It is to be in service to love. So there's just an incredible amount of enthusiasm that you can tap into now. Mars is incredibly enthusiastic about the changes in play. There's a lot of opportunity for you to confront and melt away any resistance and focus on purely what's in front of you and stop looking back or worrying about what's coming, right? So let go of the past, the ghosts that are haunting you, the ghosts of the past, and let go of the crazy programming about that the future is going to be, you know, whatever it is you're imagining. That is over. That That is really the paradigm we're leaving. That's the duality not being present. There is no duality when you are in the current moment. We're leaving behind being constantly rocked back and forth, being stuck in the past or, or, you know, totally in fear about what might happen to us. So just be in this place of the inner explorer where you are embracing right now You're leaving behind the urge to figure it all out and you feel this huge, beautiful acceptance because you're trusting in the divine plan. And uh, 
Just remember, you have it all within you. You are designed to be here at this time and participate in this major shift. So you can discover more about how you're designed to help the shift in play in your star code. There's a free masterclass I've created for you at starcodeclass.com and you can literally see how your astronomerology has created a very special design for you in this lifetime to assist and to partake in the shift in play right now. And you can see how others are designed as well, which releases your judgment of them. So have a wonderful time discovering that free masterclass at starcodeclass.com. Have a beautiful week. Stay in your heart and trust. Lots of love. I'll see you next week. We're waiting just a short moment. There's a little time lapse. Got to be there. All right, all right, all right. Okay, I was uh, I was looking at the commodity prices, and uh, yeah. Okay. As I was about to say, uh, gold has been a, on a long decline in its price, but this week it turned around and moved from uh, 1728 to 1767. These are Friday closing prices. And silver turned around from 1862 to 2035. Mm. So, I've been watching and wondering because the dollar has been strong and so that, you know, is uh, uh, reciprocal to the price of gold. But anyway, we've got to turn around here. We'll see if, see if these economic conditions start to drive the price of gold and silver up. All right, now, the important thing is looking quickly at next week. Uh, we're going to switch the squares that we have tonight. Next week, it's going to be sun opposite Saturn, square north node Uranus and Mars. So that, you know, your north node is uh, indicators of destiny and being in Taurus. It's the destiny of the planet. And I think maybe we'll get a little relief once Mars gets into Gemini. But I think argumentativeness will stick around for a while. You know, that's uh, the lower aspect of war is argumentativeness. And and what else? we got a bunch of trines. The moon will be in Sag. It'll be trying trying that sun and trying that Jupiter. So we'll have, next weekend we're going to have a grand fire trine 
for two days in a little bit. Let's see here. Uh, yeah, how fast the moon is moving at 14 degrees a day. And what else? Uh, Saturn will still be squared at Uranus, and Sun will be squared at Uranus. Oh, Venus will be opposite Pluto. So Venus opposite Pluto and Sun opposite Saturn. Not comfortable. Yeah, not, not comfortable at all. Well, that's all I've got. Oh, Venus will be trying Neptune, and Neptune will be trying the moon. So we're going to have a... Uh, That's good. Well, except we've still got this long-running problem with illusion and delusion. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, until Venus gets out of Pisces, and it's retrograde right now, so it's going to be in Pisces for a long time. Yeah, I was born with Venus in that one. So. Yeah. But, uh, yes. Well, it's easy. Well, see, it's like what, what Tanya was talking about in a, in a general sort of, you know, uh, theme. You know, she was, she was talking about, uh, Surrender and beauty and, you know, and, uh, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Yes. Well, that might be fine for the large masses of average humanity, but not for we who are trying to work as world servers. Right, mm-hmm. home. do our homework. That's the deal. Well, yeah. Anyway, I wish everyone on the call uh, a successful, peaceful, non-confrontational week. (laughs) And a a whole uh, new perspective, because that's really what the surrender is about, and beauty. Well, actually, I prefer the word reorientation. Well, that's a good word, yeah got to get oriented towards closing the door where evil dwells. Yes, sir. Okay. Namaste to everyone. I love you all. Peace and good night. Peace be with you, Richard. Good night. Thank you. All right. Rama, what's the number? We've got a conference call to get to here. Seven two zero seven one six seven three zero one, and the pin code is three five three eight six three pound. Okay, we will see you there, everybody, for this next hour, and then we will be right back here at BBS Radio, the best radio there is. Period. <laughs> Namaste, everyone. See you on the conference.
Peter is deciding to do about getting started. <laughs> mm. 
это.
space for we're going to play one piece tonight. It's two hours and 40 minutes and that'll take us <laughs> right where we want to go. Um, this is called What Mysteries of the Pyramids Were Encoded by Leonardo da Vinci. And I was told in my late teens, early 20s that I was that being which has given me a fervor for pursuing the knowledge that this being that I was there with uh, uh, shed light on for the whole world. And so this is real quick, I'll read this. What if esoteric wisdom about the nature of consciousness and reality itself was encoded into ancient structures like the pyramids, this is no longer conjecture, as mathematical equations rule out the possibility of coincidence. Polymath Robert Edward Grant is a wealth of knowledge in a great many fields, and this conversation was truly mind-blowing on so many levels. You'll learn about the hidden encryptions he has personally decoded from the pyramids in Egypt. And how the works of ancient polymaths like Leonardo da Vinci provide the codex to these mysteries. We also dive into the importance of returning to a multifaceted approach to learning. The age of miracles. I'm saying the emphasis is on we're learning. We also dive into the importance of returning to a multifaceted approach to learning. By doing this multifaceted program, everybody, uh, the goal is certainly that. And we confirm it. The Age of Miracles. Robert's time with the Dalai Lama. And many more astounding mysteries that Robert has decoded. You don't want to miss this one. So here we're not going to miss it. Here we go. Let's get started. Two hours and 40 minutes. Wow, what a treat, everyone. These things were hidden by the polymaths. They were hidden by the philosophers. Because to be a polymath is to be a philosopher. And remember, mathematics didn't mean study of math as number, study of quantity of science, right? It meant learning. So poly means many. Math meant learning. Polymath is many learnings. That's all that is. So the doorway to become a philosopher was to be a many learner. And once you became a philosopher, then you got into esoteric and wisdom and mystery schools. So the Egyptian mystery schools is where all the polymaths philosophers went. Robert Edward Grant is the epitome of what you might call a renaissance man. But that word has been overused and misused, and it doesn't mean as much as it used to. What it really means is that he studied so many different classical disciplines, from mathematics to philosophy to geometry to theology to study of direct 
artifacts and experiences in the pyramids of ancient Egypt. And he synthesized all of this information within himself so that he can share radical new discoveries about number sequences and about undiscovered things and aspects of paintings of Leonardo da Vinci to undiscovered inscriptions inside the king's chamber in Egypt in the pyramids. This is a wild and incredible podcast. I can't wait to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. The truth is, is that we're all the master. We're all the healer. We're all the mystic. Give it up one time for Aubrey Marcus. Robert, I had a whole way that I was going to enter this podcast. And then my wife brings out her Tibetan bowl and starts singing. And uh, I have tears coming down my eyes because this typically happens to me when there's something that I've forgotten, even if it's temporarily. And I think in the last few days, I've been very much in my masculine, you know, very much deciding, planning, plotting doing things in a very active expression with very masculine archetypes and people. And as she was singing, it started to reawaken the feminine side of my soul. And as I remember, then the tears wash away the forgetting. And so here I am, and this is such a big part of your message about, and a message that's been encoded potentially for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, however far you want to trace back the Great Pyramid. So this is a big topic to start to enter. But ultimately, let's start there with this balancing of the feminine and masculine expressions of ourself. And then we'll get into all the mathematics, the necessity for being a polymath, or what they used to call a Renaissance man, and so many other ways and places I wanted to go. But just take for a moment about this necessity and this cathartic remembrance that, you know, and just experience. Yeah, that's really powerful. Thank you so much. That was amazing. Um, you know, I, I think that it was not long ago that I heard a great quote actually on one of your podcasts hmm. and I think it was, I can't remember the name of the woman it was um, on your show, but she said that the one divided itself into the two for the joy of becoming one again. Mm. <laughs> and to me, that's a, a really beautiful statement. I would even expand it to say the one divided itself into the many for the joy of becoming one again. That's Emily Fletcher. Emily Fletcher. And mm -hmm. I think that this is the moment in time where humanity is going through that. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, uh, it's not just an optional choice at this point. Now it's time. It's time to really do. Wow. Hmm. And as it look like this, oh yeah, there it is. Here it comes. Thank you. Really do this. And the consequences are at a stage where playtime's over. Recess is over, kids. You know, now it's time to really do the work. And I think. I'll what? It stopped. Don't you stop. 
Okay. A lot of people are looking at solving the problems from a purely technological standpoint, which mm-hmm. all has its place. Yeah. Sure, if mm-hmm. we want to remove the acidification of the ocean through some technology or if we want to, great. I'm, I'm not saying not to do this, but I think the big move that needs to be made is the shift in consciousness. Because yeah. without that shift of consciousness, that's sitting upstream. That's the poison pill at the fountainhead of all of the things and systems that are, you know, across the world. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that we are a society that has become, at least for the last few thousand years, very dualistic in so many aspects. I mean, we've been in this age of Pisces, which is two fish tied together, but going in opposite directions. And thinking that one is the light and the other is the bad, one is the good, one is the bad, and it's this duality perception. And we don't even realize that our own perceptions are driven by our own conditioning biases that we don't know that the things that we think are ethical are very often the things that are just benefiting us in our own conscious mind. Mm -hmm. And then we want to enforce that on everybody else because we tend to see the world as we are rather than as it truly is. And we have sort of lost our ability to empathize our ability to step in another person's shoes and see their perspective on the world, our, that muscle, a muscle of ent- uh, that muscle of um, empathy has really become vestigial or completely, you know, atrophied. Mm-hmm. And I think this is because we are a society that's so stuck in either thinking left brain or right brain, and never the twain shall meet. So we have some people in the world, thank goodness, that you know, are the artists and the creators and the people that are the, the ones that bring joy and music into our lives and imagination and creativity. And then we have the other aspect of society, which is very left brain. Yeah. And and that's probably more the pathway that I came through. You know, uh, I ended up starting off life very much feeling like, okay, I'm, I'm a Taurus and I need to have everything understood in the material sense. I need to understand the materiality of the world. And I think along that path, at some point, I realized that I was too far in the extreme. You know, as you get to that middle point of life, you ended up having sort of a midlife crisis. Mm-hmm. And I didn't buy a Porsche. You know, I already had a few. So, <laughs> so maybe my midlife crisis has started when I was in my 20s. But, but certainly I felt imbalanced. And not in touch with my heart. It's funny that the just as a, a bracketed side note that the solution that people apply in this midlife crisis is ah, I know the problem. More of the same. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> like, so true. I'm feeling a problem. That's but right. if I double down, then the problem will solve. But yeah. isn't that how so many people, of course, sort of try to attempt to solve their problems without realizing that everything that we judge in this world around us is what we will attract mm-hmm. until we no longer judge everything we attracted. And so what happens is we, we start to think of ourselves as a hammer that's always looking for nails <laughs> and hammers have a way of finding nails. Let's <laughs> unpack that a little bit because oh, you know, one of the, one of the guides for me is a gentleman named Paul Selleck who channels uh, who he calls the guides who go, by a name that sometimes is given Melchizedek and this is, but his words are just ring so true, you know, and I'm always, I'm always first skeptical of everything that, that anybody says like that. But he says, 
if you put anyone in the cave, meaning judgment, cave of judgment, then you go in the cave with them, right? And so you're saying what you judge attracts. So, okay, so you, anybody you judge or anything you judge, you go into that place of judgment with them. Then you apply the law of resonance on top of that, which is like attracts like. So if you are judging, you then become in resonance with that thing you were judging. And then through the law of resonance, you are going to attract more of that thing you were judging. It's kind of like what we used to say on the playground in, like, you know, elementary school. I'm rubber and you're glue. Everything you say is to bounce off me and sticks to you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's this kind of concept where we don't realize that the way we see the world around us and all the things that we see in other people, if we spot it, that's a trigger for us. And the thing that we spot is actually what we got. So I used to always say this all the time and say, well, if you spot it, that means you got it. The thing that you're seeing in other people that you don't like about yourself, that you don't and you, you don't accept about yourself because you press it into your subconscious, you, you keep it outside of your persona. Because we all think that the persona is a thing. And when we look in the mirror, that's who the, that's how the world sees us. No, we're we only have eyes in the front of our head. We can't see full 360. We can't see right. 180 degrees. Right. We can see 180 degrees with our peripheral vision. We can't see the other 180 degrees. That other 180 degrees is what other people can see. And that's why it can be so valuable to do what's called a 360 degree review with somebody. Yeah. What other people, meaning everybody, right. everything mm-hmm. and all dimensions and all times can see that. That's right. I don't even, it's not just like, oh, well, my wife can see everything by me. Well, she can see some things. Well, that's right. It's it's the full perspective. It's the full perspective. And and thank goodness, you know, I've had experiences like that. I had a 360 degree review when I was in my 30s. And I remember going through it the first time. It didn't feel very good. It would put me in a place of discomfort. I'll say that much. It was like an executive training type thing. And and my peers were supposed to give me a review. Yeah. And I was always good with the people that were my subordinates and my management teams you know, the people that were reporting into me directly doing reviews. And I always tend to do pretty well with them. I always did well with my bosses. But where I didn't do as well was with my peers, mm. right? Because they would sometimes feel threatened or whatever. I don't know. Sure. Right. But I wasn't even aware of it. That's the point. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know. I went back to MBA school when I went back to MBA school because I, I felt like, well, you know, I was already more senior in my career path. And I said, but I still want to go back to MBA school because I don't feel like I know what I don't know. So maybe if I go back to MBA school in the world of business, I'll at least learn the limit of my knowledge. Right. Right. And we have this word. It's a fancy word. Entropy, which means chaos, right? Randomness. I don't really believe in randomness, but let's just say that this word exists. And the definition of the word is not truly well understood or well defined. Probably the best way to define it is the boundary of where knowledge ends and ignorance begins. That's entropy. Mm -hmm. So it's the zone of we don't know what we don't know. So when it comes to our own personalities and our personas and our subconscious minds, by definition, it's in the zone of we don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. So life, I believe, is about us learning to transcend through this polarized perception of vision seeing the world around us, learning to replace judgment of others with love and acceptance. Because that is tantamount for us to be able to feel the same way 
and look at ourselves with that same love and acceptance. There's two, it's two ways that you can go. You can go in through love and acceptance for all parts of yourself, what mm-hmm. you would typically call shadow work, although mm-hmm. that, that term is, I think, mischaracterized mm-hmm. a lot because ultimately the shadow is that which you cannot see. So you have to have some process where you can illuminate that which you cannot see. That's which the seeing what you, the limit people. of the, you know, I, we used to always say in business, right? So I, I didn't know anything. I, I couldn't find my ass with both hands, right? That's yeah. kind of the saying we would say for someone who's a newbie in a space or category industry. Yeah. And you kind of have to learn that zone or even what the context of that learning would be to be able to reference it to yourself. Right. And right. that is what shadow work ultimately starts off with. Yeah. Yeah. So it's either internal work or external work working on, you know, you hear the stories of, of, different spiritual teachers who have that person that's the hardest for them to love on their altar because they're using the external to Mm -hmm. learn how to actually love the wholeness of Mm themselves as the universe in a drop rather than a drop in the universe, you know, kind of changing the roomy quote around a little bit. One thing I want to, one thing that comes up so many things, so many paths I want to discuss with you here. One thing that comes up that I've noticed recently is, and, and I say this in like the past year or so, but I've seen it actually play out over time, is there's a quote from Nietzsche, and I don't have the words exactly, but, you know, basically saying, be careful, stare into the abyss, and the abyss stares back at you, right? And I've seen people who've been really focused, not necessarily incorrectly so, although sometimes hyperbolically so, exaggerating the darkness, but looking at the darkness, which has exposed itself in the world over the last two years, mm. But they've looked so deeply into that darkness, so consistently every day, every different article, every different way that they can look into the darkness. I've seen the darkness start to creep inside them, inside their own psyche, inside their own. And they're actually in this field, like you were saying, of resonance where their own judgment and what they're looking at is then starting to actually change their characteristics themselves. And I think this is something to be really mindful of for all of us. Like, be careful staring into the abyss and only the abyss for too long because it will start to change your very nature. You'll start to become in resonance with the abyss itself. Do you remember? I think it was Bat. I can remember it was Batman Begins or The Dark Knight. I think it's The Dark Knight mm-hmm. where um, the guy that played Two Face. You may remember this. Yeah. And it was in the the one with Christian Bale. Yes, yeah. is Batman. And there's a quote in it where he says, hope that you live long enough to defeat the villain, but not so long that you become the villain. Yeah, he says that to Batman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he says it. I can't remember who he says it to. I just remember yeah, it's like yeah. this scene. Wow. It's like when his face got you know, half yeah, burned off. Type yeah, of thing. yeah, yeah. And I find that fascinating because, again, it's this concept of, we, we start off and we all have sort of somewhat of a vigilante in each of us, right? We want to do course, the right thing. Which is also based on the hubris that we feel. Uh-oh. Hillshire Farm snacked. Meat, cheese, tree. We feel like we see everything better than everybody else, and we should be the arbiter of justice. So let's get on Twitter and fuck that person up for what they said. No, no, I saw it. know what they meant. I have a perfect example of this this week. I have a, I have a friend uh, who is, you know, super, uh, super aware and super conscious, and she basically posts on positive stuff all the time. And so this guy goes on her page, and he starts saying that she is representing 100% toxic positivity. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's a good one. I'm like, toxic positivity. Okay, so let me just grok that for just one moment, right? Toxic positivity. And and the first thing that I had to do is, of course, I, I wanted to go to his page to see what was on his profile. And the first thing that it says is defender of the oppressed and weak. So this is kind of illustrating my point, mm-hmm. right? Which is, at a certain point, we can become the imp of the perverse, and not even realize that it happened to us. The perverse, indeed. Right. We we all want to be the hero, but don't realize that when we start to press our view of the world on the rest of the world around us, that it can take on kind of a, a very different feel, which becomes one of negativity. As you said, when you go in the cave of the person you're judging, you take on the characteristics of that cave. Yeah, You can't help but be sympathetically in resonance with that cave. Yeah. And what we just experienced, right, where we had this beautiful song and everything, that put us in a sympathetic resonance of heart space, right? Yeah. Which is I'm yeah. still trying to pull myself out of right now. <laughs> Thank <Cool>. you. <laughs> yeah. Get sure. back into my left brain, damn it. And uh but but basically I think we all fall victim of that. We don't even realize when it's happening to us because it's in the zone of we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. You know, there's a there's a concept in, you know, the Kabbalist mysticism in the Zohar, and it's the idea of the, the Sitra Akra. And the Sitra Akra is, is somewhat translated as the upside down, but more literally, it means to, instead of being face-to-face with the divine, which means in the light, in the truth, in the way, I guess if you wanted to say it from Jesus's terms, which I don't know if the, my Jewish ancestors would appreciate me quoting Jesus. And he was Jewish. In this term, he was. <laughs> he was indeed. Uh, but ultimately, like face to face with the divine, which is looking at the light. And that means seeing that all is of all is of God or nothing is, as Paul Selig says, like it's all part of the divine emanation. And so to actually have perspective, you have to see everything from every perspective, or at least even if you can't articulate it, feel that thing. That's face to face. That's the opposite of Sitchaka. And the moment you move into your separate self, which is to shut off at least the side of your face from the divine, that's creating distortion. So the prism, instead of being a clear prism face to face with God, the prism has distortion. And the farther you turn away from the divine, the face of the divine, the deeper into Sitra Akra you go, the deeper you go into the upside down, because the more distortion is created until You've literally turned your back on the divine, which means that you believe as your separate self that you are the divine, denying the set, the, the, the unity, the interbeing, the state of interbeing that you are with the rest of the world. And then so you're in the deepest distortion because the light is not, it's obviously it still penetrates through, but it's all distorted. And I think this is, you know, this is the place we're in. We're recognizing that we've all turned our face from the divine in a huge way. And frankly, for good reasons, because God has been one of the, quote, God, and I've said that with quotes, God, as told by the church, has been one of the most oppressive forces in human history, right? Which obviously isn't the God that we know in our hearts, that is our hearts, you know, but that force itself has actually twisted us and turned us away from actually even the understanding of God. And then now we're living in this reality where, yeah. We're in the Sitra Akra, and now it's time to turn our face back towards the truth, the light, and the divine. And that's kind of what we're all trying to do is bend our eyes back to back to the truth. It's interesting. If you go back thousands of years, I can imagine a shepherd on a hillside 
probably somewhere in the Middle East, maybe even, you know, either in the Fertile Crescent or maybe over, you know, somewhere on the Mediterranean where Israel would be today or Palestine, whatever you want to basically refer to it as, Mm -hmm. that area. And one man saying, okay, my grass is greener, but, you know, when you're there, have you you been to Jerusalem? Mm -hmm. I got to take you. I'm going in February again. But when you're there, it's astounding. If you stand on the Mount of Olives and you look at the Temple Mount, which is called Mount Moriah, across the Valley of Kidron, the Mount of Olives is right beneath you. You're looking down. You can see the east side of of the, the Temple Mount, which is where King Solomon's Temple was, right? And then there's another valley on the other side. You really are astounded by the fact that if you just look behind you, you're at the top of the mountain on this mm-hmm. side. It's all desert. Mm-hmm. It's all desert. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing there. It's nothing all the way to Dead Sea. It's nothing. Then as soon as you're on this one side of this mountain, all of a sudden the climate's completely different. It's like this oasis in the middle of the desert. Now, you can see why people fought over this land because it was about survival. Right. It's 100 percent about survival. So let's say you're a shepherd and you have this flock and you're like, well, this year, you know, the sun's been kind of harsh on my side of the hill. My neighbor over there, he worships a different God. And my God came to me in a dream last night. His his grass was really green. And my God came to me and said, you know what? I need to kill him and consecrate his land to my God. Oh, no. And that's a righteous act. We're talking about since the beginning of time, the most heinous acts that we can even contemplate in society have been started with that line of thinking. Yeah. And the conflation of. I just wanted to say that what they brought up about the dream and the idea or intention of wanting to kill the neighbor because his grass was greener. This comes from the energies, uh, let's say, of, you know, the fallen angels and these beings that were kind of intervening in Earth's civilization. The fallen angels were? Yeah. And not in a good way, though. Not in a good way. No. No. But I was going to say too, though, what they're what they're really talking about here is that the, as you said, the Anunnaki are the ones. They're the second step down from the Elohai. Yeah, they're in the Elohim con, uh, And not all the Elohim are bad. No, that's why. Uh, it's all of us. Uh, from Earth here because we volunteered whether doesn't mean we're dumb it just means that we took on different things Yeah. not only for our own personal expansion and awareness but for the personal to connect with every other personal awareness for the sake of the collective and that is happening big time now and and we keep on Moving on, keep on growing, expand. Expanding is a better word rather than saying moving on. So here we continue, Ron. True God with the ego's self-serving bias and the ego's inflationary tendency to be, I am the only God. 
that's right. So I'm the defender of the oppressed. I'm the defender of the weak. And I'm the defender of my God. And this concept, I think, is what has been so challenging for humanity. Right. And I think it's a it's a construct that's very much tied to dualistic thinking. Right. And I think where we're now transitioning towards is to be able to see more perspectives, more viewpoints. And I think the, the doorway for me personally was drawing geometry. Yeah, I want to get. I want to talk about that. That's I think very important, and also all of the different decoding you've done of all of the people who've been leaving us clues along the way. But just to stick with this point and double click on it one more time. I mean, when Jesus was saying "Love thy neighbor as thyself," what he was pointing to was the true was the true nature of the yeah. divine, which is that you or me living a different life. So killing you is killing me, and so ultimately we have to figure this out and say. You got some grass over there. And they got to look at you and say, like, I got some grass over here. I am you. You are me. Exactly. Let's work on this together. Exactly. Let's fucking figure it out. And mm -hmm. and in that way, both could be part of the same thing. But in this identity, the self-identification of separateness, mm -hmm. separate God, separate self, separate this, then the natural inclination is war, conflict rather than cooperation. Yeah, yeah we, we just lose sight of the fact that I tend to think of the universe less as a universe and more as a you inverse. So if you start to think that because I can't separate myself from my own conditioning biases, I can't separate the lens of my perception from all of the history of my nurture and nature experiences, right? And my genetic code and all the things that come along with that. If I can start to think differently about, can I put myself in another person's shoes? And if they go back then to the same, you've been quoting Jesus. So I'll go ahead and quote too. Uh, by the day, by the way, today is a very special day because today is the day, the National Day of the Rose, right? the National Day of the Rose, which is representative of early Christianity, also amongst many other things. And um, something that's really important about this is this concept of sacrifice as well. And Mary Magdalene's symbol was also the red rose, but so was Virgin Mary's symbol. There, you've got it right on your arm. So. The, and I've been thinking about this all morning about this concept of, of the rose. I've always had this symbol in my mind and I'm a Taurus and I, the bull loves the rose. And the reason why it's the rose that he loves is because the bull's eye, which is the brightest star in Taurus constellation is Aldebaran. Aldebaran is the brightest star and it's the right eye of the bull and it's a red star and it's the rose. Hmm. So there's always symbolisms in cartoons. You see where the bull is always surrounded by roses. And so you go to a bullfight in Spain and he's got the red rose around there. It's all just part of the same symbology. Well, what we all do not recognize is that the things that we're judging in other people are the things we don't like about ourselves. And that this universe is really a universe of projection of your subconscious mind and the sum total of all your conditioning biases. So instead of judging these things, we should learn to love and accept it, which is exactly what Jesus taught. He taught two great commandments. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, might, mind, and strength. The second is to love thy neighbor as thyself. Might have been one commandment. Might have been one. <laughs> Might have been the, one. That's the secret. It was, he's saying the same thing twice. And there's a provided however that. It's like a contract. It's got a provided yeah. however that, Right. The provided, however, that is judge not, lest ye be judged with the same judgment that you cast. 
And the ye in this context, when you actually read it in the original text, can easily be translated just as you said. It might be the same thing between neighbor as thyself and yourself, right? God as well, love mm-hmm. God. Actually, could also mean lest you judge yourself mm-hmm. with the same judgment that you cast on others. Because you, you are. Because you are. <laughs> I am that I am. And one of the great things is funny, when Donald Trump became president, I'm not a Republican. I'm not Democrat. I'm independent. I'm absolutely like middle of the road on this one. So, but I had a hard time when Donald became president. I'll be honest. I had a hard time with it because I'm like, geez, you know, why can't he just like communicate a little differently? Yeah. Just come on, man. Come on, man. (laughs) I know. It's like, 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 and and it's all, yeah, again. And I've met him. I've met the guy just you know, 20 years ago or something. And he wasn't a bad guy. He was actually like a very personable person. And everybody that's met the person says this about, but he, but I also knew Mitt Romney very well, right? Because at one point in my career, the Republican party asked me to run for us Senate. And I said, well, I'm an independent. And they're like, yeah, but we know Republicans can't win in California. And it's funny because I didn't run. And the person I decided not to do it after I had worked on a few campaigns just to see what it would be like. I really, I was on Meg Whitman's campaign. I've got involved with hers and, and I got involved with, uh, with Mitts and, and I just watched the process. I was like, uh, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Like run, right? Yeah, no, sure. thanks. So I didn't run and no one ran against her. And guess who ended up running in that election? Kamala Harris. She won in California. There was no opposing candidate. So she literally just got in without any issues. But I, I remember going to the ballot box and going, oh, my gosh, no one ran against So you. the vice president might be your fault. Might be. <laughs> it might actually be. Jeez. <laughs> what the hell? Or, you know, you're better. She probably would have been anyway. Yeah. I don't know. But, but I just didn't want anything to do with it because I realized it was just another thing that was tied to judgment. And I was it's such kind a of toxic, moving such out a toxic of such a toxic environment, right? And Even more toxic now. Well, I mean, like what we saw in the in the trump biden election was the worst of humanity in many ways like it was it was the worst it was the worst form of communication i've ever seen like like honestly it was was horrible it was totally horrible so as i was kind of looking at that i watched donald get elected every day i'd like turn on the tv and i'd be and my wife would go why are you so upset about this (laughs) I go, but he just needs to change the way he says this. He has it. I mean, what the hell? You know, some of his right. principles aren't horrible, right? They're right. not horrible, but the way he goes about it is just like driving me nuts. And then finally I realized, why is it that this is triggering me so much? Because I am that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had to come to the realization that some of the things that I couldn't stand in him are things I was in denial about related to my own personality. Right. And I had to learn how to integrate that so that by the end of his presidency, I was like, okay, I accept that this is just the way he does things. And I I was no longer triggered by it. And I think all of us, you know, we tend to run away from the things that trigger us and other people. That's why it's wonderful to have opposition things. That's why it's wonderful to have the duality experience, because through that experience, we learn more about ourselves and learn to transmute our negative feelings toward it to feelings of acceptance and love. Yeah. When I, I discovered a prime number pattern in 2018 and I got two invitations. One was to go to the Vatican to give a presentation to a bunch of like cardinals and stuff on prime number pattern. 
which turned out to be the shape of a photon. And literally on a Mod 24, it looks like the exact shape of a photon of light. And it also looks like a cross. It looks just like a cross, a Templar cross, in fact. So the Catholic Church asked me to come out and present there. So I flew out to the Vatican and I presented there. And then I got another invitation from the Dalai Lama to come and teach the Dalai Lama this prime number pattern, right? So I'm thinking now, wait a minute, I've stepped into a different world, right? Mm-hmm. This is not the world I was in where I was, you know, career-oriented person and this, that, and the other in the pharmaceutical industry and medical aesthetics or in ophthalmology and the eye business. And now I'm finding myself in Dharamsala sitting right next to Dalai Lama, mm-hmm. teaching him in his house prime number pattern. And he looks at me and he says, I think one day you will be able to prove higher consciousness yeah. mathematically. Wow. And I was like, whoa, what a, what an epic moment. And yeah. There has been, you know, he has tons of people, scientists, and everything come and visit him. And I brought seven people with me, other physicists, mathematicians, and a stem cell scientist. And he asked the question, he said, do you believe that glass of water is conscious? Oh, yeah. And we said, yeah. We do because it has feedback, it has memory. We know this from DNA, you know. And he was like, okay. And it was, and he was so humble and he was such like an open minded person on everything. Cause the guy has studied physics. He wrote a book on physics mm. called The Universe in a Single Atom hmm. as a fractal. It's another as above, so below kind of concept. And I remember sitting there with him, and he, he actually even told me, and this might kind of be surprising to you, may not. He said, you know, in my house in Tibet, I have the records of when Asa visited Tibet 2,000 years ago. Who's Asa? Jesus. Mm, Yeshua. Yeshua. So the name they wrote it as in their language was Asa, who was from Palestine. And he, and he actually told me of the records that they have where Jesus came. And not only did he come to Tibet, he spent something like 12 years there. So this is that time period between the time he was 12 years old until he was 30 when his ministry began, right? There are records all over India where he visited Jainism, learned Zoroastrianism, learned Tibetan Buddhism, right? And was very much trained in all of those things as as a monk, according to His Holiness Dalai Lama. They have the records of that entire story. I was fascinated by that because when you go back to ancient Israel and you study what was the Old Testament about, the Decalogue, right? The Decalogue is the Ten Commandments. So you you know, you know, you probably know the Baruch Atah, the Naya, the Hedem, and the know all of the Hebrew prayers, etc. I speak Hebrew as one of the languages I speak although I'm not Jewish, mm. but I find it to be a very fascinating language, oh, no. numerically oriented and based. And when you actually go back and look at the time period of when Jesus was born, the language they spoke then was not Hebrew. It was similar to Aramaic, right? right? That was a period where the Pharisees and Sadducees had so much control and power over the land, right? It was ostensibly a colony that was controlled locally by theological sort of leanings. You know, they had King Herod also during that time, who was, you know, pretty much kind of a tyrant, right? I mean, obviously anyone that goes around, and like in the Bible story, and has all the young children killed because they might be someone who might replace him type of thing, 
not exactly the good guy, probably. No, no, you, could, you could put him in the tyrant category. You could put him in the tyrant, in the tyrant category. category. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so what happened during, during that time, you had from Moses on the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Here are the things that you can and you can't do. Right? You shouldn't commit adultery. You should not murder someone. You should not steal. Right? Uh, you, you should honor your parents. All these things that are in the Ten Commandments. And then off of that, you've got Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy that are giving you all these rules. And if you take it to the nth degree level, all the way to like an orthodoxy of you know Judaism today, you can only take so many steps on the Sabbath. You can only do so many things on the Sabbath, on Shabbat. This is the backdrop where Jesus comes in and says in a very Buddhistic Fuck way. that. Uh, love everybody. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that thing you heard about, like, you know, uh, Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, which was that Old Testament thing. You know, that's, I know that was like, that's so, so yesterday. You know, here he was at the precipice of a change of an aeon, right? Going from what had been, you know, 2000 years of Aries, right? Which was about wars and conquering, right? And then 2000 years before that was a Taurus age. So we're talking about 2160 year blocks of time across a 12, you know, period. Uh, precession of equinox, which is 24,000 years, 26,000 on the long cycle, 25,920, and 21,600 on the short cycle. So the closer we are to our sister star, Sirius A, right, and B, we're 8.6 light years from there. Time tends to go faster, right? You see now stars, binary stars go like this. They kind of go through this Mm -hmm. thing where they speed up. That's where we're now heading into, right? That's exactly the stage we're heading into. So you've got this backdrop of total duality. You've got this backdrop of total eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Your enemy should die, right? And without even recognizing that it's not really that God is saying that, it's they think that benefits them, right? They think it benefits them. And Jesus comes and says, no, 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 no. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Yeah, which is the messianic consciousness. Messianic consciousness inherently turns the tables over of systems that are no longer functioning in the right way. And we're once again in the age in of that messi- exact same in the age of messianic consciousness where it's time to flip the fucking tables. It because is. This, the the logos right. of our time is no longer working and a new operating system needs to be applied. And you know, this is this is where we are one one more time again, and uh, it's a it's a different time with different rules, and it's one of the things that I really appreciate about the deeper the deeper lineage of you know of Solomon that goes kind of underground because of the way that there's and and so this actually go leads into the ways and things are encoded because of the oppression of the status quo and the systems that be oftentimes religious but sometimes state oriented a lot of the most potent wisdom had to go underground and that was like a time capsule waiting for a time where it could be actually unearthed and revealed and so it's hidden in the aramaic and hebrew text it's hidden yeah. in, the, in the song of songs of solomon it's hidden in all of these places and now instead of it being carried through these codes now it's time to okay now we need to decode the codes and flip the tables over and enter a new stage, which requires, again, the messianic consciousness, which is comes when one is in contact with their own divinity so that they can actually listen, listen 
to what God is speaking through their heart and say like, no, and all the knowledge and all of, the, all of that is synthesized, you know, been synthesized in the heart and they can say, okay, now is a time where we get to change the game. Now is the Aquarian Renaissance. Yeah. Gotcha. And what an exciting time to be alive. Through my crazy travel schedule, I've learned that I want to travel light and effective. And one of the best ways to do that is to travel with all of Onnit's instant collection. Alpha Brain Instant, New Mood Instant, Hydra Tech. It's super easy. All you do is you tear off the little strip here, you pour it in water, and you get the instant effects of these formulas that we worked on for a decade. Formulas that I don't want to leave home without that can help in the case of Alpha Brain, get you more focused, put you in this productive flow so you can get the shit done that you want to get done. And of course, New Mood to help you relax, stay calm, stay centered. It's the great yin-yang of the Onnit formulas. And of course, Hydratech, anytime you're sweating, working out hard, all of these are available onnit.com slash Aubrey, and you'll save 10%. Once again, that's onnit.com slash Aubrey. One of my favorite quotes is by Ralph Waldo Emerson, where he says, if there were any one period in time one would desire to be born in, is it not the age of revolution? When old and new stand side by side and admit of being compared, when the energies of all men are searched by fear and by hope, and when the historic glories of the old can be compensated by the rich possibilities of the new era, this time, like all times, is a very good one, if we but know what to do with it. (laughs) And I think that's where we are right now. Absolutely. We're at this stage where... All these systems, if you think about the systems of society that are the self-arbiters of judgment, mm. what are those systems? We have government government that basically decides what is lawful and what is unlawful, right, with our court systems, what is allowed and what's not allowed. We have university systems that decide what is truth and what is not truthful, right, what is mistruth. We also have religions that determine what is moral and what is immoral or amoral. These three structures in society have become strictures on society. They all have become self-arbiters that actually diminish individual self-sovereignty on being able to determine those things for themselves. And they don't allow for a more unifying principle of perception that would allow for greater empathy in society also. Because it's not in alignment with their narrative, right? Or with the narrative, the official narrative. This in the social conditioning of culture as well. You know, just like what the Toltecs would call the mitote, the marketplace, this kind of zeitgeist that exists that fosters all of these, you know, social justice things which operate under the principle of doing good, but are actually just spreading the same kind of shame, oppression, hate more often than not. Not that some of them haven't been beneficial and there haven't been good things that come out of it. It's important not to categorize anything, including that, with judgment, because that's once again in the same game that it's in. Everything has its place and purpose. But when you look deeper, you see so many different levels where this has all been operating. And to circle back to where we started, a lot of what I'm seeing and I think a lot of people are seeing is the midlife crisis of a dying of a dying system in which they're saying, aha, 
there's problems. You know what will solve the problems of control, oppression, shame, and judgment? More control. More control, control, (laughs) oppression, shame, and judgment. I had a Toyota Camry of oppression, shame, judgment, (laughs) control. And now if I had a fucking Porsche, central bank digital currency, and massive control, then we're fucking Gucci. No, I do think that's pretty funny. It's like, wait a minute. When, when, you know, the Chinese government just announced yesterday they've got their version of their central bank, you know, digital currency coming out and it's quantum resistant. And I work in quantum resistant cryptography, right? And I was kind of laughing about that because these central banks who believe that the solution is more central control and in China taking it all the way to the reverse level of social credit scoring systems. Of course. But then determine what people can buy and what they can't buy and when they can buy it, et cetera, et cetera. Where they can go and it's just, yeah. it's the, 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 it's, the process is it's going like to how dystopian, I mean, yeah. can this stuff get, right? And that's kind of where we are right now. But the funny part is what people don't realize is the reason why people adopted cryptocurrency was because of this concept of decentralization, mm-hmm. not more centralization. So to your point, it's like more oppression control. Right. And more shame and judgment. And and I think that is what we're all waking up to right now. So we're all talking about this, you know, great split. So, yes, obviously, we are now on the precipice of a major, probably very likely a, a meltdown. Right. Yeah. Of what we have considered to be the economy. But right. let's face it. I mean, when the first covid package came out, I remember thinking, wait a minute, why are they sending me all kinds of money? Right. Why are they sending it to all these people? And this is not, I, I didn't feel good about it. Something didn't feel right. I was like, this is this is nuts. Because when you start adding it up, we've printed something like $7 trillion, almost $8 trillion. So it's over a third of the world's money supply was printed in the last two years. <laughs> and, and you're surprised. If you had a 30% or 33% dilution of a stock, you shouldn't be surprised when the value of each share goes down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, if anything, I'm surprised that it hasn't gone down more. Right. And now we've got this looming stagflation economy that's upon us. Just on Friday, the Fed increased by, you know, seven point seven five of a percent point. Right. Big increase. Big increase. And they're not seeing, you know, any mitigation of the the pace of the hyperinflation we're now experiencing. It cost me 200 bucks to fill up my Ford Raptor truck. Right. It's like in California, you guys don't have it quite as bad here. We have extra taxes that goes on top of everything. But but the point is that we are now on the precipice where we're seeing seemingly all of these strictures and structures on society seemingly disintegrate right in front of our eyes. We're watching it happen. But I actually see it as just an evolution of consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing. There are no coincidences. Mm-hmm. I believe that everything in the universe is totally patterned. I make a random number generator. And yet I believe that the word we say and whatever we call randomness is really just our inability to perceive God's pattern that's there. It's underlying everything. It's just outside of our zone of perception. We're not at the expanded awareness. If we could see all perspectives, then we would be truly ascended. We could look at it the way that a creator could look at it. Mm-hmm. Maybe we are, and we've just put ourselves in this limited construct for the joy of returning to that consciousness. Yeah. And here we are. And here exactly we are. And here we are. <laughs> you know, one of the things that you talk about is 
and, and you, you know, you identify as a polymath, which very much you are. And for people who don't understand what that is, it's the idea of the Renaissance man. It's the idea. I actually took the moniker for my first podcast start as the warrior poet. And I, you know, studied Socrates and, you know, Musashi and all of these people who trained in the martial arts, but also in cultivated the arts of philosophy and mathematics and calligraphy and all of these different things to help synthesize, you know, what Robert Greene actually calls the Da Vinci effect on perhaps the greatest polymath of all time, or at least mm-hmm. that, that's, that we're aware of, Leonardo da Vinci, who synthesized all of this different information. And you talk about this in your show Codex on Guy, which was great, about how we've really, because of, I think, the industrial revolution, the mindset, and all of the, the specialization of everything, we've lost the people who synthesize all of this information together, which is a process that's necessary for the evolution of the brain. First of all, I'm going back to your idea of the necessity of studying geometry, which I want to go into more, but just the necessity to understand at least a bit about everything so Mm -hmm. that we can actually chart our course, because everything is happening in a silo right now, it seems. I think what we have done, so funny, you know, I was at uh, ASU speaking at the 75-year anniversary of my business school that I went to, and um, it was great because... Yeah, here I was at the school. I didn't think I was going to be like this guest of honor at the thing too, which was crazy, right? I would go to this dinner, there's thousands of people there. I'm like, wait, I'm sitting next to the the table, the main table. I'm like, whoa, what's this all about? So I'm talking to the, the provost of the university and she says to me, Oh, you know, we're working on this thing in math here at the university. I'd like to possibly get you involved with if you'd like to be involved. That is changing the curriculum of mathematics to teach it more like a language. Right. And we're working in, in concert with Cambridge University. And I thought, oh, wow, that's cool. You know, I teach a course called the etymology, which is a linguistic way of looking at. I speak eight languages and I looked at math as a language. So I rewrote the teaching of it as a language. Mm-hmm. And it's changed. I can't believe you how I can't believe how satisfying it's been for me to get thousands and thousands of letters from people saying their entire relationship with math has changed. Yeah. They see it now as a language of communication that a human being, I don't even consider myself a mathematician. I consider myself just a human being who's learning the language of the universe right. that I live in. That's it. And watching people shift their perspectives on how they see math, going from hating it to, oh, my gosh, it's everywhere. And the universe is always talking to me now. Synchronicities, seeing number sets, et cetera, and being able to help them interpolate and extrapolate what that might mean for them at that point in time in their lives. And then also applying it to, you know, front and center normal geometry and, and, and mathematical equations and some algebra. It really helps change their connection to their existence. Mm-hmm. Well, if you look at it though, our school system, you know, <laughs> it's like, Oh, everything's broken. Let's give it more judgment, more shame, yeah. you know, more of the same. Let's just pile on more of the same stuff. More specialization. We've done the exact same thing, and we look at China, and we say, okay, China's our competition in a way here in the United States, and I don't really see it that way. I lived in China, but we say we need to focus only on math. We need to focus on math and science in the schools. And they think by cramming more math and science down people's throats that we'll do better in our standard test scores. Actually, the opposite is true. <laughs> Wrong. Guess what? If you go to China, what you'll actually find is that you've got a bunch of people over there that, yeah, that are really good in math, 
But they're equally good in music. Yeah. I remember I lived in Laguna Beach, and my next-door neighbor was this Vietnamese family that uh, was a uh, cosmetic dentist, and his wife was a gastroenterologist. And they had two kids. One of them was, like, 13. The other one was 15. And I would listen to them both play piano, like, all afternoon, right? Uh-huh. They'd stop by about 9 o'clock, but they would just pound on that piano all day and they're playing like major stuff like concert level pianist type stuff i later found out that i thought they were in high school they're in med school at ucla Mm -hmm. right and they aced all their math tests too which you don't find a lot of doctors who are really good in math it's just like you don't find lawyers that are good in math very Mm -hmm. often Mm -hmm. but they're like playing piano and it's because the mind across the mind center in the exact same spot So on the right brain is music right here, right above the temporal region, temporal lobe. Right on the other side of your brain is the the center for mathematics. So on the left brain, if I'm right-handed, center for music is exactly the opposite of it. And where does geometry sit? Right in the center. Mm -hmm. So geometry is right where your pineal gland is. Mm -hmm. That's why when you start to draw geometry, it exercises the muscle right around the pineal gland, the pituitary gland. Mm. That's when you start to build this Merkaba that then turns on and you actually start to get access to a field, the Akashic field. Mm. But in order to do that, you can't be imbalanced. It's like an athlete. You're an athlete. If you only worked out half your body, how good of an athlete would you be? Or worked it out in fixed patterns of movement, like with all the, Cybex and Nautilus machines that came out in the 80s and 90s where you're just in super fixed patterns right. and they're creating imbalances. You're just doing the same motion. Over and over. Yeah. And then you get out on something where it's actually testing your body in, in the dynamic field of competition and actual athletics and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So if you think about that, I mean, it's sort of like the Popeye effect. Remember you see Popeye and you have this big, you know, arm like yeah. right here, like this yeah, giant yeah, yeah, arm, yeah. but then the rest of them look kind of like scrawny and... You want to be a balanced athlete above and beyond all else. And to be the balanced mental athlete, you have to understand music to be able to integrate mathematics. And by the way, our brains work like a spiral. So the more, like when I'm trying to solve a big problem mathematically and discover some new mathematics, for example, I don't try to go at it just by studying more math. I'll never find it that way. I go into music. I go into physics, natural sciences. I go into art. I'll start drawing something artistically. When I can start to bring the balance up of my overall mind centers, each one is becoming exercised then through this context. That's when I'll discover some new math. Mm-hmm. That's when I'll discover some new physics. That's when I'll discover something that has potentially a profound impact. So what we've done is by through this hyper-specialization thing, we've cut all the music programs. We've cut all the artistic programs. We don't fund them anymore because it's not driving hardcore test results. But the fact is that it's that music and the arts that will actually bring the better mathematical results out. And this has been, this knowledge has been lost. And if you go into history, who were all the great philosophers in the Greek period? Aristotle and Socrates and yeah. Right. So I'm a big fan of Plato, right? I'm a big fan of Pythagoras. I'm a big fan of Socrates. 
I'm a big fan of Aristosthenes and Democritus and all the many, many different philosophers. So we refer to them as philosophers. Today we have a degree that you can get, Doctor of Philosophy. I was a Bachelor of Philosophy, Philosophy in Classical Civilization. Philosophy in Classical Civilization. So today in university, the definition of philosophy is totally different than what it used to be. Mm -hmm. Just like the word mathematics used to mean something entirely different than it means today. Do you know that in Plato's time, mathematics meant all learning? not the study of quantity or the science of quantity. It was Aristotle who changed it because Aristotle wasn't as much into geometry. He wasn't as much into the mathematics side, even though he was one of the protégés of Plato. They had kind of their disagreement. He's sort of like, you know, in a, in that context, he was like in opposite sense. You know, you've got Carl Jung and you've got, and you've got Freud, mm-hmm. right? You could say, even though it was a different opposite mentor mentee relationship, you had Plato and Aristotle. Aristotle was a botanist who liked to classify things in narrow categories. Right. Right. So phylotypes, right? Very, very narrow categories for plants, flora and fauna. Well, you've got Plato who says, oh, all is number. Yeah. He was, he was the mystic. Same with Jung, more of the mystic. Yeah. He's like, you know, I went in this cave and it was like allegory of the cave and I saw all these shadows and, and I realized that, well, wait a minute, there's a whole world out there that and it relates to the realm of forms. Yeah, it's, all, it's, like David, it's like David and Joseph as well. I mean, you see this pairing as well, where this like kind of mystic, wide open mentality then goes into someone where someone wants to just codify everything, and simplify it all in, in this kind of separate way. But would you be surprised to know that Pythagoras, Plato, or equally artists and musicians? I wouldn't. See, philosophy was something that you would achieve and attain after you started to master all of the different arts and sciences. Philosophy was an end result. It wasn't just starting by studying rhetoric of what other people said and thought. It was coming to those conclusions philosophically through a broad matrix of understanding of information, which then brings your brain to a balanced position. So most people think that our brains are are... Radio. I mean, most people believe that our brains rather are hard drive storage devices. You know, it's like I've got a, a, a hard drive storage on my computer. I'm going to pump as much stuff in that thing as I can until I find out there's not any more space and I got to figure out something's got to go out of there, right? Or I'm going to expand, get another hard drive. Well, we can't get another hard drive. Our brains, I don't believe, are that at all. Uh-huh. I believe our brains are actually radio receivers. And the way we learn how to attenuate, how do we titrate that signal to its perfection is by learning how to balance that muscle as an antenna. Mm-hmm. And once we can balance that muscle as an antenna, the only way to do that is by getting to learn each of these, learn a little bit about everything. Yeah. Right. Get a broad perspective. And in order to do that, you have to open up your mind to seeing and feeling other people's viewpoints and perspectives. See the world through a poet's eyes. See the world or feel the world through an artist's eyes. And, you know, there's a great saying that I love to, to use all the time, which is when the, when the heart thinks and when the mind feels, the river of wisdom flows. Wisdom is a result of this study of all these things, a, a lifetime of curiosity. And 
It shouldn't end. You know, these were all guys. We stopped studying geometry when we're in 10th grade. Literally. Literally. Yes. Geometry to them was a lifetime pursuit. Sure. Plato discovered the platonic solids, right? You start going back to Archimedes, discovered the Archimedean solids and categorized all of them so we could have reference points of our thought. This was only achieved. Discovery of mathematics and geometry is achieved as a result of this philosophical result, right? It's not because I studied rhetoric or I studied Nietzsche or I studied these other people. That's a great pursuit too. But philosophy, by definition, changed, just like the word mathematics used to mean the study of all learning because it was the language of all learning. It was all his number. Was Aristotle came and said, no, 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 it's just narrowly the science of quantity. One of the previous podcast guests I had, uh, John Verveke, he talks about the difference between philosophia, the love mm-hmm. of wisdom, versus philonikia, mm-hmm. which is the love of victory. Mm-hmm. And we've, we're in the era now where we're, we've played out the love of victory, the love of being better than somebody else. And, and returning, hopefully, to this love of wisdom and these fundamental principles that you're talking about. All right, if you love wisdom, how do you get your brain to a position where you can receive wisdom and get your heart to a position where you can receive wisdom? And this is, like we said, this spiraling, multi-dynamic way in which we do it. I mean, I had the foolish enterprise of trying to understand how to master the mind. I was going to write a whole book about it. And then I abandoned 60,000 words three times. I tried, I tried this because I ultimately realized after 60,000 words, three times, Jeez. three times. <laughs> That's yeah. A long book. It's yeah. It's a lot, a lot, a lot of attempts at this, but there was no way that I could actually find a point where the mind going back to the mind as a receiver, where the mind was separate from capital M mind of the entire universe. So by saying master your mind, I was basically saying, I'm going to write a book called master the universe. I was, and it never worked. <laughs> of course it didn't work. Yeah. But it was very instructive for me. That practice of, <laughs> of doing that helped me to know for sure my own gnosis. Like, Oh, I get it now. I get it. There is no way that you can separate your mind from your body, from the collective right. mind, from the field of mind, from God itself. You know, you can't separate that. And so in that practice, I, I don't consider it a loss, even though it was a lot of labor that's not going to get a lot of tangible result. My publisher certainly has had to wait quite a long time because mm-hmm. I'm going to be writing a radically new book now. But it's it's these fundamental principles. If we understood them from the start, you know, basic operating manual for the human body, music and breath and and how the, you know, the, the mechanisms of the heart and mind and heart brain coherence and all of these things and how to actually grow. I mean, this is what needs to be applied in, you know, post-revolution, you know, post-renaissance into ground up thinking from, you know, from right from the drop. So that's, that's what, what I am so excited about. Yeah, that's, that's what, that's what happening right now. It is. It is. And people all around the world, like yourself, right? And, and so many people that I've met are building that new architecture, right? And you will be writing that story. I, I see that. You will write that story that will help many, many people because people ask me all the time, it's like, okay, you find all these hidden things, but why was it all hidden? And I'm like, but see, that's the best part. Uh-huh. It was hidden so it could be found. <laughs> 
you know, everything that we experience is funny. It was Henry Ford that said, if you think you can or you think you can't, you'll be right. <laughs> yeah. And we all know people that literally just can't get out of their own way to see the positive aspects of something, right? No matter what happens to us, it can either be the best experience or the worst experience. It really comes down to our choice. Because I can name every single bad experience I've ever gone through at the time I went through it, quite frankly. I now look back on them all and say, it brought me to here and it was the best thing that ever could have happened. And it just took that mindset shift. So if we can help get people in that mindset shift and then start to create new ways, new systems. And that's what I'm dedicating my rest of my life to, right? Helping to establish, I don't want to be a leader. I don't want to be a (laughs) boss. I don't have any desire. I've already, I've founded so many companies. I've done enough. But what I hope to be able to do now is just to help provide a different perspective that might be broad, might be very broad, and hopefully through the lifetime of curiosity that I've had, because I've always been curious, to be able to learn these different things and then also discover new mathematics and geometry. I tell you what I'd love to do, I I would be very happy sitting in my house most of the time and just discovering math. Hmm. And it's, which means that you have to be playing music and, and I have to be playing music poetry. and I have to be reading poetry and <laughs> writing poetry yeah. and feeling love. Yeah. yeah. Right. Feeling from the heart space because the heart is what will also open that up. This is the heart brain consciousness. It's represented in Buddhism by the diamond shape. It's called diamond level consciousness, which then opens the rainbow body. And this is when you have this aura. It's like literally balanced rainbow all around us. We're in full acceptance and full love of the world around us as well as ourselves. I don't think the world is a tough place because people hate each other. I think the world can become a challenging place because people don't like themselves. They loathe themselves. They they all feel like they're not good enough. Men don't feel good enough and women feel like they're too much. Or they're, or we're comparing ourselves to someone else and trying to, instead of celebrating our radical uniqueness as one unique face of the infinite prism of the divine in which our own uniqueness is our pathway to actually see clearly from our own perspective, which is what the divine actually wants, which is to see through our eyes. Wow. We, I want to know your story. Tell me more. Tell me more about your perspective, says the divine. I love you. Your story is the most important story I've ever heard. Tell me more. What do you see? What do you see, my child? What do you see? Yeah, just like a father who really cares. Yes. Talking to, yes. you know, a father or mother talking to their child. What do you experience? I want to see it through your eyes. We are the universe observing itself. We, I understood recently in a, in a psychedelic journey that was very powerful for me. I understood that this is a, this is a very personal, personal revelation. I understood that, um, there was some way in which I was unwilling to receive, receive the love of the universe that was all around me all the time. And it, it broke my heart when I understood that. And my wife was there with me, Vailana, and she said, you know, why? Like, why? Like, why aren't you willing to receive? Like, receive fully. And what came out of my mouth shocked me. I said, it's, 
It's a grievance with God. It's a grievance with God because when you receive fully, that's the greatest gift to the giver. That's where you receive, it's giving back. It's like, ah, because when you give a gift, what is the thing that you receive? You receive the receiving from the give. The giving and the receiving become collapsed into one unity. And I was not willing to give God back the gift of my receiving because I had a grievance with God. And my grievance with God was because I had projected God onto parents, onto other figures, paternal-like figures in my life who'd let me down, who didn't look at me like we were just saying and say, tell me your story. Yeah. Tell me more. They didn't, they didn't say that. Of course not. They're just people. They're just doing their best. And this consciousness wasn't around. So I had projected my divinity my understanding of divinity on all of these people who had let me down. And then therefore I had a grievance with God saying, God doesn't care about me. And so I wasn't willing to actually receive because I was withholding through a petty act of vengeance towards what I deemed God because of all of the projections that I'd made. So I understood that the, the remedy was then to remove all of the, to take all of these projections of all the places where I'd projected the divine and say, no, 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 you know, mom, dad, all these friends and teachers, like, you did your best, and I love you for that. But let's push all of that back to the divine and know really what the divine love is, you know, really what that, what that feeling, what, what truly the true, the true divine is saying. And so it's beautiful. And in that, I was like, oh, well, okay, okay, I get it now, I get it. And I can't say that snap my fingers and all of my, everything changed but that deep understanding was was really potent and you know i think it's we can't help but project divinity upon these figures in our life but if we can actually have a better understanding of the actual divine then instead of projecting it on all of these people who will let us down ultimately because no one's going to be able to be that but really understand what the totality of the divine is i think that's where we can get back to looking at the face of God rather than looking at other different faces and trying to see, you know, trying to project the entirety of divinity on the flawed, broken vessels that we all are. And of course, the light of God is in everything. So we can, if we look carefully enough, we'll see it all. But that's part of the art. That's actually probably what so many of these Teotihuacan and pyramids and all of these things were actually trying to teach us how to do, right? I love how you just said the totality of the divine because I, I went to dinner about a year and a half ago with my best friend. His name is Boaz. Funny, right? I mean, there's two an interesting name. It's uh, from the time of King Solomon and also King David and, and so the temple of Solomon, the temple of Solomon had two pillars on the outside. One was called the Boaz and the other one was called the Jachin, right? So Boaz means in Hebrew, in him there is strength, right? And and you've got these two bronze pillars that went very, very high up for that building, which was this, you know, all with golden ratio proportions and everything. And while I was having dinner with him one night, and and he's, uh, he's from Israel, but he's been living in the States for a long time. And he said, Robert, you know, he goes, I think it's time for you to embrace your feminine. And I said, well, what's the context that you're saying that? 
And, um, and he said, well, he goes, it's time for you to, you've been working and working. You've been sowing. It's time for you to reap. But you won't reap the harvest until you can embrace the divine feminine within you. Because it is a masculine orientation to sort of take, right? It is not a masculine orientation to easily receive. So men so often have a hard time accepting compliments. And that's just like the analogy you gave of someone giving you a gift. What's the way to receive a gift? Well, you just express gratitude for the gift. But so many men will say, oh, no, you know, when someone throws a compliment their way, they'll say, you know, oh, no, no, that's not true. That's not true. Da, 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 da. And that's sort of just deflection, diversion. Yeah. When the way to accept a compliment is just to receive the compliment and say, thank you so much. That means so much to me coming from you. Or to receive a peach. Or receive a peach, whatever, right? We just right. can't receive that from God. Yes. And, and so the thing is, is that we feel like we have to work for everything. Yeah. It's a very masculine trait. I got to toil. I have to suffer. Damn it. I've got to work my ass. Even when we're working out, it's like, I got to feel the pain. I got to tear all the muscles and everything. And then I know that I'm alive. And, you know, in, in my work world, people used to say, dude, you like to take risk. And, and I did. You know, I, I could, I had a super high tolerance for risk. And I had to analyze that one day and I said, why do I like to take risk like that. Not like crazy risk, but calculated risk. Sure. And as I thought about it, I thought, well, if I'd gone into a different line of work, let's say I wanted to be, you know, someone who climbs El Capitan, <laughs> right? Or Mount Everest. Yeah. Would I still take those kinds of risks? And I determined that I would. Because there's something about being on the edge of that cliff. Yeah. If you've never been rock climbing, it's a pretty terrifying thing. But there's something about being on the edge of that cliff that brings you to this place where you know you're alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You sleep on this knife so that you can experience what it's like to be alive. Yeah. And that is a very masculine thing. It's also part of embodying responsibility and providing for family. And I remember the day my daughter was born. Now I held her in my arms. I made it one minute before her birth. It was in my TED talk. And the next day, I was like, okay, I got to get back to work. Mm. Not because I didn't want to spend time with my daughter, but because I had this mantle of masculinity and responsibility just descend upon my shoulders. And, dude, you got to, like, provide. Just like a mother feels this strong urge to nurture and be a mom. Mm-hmm. Part of being a father is to provide and to manifest. So I immediately went into that mode without even doing it consciously. So from that point in time, all the way until my friend sat with me and said, you need to learn how to receive. Mm-hmm. You need to embrace the feminine within you. Mm-hmm. That was like a wow. Because then I realized, you know what? I wasn't good receiving. Mm-hmm. Because I felt like I had to suffer and I had to work in order to win. So it wasn't, Philosophia, lover of wisdom, it was lover of victory, Philonikia. And that was exactly it. So I think that's a beautiful thing. I think today men 
are so confused <laughs> on what's allowed in society <laughs> and everything. We're all like, what the heck, man? The world is not anything like it was when we were kind of growing up. And if you say something just slightly wrong, you know, everyone gets so hyper offended. And I think that that's again, if, if you get so hyper offended at something, that's your issue. Yeah. yeah. The world needs to learn how to like get over things and stop being so, you know, judgmental of themselves because that's ultimately where it comes from. Mm-hmm. It's they're judging themselves. And so then it becomes this vocal, outspoken kind of attack on society where it's not even intended. For me, nine tenths of the law is intention. If someone doesn't intend to like hurt you, maybe they're just stuck in an anachronistic way of thinking. They're not intending to, to, to offend yeah. people. I don't even remember the last time I was ever insulted. I don't yeah, think I've ever been insulted. Because it's your choice. Yeah. But that was just the philosophy and perspective I took. It's not because I was a white guy, you know, who's part Asian. And no, it was just because I didn't perceive it as an insult. And I think the invitation is to, and I think the practice is, is, as, you know, Rabbi Gaffney has been teaching me, I think it's in the lineage text, it's called Simsum, I believe is the name, and it's the liberation of the sparks. So even in these movements of people taking offense and the social justice and the quote, woke culture, if you want, there's a, there's a spark that can be liberated from all of that of like, the impetus for things to be right, for things to be just, for things to become in balance. And there's a way that even in some of these broken systems, like it's our, you know, it's, it's our invitation to liberate the spark from all of these things, like liberate the light from the broken vessel of what's happening, all of the shards of broken glass that are cutting people and hurting people. But somewhere, somewhere there's a spark. And I think that's another way, another lens to look at this confusing time is like all of these sparks have emerged and they've been covered in thorns and covered in broken glass and poison arsenic and they're there but somewhere underneath there is a spark in every one of these movements and all of the racial movements and gender movements and all of these there's a there's a beautiful spark that's there and if we can liberate that spark and clean the thorns and clean all of that then that's what's going to contribute to this more beautiful world, as Charles Eisenstein said, the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible, but it requires that mystic level consciousness to liberate all of those sparks, move beyond the judgment of the thorns and the glass and the arsenic, but see, like see where the spark is. What you just said, move beyond the judgment of the thorns and the shards and the things that we perceive as negative. Yeah. I think a transcendent stage that we achieve when we start moving into non-duality because things come along with this. We're going through a global awakening right now, the throat chakra. Yep. This is the throat chakra is all about order and structure. There's three levels of the throat chakra. There's a self-awareness level of the throat chakra. Then that transcends and goes up to a self-actualization level. But that's where manifestation starts to really come into play. And the voice plays a big role in manifestation of ideas, but it's still subjected to a time continuum. So you don't just like say, I will it to be so, and all of a sudden something exists. When you get to a higher level of transcendence beyond duality, where you don't even judge the darkness. In fact, you're grateful for the darkness Mm. because the night is darkest just before the dawn. And you recognize that the light craves the dark as much as the dark 
needs the light. That both are beautiful. That the universe is happening for us. It's not happening to us, but we have to be able to perceive that it's happening for us. Even the negative things that happen to us in that context become my opportunity for my greatest learning to realize myself, to feel that divinity. These experiences that we have, I look back on all the bad things that happened in my life and I say that was the best thing that ever happened because it led me to this understanding of awareness. Even when it was so painful and difficult at the time. And I know that's hard. It's so hard. It was hard for me too. Of course. I went through terrible times like that. But with the benefit of time, I was able to look back and say, gosh, I'm so grateful that that happened. And, and the trick is, can you see that in the moment? Can you see it can in the moment? Can you be grateful in the moment that's rather right. than in hindsight? And that's the, that's the art of having, you know, hindsight is foresight. Oh, I will be grateful for this later. So let me be grateful for it now. But isn't that beautiful when you, it, when you can get to that stage and realize even what's happening in the world right now, I'm grateful that we're having this darkness because that is bringing the emergence of light. The next layer of the throat chakra is self transcendence. Yeah. And there's a new chamber in the great pyramid above the grand gallery and above the king's chamber. We know there's a void space there. And we, with our research team have lovingly referred to that as the magnum opus gallery that takes you up to the theodorus. The theodorus, theodorus is the name that means gift from God. This is the third layer of the throat chakra and it represents the return of miracles and magic. Let's go. Here we are. Let's go. So this is where we are, but the only way to get to that, and it's also not only a transcendence of duality, but a transcendence of time. Mm. This is when the massive remembrance starts to happen. And you had some people, right? Many people, thousands and thousands of people every day. The more I open up to expressing this truth, the more the world around me expresses it back. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm speaking about this now. That's why I did the Codex as a television show. Because this whole purpose of us being here, just as I said at the beginning, the one divided itself in the many for the joy of becoming one again. We're going through a massive remembrance right now. It's happening all around the world. And by the way, and it's a democ- the beautiful thing is it's a democratized remembrance where Everybody is getting access to this. And I think the psychedelic renaissance is playing a huge part in this. I mean, let's talk about some of this old hermetical wisdom of the importance of embracing polarity and how the dark craves the light and the light craves the dark. And you could go far deeper than me into, and, and maybe we should after I share my story. But all right, let's talk about the democratization of it. I go do ayahuasca. I have one of the most, actually the most challenging encounter with the darkest force you could imagine, the world crusher, the manipulative devil, the satanic kind of mindset that was negotiating with me for my father's soul and stealing my heart and giving me a fake one in return and all of these different ideas. Also, a lot of, you know, playing with my own fear and all of this. And I managed to move through. It's a very long story and I won't tell it. I told it on several podcasts, Rogan's podcast and Fighter. And I've told this story before. But ultimately, I get to the final the final like kind of 
insight with this, which I end up floating up and I kiss the world crushing devil on its forehead and its eyes turn into heart emojis. Oh. And this was the synthesis to show wow, love, cool. show love to the, to the deepest darkness that I could find, show love to it. And in that moment there, everything switched and the light just rushed in, which was a sight, like a small voice. You know what in, in Hebrew they call the lahisha, like the light was just a whisper mm-hmm. and the darkness was a fucking chaotic, just, just, <laughs> discordant symphony of, of energy that was coming my way and just a whisper of the light. And then the light rushes through to create the balance again. And I see Christ come through. I see Christ come through and meet this satanic force. And they're looking at each other. And I was like, oh, shit, it's going to go down. <laughs> Battle of the light in the dark. And what happens? They rush to each other and embrace in a homoerotic <laughs> kiss. <laughs> I could have, okay. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh man. And they're just holding each other and just making love right in front of me. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> whoa. But this, this wisdom, right? Like, I love it. I could, I would have never thought that. I've watched every movie that I've had. The dark, fi- the dark fights the light. The dark light fights the dark. This is what happens. I've fucking seen every Star Wars. I know how this plays out. It's war. You know, it's Jedi's versus Siths. And no, no, no. That's not what the wisdom showed me of the ayahuasca that I, you know, through the ayahuasca portal. That's not what it showed me. It showed me a much, much deeper wisdom of the embrace of the both sides, the extreme sides of the pole. This is the beauty of a mother showing a child something very beautiful about how siblings can get along. Right. And and what you're describing is actually making me think immediately of that scene in Empire Strikes Back, right, where you've got Luke Skywalker on Tatooine, and he's there visiting Yoda, right? When 900-year-olds you become, look as good, you will not. You remember all this, right? And there was a scene where Yoda says to Luke Skywalker, he says, oh, you're angry because your ship just sank, so can you pull it out? So, you know, Luke Skywalker goes over, and he's he's – practicing making Yoda levitate and everything. He's got rocks levitating, but he, he can't get the ship out of the swamp. Mm-hmm. He yeah. starts to get it out. Everyone gets excited. R2-D2. <laughs> Makes a little noise and everything. <laughs> Tries to get it out of the swamp, and then it falls back in. He comes back. He goes, Master, it's too big. I can't do it. And so then Yoda goes over and you know lifts it out of the swamp, puts it off on the side, on the dry ground, and Luke Skywalker's like, in amazement, he's like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And Yoda looks at him and says, that is why you fail. <laughs> right? Remember that? Yeah. And then and then he directs him to go into this dark cave where he has to face his fears. And if you remember in the scene, Luke Skywalker goes in there and immediately is confronted in this hall of mirrors by Darth Vader. Whoa. And it's a metaphor for him facing his own shadow, mm. right? There's some serious hermetic wisdom in lots of TV shows, no right? And one of the great shows that illustrates this that's only come out very recently is Foundation yeah. on Apple. Great show. Right. Great show. It's telling the same story of Atlantis. Yeah. Basically saying, and it's really freaky, right? This mathematician, Harry Sheldon, comes out and says, hey, guys, uh, we're going to be in 12,000 years of nightmare coming up here, so... We're going to have to, like, uh, it's going to be dark ages. We're going to forget everything. We're gonna, our species is going to be all but wiped out. But 
We need to start collecting all of our knowledge and put it into this one cube octahedron. That's difficult to decode. That's difficult to decode. And all of the data is embedded just in the ratios of this cube octahedron, right? Which is funny because it's exactly that I just filed patents on a new compression technology, geometric compression, that uses the sides of any kind of geometric structure for like categorizations, for authorities, for viewing data, et cetera, as well as, you know, you could break them all into right triangles mm. into smaller bits. So you could think of subsets and subcategories of data storage, right? So I was like kind of tripping out when I'm watching this. I'm like, wait, I just filed patents on something very similar to this, like bizarre. But the whole story was put it in a cube octahedron. It'll stand the test of time. And then when humanity wakes up again in 12,000 years, then they'll be able to start with a seedling of information. This is where we are now. And would that cube octahedron be the Great Pyramid? Or at least one of them. I think it absolutely is part of that, no doubt about it. The cuboctahedron is happens to also be the structure that defines light, it defines the vacuum, it defines black holes, it's the structure of space-time. But the Great Pyramid is a unique structure, and I only made it, I haven't put this in the codex yet, because it's not in the second season, it won't even probably be in the second season, it'll probably be in the third season, but... Because that's how much more material we have. You know, I mm-hmm. filmed Codex the first season a year ago in April. So, and now I'm starting to talk with them again about doing the second season. And I would have done it sooner. It's just that I got other things in life to do too. Yeah. But basically what I just discovered is there's a lot of people that have wondered, why is it the Great Pyramid has its exact slope angle? What's the significance of that? Well, the significance is that happens to be the only triangle where the height of the pyramid, proportionally, if I were to take the height and make that a diameter of a circle, so imagine a pyramid that's shaped like this, right? And then it's got a circle that's exactly the same height, right? So its, it's side of it is on its base, it's tangent to its base, and then also tangent to the peak of the pyramid. So the diameter of the circle is the height of this pyramid. Guess what? It's the only triangle that will match exactly the area of that same circle. So this is not only about squaring the circle. It's about introducing the divine. So the divine is the triangle. But the triangle has to make itself into an isosceles shape. right? So it's not an equilateral triangle. It's an isosceles triangle in order to perfectly both square and triangle the circle. And for people who don't understand squaring the circle, just explain that. Squaring the circle is an ancient Greek conundrum. So it probably goes way, way older than Greek. It's probably far, far back in Hermeticism. And it's the challenge of the Greeks believe that for something to be truly beautiful in its design, architecture-wise, whatever it was, you needed to be able to draw it based purely on ratio. That means you have no measurements. So you only use line intersections to be able to inform the other intersections you're going to make. So one builds upon the other. So the ancient conundrum was, okay, draw a circle and square that have identical areas. And, of course, it's not an easy thing to do because how could you do that without measuring anything? You could measure it after the fact, Mm. but you have to be able to do the whole thing without measuring it at all. Mm. Okay, this is an old challenge, and you can only use a straight edge, which has no measurements on it, so like a ruler with no lines on it, 
and a compass, and that's it. Nothing else. Now, what I found is that that is a meditative practice. The, the process of working towards bringing the circle is something that you do to bring your mind into balance. I do it before I discover math. I use it as a meditative practice. I'll, I probably drawn thousands. Like a mathematical koan of some sort. It, yes. It's, it's like, I remember when we were kids, we'd have to go up to the TV and like if you had an antenna on it, kind of like move the antenna and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. our body would be part of the antenna and we'd let go of it and it would go back to the white noise. <laughs> you know, we'd try to get this exact balancing type thing. It's the same kind of exercise, but you're doing it consciously. You're going into a meditative state and you are working to square the circle. And it doesn't matter if you actually achieve the perfection or not. It's working towards that perfection that matters. You're bringing your intention to this place where you're equally tapping into both left and right brain. It's both mathematical and musical and artistic and scientific all wrapped into one. And it's bringing in the balance of gender energy into your frame, into your spirit. Masculine being the square, feminine being the circle. Exactly. Masculine square, feminine circle. But the divine, it's another question. The divine is the triangle. Yes. And the only triangle that can perfectly match the area of the circle and then through that doorway, use the same triangle. It becomes a cipher key on how to square the circle as well. Is the exact proportions of the Great Pyramid. <laughs> it was already known that the Great Pyramid was somehow tied to squaring the circle, but nobody knew that it was directly tied, and it's irrefutable. You see it on paper. You see it right there. You can measure it on GeoGebra, the Google geometric software. Right. It's perfection. And that means that for us to achieve the divine, there's a metaphor built right within it. Because what you find is that there's a square that gets made off of this structure as well. That also is the square of the circle. But where the square has the same perimeter value as the circumference of that circle, it will only be achieved when you see an intersection of that circle with exactly where the square is coming down and where the pyramid line is coming up all three lines will intersect exactly at the center of the circle. Meaning to say, finding the center of a square is easy. Finding the center of a circle, not so easy. Very difficult. So the masculine must raise itself to the center of the feminine. Because imagine you've got a flat plane, you've got a circle here, you've got a square, and if they have perimeter and circumference that matches, the square is here, the circle comes all the way up to here. Right? It, It has a much higher peak. The top of that circle becomes the point of the pyramid, right? right? But the exact line for where that square will then come across the side, across the base down here, is only going to be exactly where the pyramid line crosses it at the center of the circle. So the masculine must raise itself to the center of the circle in order to match the feminine and bring in the divine. And by the same token, the circle must bring itself down where the circle will intersect another circle that would be the the circumference around the base that would then define exactly where the square sits and where the end of the pyramid would go to is in the exact same analogy, but in opposite sense. It's an orthogonal relationship. The circle must bring itself down to the masculine in order to perfectly square 
the circle and triangle it as well. Yeah, balanced unity consciousness, what Zach Bush says, is the unfurling of both wings in the in all of these prophecies of the masculine and the feminine and the heart of the bird holding the synthesis between them, the alchemical rebus, all of these different things pointed together. And we think of the pyramid often as like, ah, oh, some pharaoh with a big-ass ego, you know, just built this thing to show off, right? And because, of course, the amount of labor and the amount of, like, why else? But, but our own mind can't understand that some some consciousness expressed through some people with the authority to do this were creating something, knowing that the world was subject to all of these forces of control, oppression, distortion that would be able to destroy, distort, you know, change, alter, change the text, you know, whatever whatever was going to happen for their own petty self-serving biases but if you created something magnificent enough with the clues and everything baked in when the time was right that would re-emerge that time capsule would become illuminated once again and that's i think a big point of what you're making and and it's in so many different areas where now is the time for the ancient wisdoms the mystery school wisdoms the hermetical wisdoms the alchemical wisdoms now it's time for them to come to the surface it is time for us to act on it and this is just these things were hidden by the polymath. They were hidden by the philosophers. Because to be a f- polymath is to be a philosopher. And remember, mathematics didn't mean study of math as number, study of quantity of science, right? It meant learning. So poly means many. Math meant learning. Polymath is many learnings. That's all that is. So the doorway to become a philosopher was to be a many learner. And once you became a philosopher, then you got into esoteric and wisdom and mystery schools. So the Egyptian mystery schools is where all the polymaths philosophers went. Mm -hmm. They all went there. In fact, you must go there. It is part of the process of initiation. So Leonardo da Vinci went there. Plato went there. Pythagoras spent 30 years there. They all go to the Egyptian mystery schools to and learn in the land of Canaan. And Yeshua. And Yeshua went there. Jesus and John the Baptist both broke into the pyramid. They they both went there. They both studied at the mystery schools. Do you know there was a mystery school that had lived, been in existence for almost 500 years, that was closed down by Nazis when they occupied Egypt in 1944? Why was there a mystery school with the name of Leonardo da Vinci's School of Egyptian Mysteries. Why did that even exist? The reason it existed is because da Vinci, during his lost years of his life in Italy, spent three years, just over three years, in Egypt working for the Sultan of Cairo. He wrote about it in his compendium of his works after he died, which was called the Codex Atlanticus. It's in reference 1336 and 1337. It tells the entire story, of, and it's written not backwards, because all of his texts are usually in backward mirrored text. So you'd have to look at it through a mirror to be able to read it easily. Mm-hmm. Although there is a good exercise to write backwards, because once you start writing backwards, it absolutely strengthens the other side of your brain that's your non-dominant side. Mm-hmm. So whether you're left-handed or right-handed, you use the opposite hand. So it's teaching you that ambidexterity, but at the same time, it's helping you see the mirror of consciousness. Because that's what you start to tap into once you find this heart-brain balanced awareness. This is another exercise to do. But he wrote this letter in forward text. So whenever Da Vinci, because he always wrote backwards, whenever he writes forwards, it's encrypted. 
This was a draft letter, and it was titled, To the Devadar of the Sultan of Cairo, Babylon. And he tells the entire story how he's engaged by this sultan to be an engineer mm. on a confidential project. Right? Well, doesn't say whether it's architectural. It sort of implies it's architectural, but it doesn't say exactly what it was. Although, what he does do is he goes through in very high detail his experience at Mount Taurus. Now, everybody believes that Mount Taurus must be a reference to the Taurus Mountains that are in Armenia. In fact, Mount Ararat would have been one of those such mountains. This is where the Noah's Ark was supposedly, you know, up at the top of, landed after the flood. And he describes the town that he was in, a place called Kalindra or Calendar. There's no such town ever in the history of either Turkey or Armenia with this name. <laughs> he was not referring to that. What you have to understand is that the original name of the Giza Plateau was Ross Tau. And if you read it backwards, it's Tau Ro. Another way to pronounce Tau, which is a, basically a Tau is a letter T, you rotate it slightly and it becomes Kai. Row. Oh. The bull mountain that he's referencing is actually shown to us in hieroglyphics. The original name of the Great Pyramid, among its names, one of them is Mur, and all three pyramids are Mur, Ka, and Ba. But the name of the Mur Pyramid is actually to the Apis bull. The chevrons, right, and a bull. So you see two chevrons and a bull, and that is the original name of the Great Pyramid, which means Bull Mountain. So he was referring to the pyramid, the Great Pyramid. And in this, he even says it seems that they touch the sky, and it's oriented in such a way that it has sunlight on its east and west side an equal amount during the day because it's perfectly situated due north. He's exactly described. It's covered in the most resplendent and gleaming white limestone is how he describes it. And he goes into a room or a cavern within this mountain, Bull Mountain, and the name of that, uh, you know, the cavern that he's talking about is this great cavern, which is actually a reference to the king's chamber. And he, right before you walk in the king's chamber, you have to bow, you have to sort of bend over. It's exactly 39 inches high. It's just one meter high, right? So we're not supposed to have a meter back then, but they measured it exactly as a meter. You, you kind of go in with your back hunched over, and he says he put his hand on his forehead, like waddling back and forth because it's about the same height as a bar. And he had this overwhelming feeling by his own description of going into this room of mystery and fear at the same time. You know, what was he, what was going to be lurking within that place in the darkness? What was he going to experience? Great fear and hope at the same time. And I remember the first time I went to the Great Pyramid, that's exactly how I felt. A mix of fear and hope. I'm like, what in the heck am I going to be dealing with here? You know, is there some like giant, giant dog man going to come out and get me or something? You know, I've spent now 11 nights inside the Great Pyramid. Wow. Um, and I've had some of the most incredible experiences of my whole life. They even gave me a key for it. And wow. we've now discovered every trip I've gone on, we've discovered many, many, many new things. And I'm very friendly with the Egyptian authorities. Uh, clearly really? the, I, I have a good relationship. In my last trip there, I got invited by uh, Dr. Waziri, who is the uh, the 
secretary general of the Ministry of Antiquities. And he invited me to go to Saqqara with him. And we went down these rappelling ropes. And it's a totally new site. I couldn't post any pictures of it because they hadn't even announced it yet. They just discovered mummies of all kinds of animals and dogs and uh, tigers and I mean, lions, rather, and all kinds of different animals that had basically been mummified down there. And also lots of hundreds of new mummy, you know, new mummies that were not new for us, but, you know, newly found. And this place was like epic. It was like straight up Indiana Jones type experience. It was only about a month and a half ago that I went. But I have a good relationship with them um, because I'm not trying to introduce, you know, a whole thing that's antithetical to what they are all about, right, or what they believe in or the way they look at it. In fact, the story that is being told there, the Great Pyramid, is about Osiris. It's about Osiris. Are you familiar with the myth of Osiris? Uh, Yeah. Osiris was killed by his brother, but no one ever talks about why his brother killed him. It's not really fair to his brother, to be honest, because his brother Set, you know, often shown as having like this kind of hook-shaped nose, um, killed him because Osiris had an affair with his wife, Nephthys. So Nephthys would be compared today to Athena. Right? Set would be probably compared to Hades. Right? Yeah. And you've probably got... um, Aphrodite would be compared to Isis. So you go through the Sumerian pantheon had seven gods in it. Then you had 12 in the Greek and the Egyptian and the Roman. And they're all sort of related, even up to the Norse gods as well, Norse mm-hmm. and, and Germanic. And they just have different names for them, Thor, Zeus, right? Yeah. You've got these different names. Wotan is is uh, Miercoles or Mercury or Thoth, right? the messenger right. god. So you got all of this stuff sort of, playing out and the story of Osiris playing out and Osiris is personified by the constellation of Orion. The three stars on the belt match exactly the proportion positions of the Teotihuacan plateau pyramids match exactly the proportions of the, the Ross plateau, which is what we now refer to as the Giza plateau, right? The Chinese pyramids as well. You see this relationship all over the world with these ancient pyramid sites. And by the way, they were all built on the same units of measure too. For example, the pyramids in Mexico, the base of the pyramid of the moon is exactly the height of the great pyramid, which is 432 long cubits, 1.75 feet to each long cubit. Um, when you look at the height of the, of the pyramid of the sun, it's 216 feet. Right. And you'll notice these are harmonic numbers, 432, 216. They always sum to nine. They're geometric numbers. Right? That same height is matching as well the Menkari pyramid. So these are clearly harmonic relationships. And also point to a reality that, you know, Graham Hancock talks about, yeah, which is the post-Diluvian world in which there was an advanced civilization that spread around the world coming from a common source, which is most likely also Matthias de Stefano remembering singing his songs of mm-hmm. Kevin and the dissemination of that knowledge post Atlantis. Or you could assume that, all right, maybe that didn't happen. And this was all just downloads from the collective unconscious, the capital M mind of God either way. But most likely it was actually carried mm-hmm. wisdom that just spread all throughout yeah. the world and said, listen, We've seen the destruction that can happen when power becomes, you know, 
power becomes the operative, which is Matthias's story of the fall of Atlantis, or perhaps just the Earth's natural cataclysmic nature. I think it's just a cycle. Whatever, whatever it might be, of course, we weren't there. We don't know. But it fundamentally shows that in some way this knowledge was spread around the world to be kept and to be rediscovered through the universal language of math and geometry, which then also pointed to the universal truths of the evolution of our consciousness. Yeah, and when you think about that, it's kind of a mind blower because you look at the Pyramid of the Sun, it's 216 feet. Well, that's 25,920 inches. What's the significance of that? That's the long period of this, you know, orbit that we have with Sirius A in years. And by the way, if you just look up right now on Google, how far is the sun from the center of the galactic disk in Milky Way? It's 25,920 light years. <laughs> so how is it all so perfect? How is it all so perfect? I mean, when you think about Pyramid of the Sun, Pyramid of the Moon, do you know what the chances are of us getting a perfect solar eclipse? Would be we're the only planet in the solar system that has a solar eclipse. Do you know that? Do you know how that can actually happen? How does that even occur? Well, what has to ha- has, has to be the case is the diameter of the two objects have to be in proportion the difference between the distance between the objects and the vantage point that you're looking at them from. So, for example, the moon is 2,160 miles as its diameter, same number as the number of feet, 216 for the height of the Pyramid of the Sun in Mexico. Exactly the same. Wow. Okay, so 216, 2,160. We double that, we get 432, right? The diameter of the sun is 864,000 miles, making its radius 432,000 miles. So wait a minute, that's a note A in Pythagorean tuning as well, by the way. So that means that with 2,160 miles as the diameter of the moon, we multiply that by 400 exactly, and we get the diameter of the sun. That's kind of a mind blower. Okay, so, but then is the distance in proportion 400 times also? And yes, it is. The distance on average is about 232,000 miles between Earth and the moon. You multiply that by 400, it turns out to be 93 million miles, which is the distance we are from the sun, the average of the aphelion and perihelion, the largest distance from the sun, shortest distance from the sun. That's kind of mind-blowing. So, all right, so let's take a pause here. So for me, this isn't mind-blowing because I've had the direct contact with my own sources, which again come through the plant medicine path, which I've been following with deep reverence for 23 years. It's my first initiation at 18 with psilocybin. And for me, I've understood and been received the knowledge that the divine expressed I am, which is the outward, the yang expression of creation of all things, the one becoming many, and that the sacred geometry, the divine intelligence, the logos, the word, all of it would figure itself out perfectly from that initial I am, from that, from that moment. So to me, it's like, yeah, of course, of course, I get, it. like, of course. You know, and and I think there's another interpretation where God's meticulously got his little, you know, got his compass and his thing, making all this, yeah, yeah, making it. But it it just flows naturally as the language that's contained within the sacred I am of the all 
of the all mind, you know, of, of the source, right? Contained within that. So for me, it makes sense. But then there's got to be people, of course, listening right now are like skeptical saying like, you're just making up random numbers. And, and as someone who's into mathematics, what do you think the probability is that all of these mathematics are random? That like, this is happening random. Is that even, is that even a possible hypothesis? No. No, it's like, that's why I kind of laugh at that because it's like, no, this is not possible. <laughs> so, and, and if you don't believe it, just look them up. Okay. Look up the diameter of all of these things. You'll find also that because the, the sun has its diameter of, you know, 432,000 miles is why the sun has a circumference. That's the Euler number. It's 2.718 million miles. Uh, it's hidden in plain sight. I mean, literally in plain sight. We look at it every day. But the metaphor is more important to me. The metaphor that the moon is, from our vantage point, standing on Earth, the exact same size as the sun, on average, as we look at it. You notice that? Have you noticed that before? You look at the size of the moon. It's in the sky. It's got the silver color. you got the gold color. But they're basically the same size. Yeah. Don't you find that a little strange? <laughs> I don't know. So I think there's a, a metaphor there about how we perceive the feminine, the moon, the masculine. Right? Masculine being relational to the sun. So what da Vinci did is he put on his squared circle. And by the way, it wasn't even a squared circle because he didn't match the area of the square of the circle in his very famous illustrations. Probably arguably the most famous illustration that we look at today. In fact, the if, Vitruvian man. Yeah, the Vitruvian man. If the radius is one unit of the circle, then the the area for that circle should be pi because it's pi r squared, right? This is you know, radius squared times pi still equals pi because one, right? One is the radius value. Well, guess what the value is for the square? This is 200 years before this number was even discovered by Isaac Newton. It's the Euler number, the exact area. So artists throughout history, again, the problem of not having polymaths around, the artists throughout history are looking at it going, huh, that's pretty, looks good. Not even really thinking that the area doesn't match. It's not even close. Da Vinci was a lot smarter than that. Hmm. If he was trying to match the area, the mathematicians are looking at this is a joke. It's not even close. It's far away. 2.7 is very far from 3.14. Come on. What they didn't understand, though, he was striking a balance between a triangle. So a triangle, an equilateral triangle, from its center point to its top part of it, you know, of its tip up here, the apex, would be two-thirds the length. One-third the length is from the center point to the flat base of the triangle, right? If we take that exact same proportion and we use a weighted average value, so we take pi times two-thirds, the long portion, right, and we add it to Euler 2.718 times one third. Guess what the result comes out to? Three. Three point zero zero zero. Here we have two transcendentally rational numbers through a simple weighted average around a triangle coming back to the divinity of the number three. The trinity. The trinity. Hmm. So to me, the chances that something like this could happen, Ooh. right? It's like. Here's another one. Do you know what the exact point inside of the sarcophagus is on planet Earth? If we were to measure it and look at it, it's at its degree measurement, 
right? So we're going to look at latitude and longitude. The latitude for the exact center point of the sarcophagus in the king's chamber is 29.9792.458 degrees. That's exactly what it is. So 29979248 degrees. And that is the latitudinal reference to the geolocation of the Great Pyramid. Not just the Great Pyramid, but within its 13 acres, down to one meter inside of the sarcophagus. Do you know that's the exact speed of light? (laughs) The speed of light is 299,792,458 meters per second. Holy cow. Did you know that the Great Pyramid, the name of the Great Pyramid, one of it is Mer, which means light. It literally means pyramid. Pyra is a Greek word for fire, which was also used to reference light. Mid is like a mean or center point, the midpoint. (laughs) The mean of light is the name of pyramid, and it's exactly on the geolocation, at which point in time we had no reference to latitude or longitude, if you believe the dynastic building of the pyramid, which would have been 4,500 years ago approximately. But wait, okay, so let's just say that might be coincidence. Let's take the other longitudinal reference. So the longitudinal reference for the same spot is 31.1342 degrees. So that doesn't sound like anything special. It's not speed of light, right? It's not close to the speed of light. But what is it? Well, if you take 31, of course, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be related to a circle or a sphere, right? Because Degrees are always related to a circularity. So let's take 31.1342 and divide it by 360 degrees. What do we get? We get 0. 0. 0.0864. 0.0864. Now, if you've got on one axis light, and you were going to say the other axis should probably be something related to dark, right? Sure. Light dark and doesn't time relate to dark isn't there something called like gravitational sort of time dilation do you ever see that movie interstellar of course where they landed on that planet they're only there for like 45 minutes and the big wave came and then it was like 23 years went by they went back to the ship the guy's Mm -hmm. all old waiting for them yeah remember that how could you forget it? I mean, I, I interviewed Matthew McConaughey, and he tells that story of when he goes and sees his daughter's videos and, mm-hmm. and that moment of realizing that all that time passed for him in an instant, but for in his yeah. life and what he lost in that relationship. Right. So you've got this time dilation effect, right? So gravity and time must relate to each other then. And every physicist would tell you that that's the case because you will have time effects you know, the time on Jupiter is different than the time here because the gravitational effect there is greater than it is here. So what is this reference of 864? Well, is it a coincidence that we have 86,400 seconds in every day? Yeah. And that the sun's diameter is 864,000 miles? Now, if I could make a perfect time system and... I was going to construct it. I'd be like, okay, how do I geometry this shit out, right? I'm going to like make this thing. I'm going to have it relate to the thing that I'm going around, and it's going to be related to its diameter. 
And then that's going to then resolve into every day of 24 hours, which comes out to be the exact relationship of the diameter of the sun, please. (laughs) So now the latitude and the longitude are light and time references. Really? Yeah. So what I'm trying to say is this. The experiences that we're going through are self-imposed. We choose them. Yes. This is the higher order understanding. There's no boogeyman. We ourselves are the boogeyman. Right. We all have to go into that cave like Luke Skywalker, face our fears. It's the internal, it's the same concept. Hope that you live long enough to defeat the villain, but not so long you become the villain. This is the life we're living. This is the hero's journey to the come to the realization that I chose it all. Mm-hmm. I chose it all. And with, the that, biggest, with the biggest capital I that there is in the whole right. universe, so, the, the one big I am. I am. So when I used to get really angry at the whole Donald Trump situation, what I forced myself to do to break myself of the habit of getting angry about it is I would stop myself and I'd say, okay, sweetheart, every time I do that, just, just say, hey, or you know, give me some signal. And then I'm just going to sit there and say, I am that I am. The thing that I was judging negatively in him, I'm acknowledging that I am that. Yes. So then I tried to expand it. It got really funny in my office because every time I'd be like, oh, yeah. I'm like, and then I'd have to say it out loud. I am that I am. So that I would train myself to stop thinking in terms of judgment and start thinking in terms of integration. I am the thing that I'm judging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's incredibly freeing because what it expressed to me was there's no mistakes. It's infinitely freeing. If you, if you follow it all the way, yeah. it is, it is actual freedom, true freedom. It really is. And so I started to try to embody that. And that's when I started to learn how to receive. Mm. That's when I started to learn how to be in touch with my heart. That's when I started to learn feel emotions because, you know, for us as men, we don't, you know, we're told at a very young age, don't cry, don't do this. Da, 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 da. And, and I had a great father. So I, I'm very lucky from that perspective, but he went off to Vietnam. He was in the Vietnam war. And, you know, we all grow up with the path that we ourselves chose. And my parents tell this funny story. I just had my 50th birthday a few years ago, I'm 53 now. Oh my goodness. And, um, I was born in a hospital not far from me. It was more in northern Texas, up in Wichita Falls, Texas. And I was born in an Air Force base at Shepherd Hospital. And this hospital had this thing. Once a year, they would give a silver spoon. They would just by lottery give a silver spoon to one of the babies born. And I was that baby, right, that, that got the silver spoon. They thought it was sort of funny. It shows up in the newspaper, you know, the silver spoon baby is this silver spoon baby and everything. And it's funny because I used to think that I struggled so hard for all the things that I've been lucky and successful for in life. But maybe I just chose it. Maybe it was embedded within my numerology and within my own zodiac chart. Because maybe I chose different things to learn, to deal with, 
And I'm grateful for all of it. I think that's one of the challenges with free will is we're looking at it from too limited a scope, right? Like I chose it is not the separate self of right now choosing it. It's the I, the infinite I, the unborn. The capital, capital I. The unborn, the undying I that chose it and then chose the ability to choose otherwise as well. You know, all of the, all of the choices that kind of move through this continuum of our life and the continued choices of, of the I am in its fractal, in its ultimate fractal sense. It's so amazing when you think about it like that because then when people come into your world, when you realize that it's a you inverse, the world is reflecting all around you and every person you meet is someone you will learn something from. They're there to bring you a divine message. If you will but know what to do with it, if you'll be there to listen and be present for that. Every single person, an Uber driver, a person on the street, some random person you never thought you would talk to can become a sage to you and be a life-changing experience for you. One of the things that I try to express through my experience in plant medicine ceremonies is in the ceremonial context, let's say you're in an ayahuasca circle, the key, one of the key codes, the codex of of the ceremony is that everything in the ceremony is your ceremony. Whether that's somebody yelling, whether that's one time there was a party barge that parked outside in the beautiful ocean and was playing reggaeton in the middle of our final ceremony. Like everything <laughs> is part of the ceremony, right? You know, and in that idea, ah, okay, this is part of my ceremony. Then you get to learn all of the lessons from it. And then if you extrapolate, all right, that's your practice ground. It's like playing sports. You practice a lot of things in sports so that you can learn them in life. It's not about the sport. Sports fun. Great. But if you really pay attention, you can learn, learn the ways that your mind will defeat yourself, learn the ways that you're challenged, learn the ways where you get selfish, learn the ways where you're worried about your stats instead of the team victory. We learn all of these different things. Same with ceremony. When you apply that ceremonial context to life, life is ceremony. Ah, everything is happening as an opportunity for me. Then that changes your whole context. And at that point, you can actually facilitate this constant learning constant learning no matter what's happening the universe is always happening for us it's our perception when it's polarized in judgment that keeps us from being able to see that it's there but as we start to transcend that duality consciousness and move into the next zone and it's okay that the backdrop of the world becomes somewhat dark i mean the thing is, is we don't want to be the hammer that's always looking for the nail, right? right? That's not what we, we have to just recognize that the darkness needs to exist. If you notice that magic, right? Always like I, I was watching this. There's a show now on uh, Amazon, uh, on Amazon that basically is on Prime, basically is called the Wheel of Time. And it's got an Ouroboros. It's like a symbol of a snake that's eating its tail, right? So I'm watching this show. I'm like, okay, this is the interesting thing. I was kind of just chilling out, doing my geometry. That's what I do. Like my wife will watch TV while I'm like drawing something crazy. Mm-hmm. And because I can't just watch TV. <laughs> I got to like, you know, <laughs> do a little bit there. So I'm listening. I'm following the storyline and everything. And they're, they look like they're in the Middle Ages. So they're like, you know, wearing the same garb and clothing from like, you know, maybe 11th or 12th century or something like that. And then all of a sudden, you see them stumble upon this ruins of this place. And the ruins are in New York City. So you're like, hmm, that's kind of an interesting like thing they threw in there. Like, 
wait a minute, is this in the future or is this in the past? And then they end up stumbling upon the ruins of Florence, right, far, far in the future. And so it's kind of a trippy mind concept because when you start thinking about the notion that, and we're all going to start remembering now our incarnations, and we will eventually all be able to experience them all simultaneously, which is a mind bender, mm. right, when you think about it. Um, I've tapped into many of my past lives before. And what's really cool about it is you can start to engage the knowledge that you collected in that lifetime as well into this lifetime. And you start finding things that you left for yourself as encryptions through yeah. time. Yeah. It's that's really mind bending. I had a mind bending experience recently. And, and I think one of the key takeaways here is there's lots of ways where we can distort our understanding, right? Like, mistrust of authority is actually pretty justified at this point, but then you take it too long and you look too deeply into the abyss and then all of a sudden you become a flat earther, <laughs> right? Like, like you're like, nope, everything's bullshit. And like, you know, and then, <laughs> and, and like you see these phenomena and I see these happening amongst people. I'm like, like, we do live in a holograph, by the way, I believe, right? It's a holograph. Most physicists would actually say it's a holographic principle of the universe. You know, it's a projection of mind consciousness. Max Planck said there is no matter as such, right? Everything has is underlined by, you know, an, an intelligent mind. We are that mind. We're just fragments of it. Again, we are the one divided into the many for the joy of becoming one again. And I think what everybody sort of gets stuck into is like, well, I'm good and they're bad. Yeah. Well, the one thing that we should only be concerned about is what we see and feel inside ourselves. It's by looking within that we find and start to learn how to transmute all of the demons and the difficulties and everything. And whenever I see people that, like, sometimes I'll post something on Hermeticism and some will go and, and say, oh, you're you're a Mason, you're a Luciferian. They go on this total <laughs> rant, right? And then I go back and look at their page, and it's usually some picture of, like, you know, a demon is their profile picture. <laughs> and I'm like, Whoa, that's trippy. Like, what? What am I supposed to learn here? Because whenever we have these things that trigger us, that's the opportunity to learn. So there's a learning embedded in this. I have to learn to transmute and learn to transcend judgment and just accept and love. I gave a TED talk on replacing fear in my life with gratitude. That's a doorway. That's like a, a very important portal people can move into in the early stages of their awakening. But now the next TED Talk I will give, if and when I get a request to do it, is going to be replacing judgment with love, unconditional love and acceptance mm. of everybody and everything, even the time around us. Because we all get stuck in this. We all think, oh, life will be better once I've achieved this or once this has occurred. We're placing conditions on our existence right now and calling it imperfect without just accepting the perfection of the imperfection. Right. We're here for the reason to learn. And that's the beauty of life. And it's like, what a great place. I mean, I have a feeling like we all die and then we go back and we're like, damn it. You know, I want to go back. I want to do this again. I want to do this again. Of course. Of course. And, and that's how it really feels. But now as we move into this next stage where people are starting to tap into their prior lives and it's going to accelerate. 
big time. Absolutely. I mean, this year, you know, Bailana and I, uh, you know, in New Year's, we're out in Miami and we said, all right, this year, this year's the year of miracles. This year's the year of miracles. We declared that. Wow. We're like the opening, the opening of ourself to the magic and to the miraculous happening. And we've experienced lots of minor miracles this year so far. And, you know, the miracle is the thing that cannot be explained. You know, ultimately, it's one way to look at it. You just can't explain it. And we had recently last week, just just last week in Sedona, and we've experienced many things, but things that were also in the realm of our understanding of possibilities, miracles of human consciousness and growth and activation and mm-hmm. the ability to channel wisdom, access things, mm-hmm. things that were familiar enough that they weren't miraculous. And there was this very poignant moment. And I think what I was talking about with the flat earthers is you go down this pathway where you're denying the miracle and denying the magic of everything that you talk about. It's a diversion. But what we really need to do is take that same energy of, all right, let's be messianic with the status quo and understand our participation, our co-participation in the miraculous nature of this hologram simulation, whatever you want to call it. Again, it's linguistics, but that we are in the the co-creators of the universe. And there's things that can defy when we believe it, but it requires our belief. It requires us 100%. to be in a field of belief where that's possible. Matthias and I did a podcast, Matthias Stefano, where we talked about in his memories, they were able to do things mm-hmm. that everybody just believed were possible. They could sing the stones into a different vibration in order to help move them. To better create these, do that with their trumpets. These, yeah. these monoliths, right? Mm-hmm. So these things were all possible because the field of belief around them made them possible. And without that field of belief, they were impossible. So we had a very close group of our inner circle, and we're stepping into the experience of the miraculous. And we had this very strange experience closing this final week, this magical week we had in Sedona, where my friend Caitlin brought a menorah. Mm-hmm. It's not Hanukkah. We mm-hmm. called it Vilanica because it was Vilanica. <laughs> and we were going through, and so we're going through, we're giving these intentions and these kind of, it's this beautiful little ceremony around the fire with the menorah. And then we finish and the candles had all, the candles had all burned out. Some had broken, very strange, interesting things were happening to the menorah. Things that were like, whoa, that was weird. Candle broken half, but it stayed on fire in the middle part, even though the top part broke in flame. We're like, how does that work? That was mm-hmm. weird. But maybe there was some wind and there's things that we all explained. And then we watched, there was two candles. One was mine and one was my sister, Blue, who's been on this podcast, that stayed lit. And we looked and they were staying lit and there was no wax. It was just the wick. The wick had just fallen down. There was absolutely no wax. And just the wick of the candle was lit. No wax. I mean, we're looking in the hole, looking all around for wax. There's none. And we're like, this is a mirror. We're in the presence of a Jewish miracle here. I mean, that's where Hanukkah was based. It was based mm-hmm. on the fire that sure. continued to burn beyond the point where the oil was there. Like the lamp stayed lit. We're looking at it. We're looking at it. And it keeps going and it keeps going. All the other candles completely burned out. When the wax goes, the candle goes. But for some reason, the wicks, which should without wax, just burn up. That's what they do. But they stayed lit. And we're looking at it. And we're looking at it. And it keeps going. And we're like, what are we going to do? Are we just going to stay here forever? <laughs> you know, like, what? Because we didn't want to leave. We felt like we we're in the presence of a miracle. Like, what is going on? And then we stay there for a long time. We're talking about it. We're talking about how this is a miracle. And then finally, our rational mind takes over and we're like, we have to explain this. There has to be a reason why this is happening. We see that there's no X, but there must be a reason. It must be. <laughs> exactly. 
the moment we tried to explain it, which was our disbelief that it was a miracle, the moment that that shifted collectively, fire goes out. So it's so funny you say that. That's making me, it's triggering me in a positive way on so many things. In order to be in a world in an age of miracles in this Aquarian Renaissance, the backdrop needs to be dark. The light expresses as you get to the edges, right? In order to get the brighter light, this really beautiful, bright light, you have to have this really, really dark backdrop. And that's where you get that special expression of miracles. And then you'll also get the opposite because everything in the universe has to have an equal opposite pole. Balance. Everything is in balance. Every action has an equal opposite reaction. So now we're having this backdrop of extreme darkness. And what's going to happen is usually that darkness is going to be manifest by uh, a consciousness of fear and a consciousness of duality, extreme. This is where a lot of people in the you know spiritual community get trapped. Mm-hmm. They don't even realize they're trapped into it because they're like, I'm a warrior of the light. Mm. I'm a light worker, mm-hmm. right? I'm, mm-hmm. And it's become almost a point where it's like cliche because now everyone wants to put on their social media, I'm a light this or I'm a light that. But if we're still stuck in duality, we're not really awakened. Right. It's love consciousness that is the fifth dimension. It's acceptance consciousness that is the fifth dimension. So we talk about a great split. Which is maybe the only thing that actually doesn't have its opposite, which is which is love. Love itself, the, the manifest of all things, which is containing the, the everything and the nothing mm-hmm. within itself. The duality collapses into this, into the unicity. And in the unicity, in the center of centers of centers, therein lies the thing that doesn't have a pole and doesn't have an opposite. You found the center of centers. And that, that's also the substrate of the miraculous is when you can find that within yourself. That's what you were talking about. The ring cell stones, yeah. stones that have appeared inside the hearts, you know, and you can maybe tell that story, mm-hmm. but that seems to be the consecration of yeah. somebody who's achieved that state beyond polarity. Absolutely. So when I went to meet with uh, His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, teaching this math thing, it was, it was really amazing because like in the middle of it, we had two and a half hours to meet with him. And then in the middle of it, like some guy says something in Tibetan and then everyone's like running around, like shuffling around. I'm like, what's going on? There's like thousands of people waiting outside to get blessings. And then one of them says in English, he's like, his holiness would like to invite you to stay for lunch. Now he's only done that three times apparently in history. One of them was with Reverend Desmond Tutu. Oh. The other one was with uh, Michelle Obama with a group of women leaders. Right. Wow. And he wanted to spend more time with them. And he asked us to stay. So we spent another you know, three hours or so with him at lunch in in the palace. And it was like epic conversation. I mean, like, wow. And I have to say that, you know, I was really shocked because we were walking through this palace and, you know, it's not like this gargantuan thing. It's like, you know, low ceilings. It doesn't look like this palace. It's certainly not palace looking, right? Nothing like his house that he has in, in, uh, in Tibet that he had to flee, right? He's in exile. But there were these little bowls, yeah. like on these shelves. And there was like a roll of them. I'm like, what are these bowls? They were only about, you know, this size, like that big. And they had these little, looked like amber beads inside of them. But they were irregular shaped beads. They weren't manufactured. They weren't worked to look beautiful. 
right? And they were yellow, somewhere brownish color. And what they told me was, these are ring cell stones. I said, what are ring cell stones? Because I, I wasn't aware of them. And Lama Tenson, who was with us, and he was sort of our guide, he said, these are the remains of some of the lamas, the high lamas, that have died. They get cremated. And then we search through the cremation, right, all of the ashes, and we find the beads that are left over from the heart. Oh, my God. And I said, well, what do you mean? It's like there's a crystal that forms in the heart. And there's sometimes, many of them, sometimes they, they congeal into one, right? And so I was like, well, that's interesting. I mean, they said, yes, we can test the purity of the Lama and what level he achieved in this lifetime. It's only usually for 10th level, what they call bodhisattvas, right? And wow. we can test how pure they were in this, what level of attainment they achieved. And they take that with them to the next life. And, and so I went back and immediately started studying all about this. And of course, then I found when I looked at the Salvatore Mundi painting that was, that was uh, painted by Leonardo da Vinci that has a lot of controversy around it. A lot of people think it wasn't him that painted it. Maybe oh. it was one of his apprentices. But we found all the same, all of his paintings and works from 1482 onwards. So 1486, it was a three-year period where he's gone. From 1486 until he died in 1519, all are encrypted with Egyptian stories, Egyptian relationship stuff. Because he went to Egypt, went to the mystery schools, he put it all in, you know, and he was a Rosicrucian. Rosicrucian comes from Ross Tau, Ross, Rose Cross. We're at the day of the rose today, right? The Rose Cross is Rosicrucianism. So all these polymaths from that period, they were encrypting this information because if they talked about it, they'd be dead. Yeah. I mean, this is the same period that Giordano Bruno was burned at the stake, right? And not... Uh, not too far away from the time period where you had uh, Galileo. I mean, they came out of the Dark Ages. Or the Dark Ages ended. There was a big shift that happened the year that Leonardo da Vinci was born, 1451. The Ottoman Empire and the Vatican somehow released a number from the Vatican libraries, a number of hermetic texts, some of which were believed to have been from the Library of Alexandria originally. But these hermetic texts went all around Europe and became the foundation of what is modern hermeticism and Rosicrucianism today. These texts led to an enlightenment coming out of the darkness that was from a plague. They had the plague right around the time that Leonardo was born. They had this extreme darkness. Then they went to an age where all of a sudden people were in this enlightenment, enlightened avatars. And you could tell because they were Painters, mathematicians, physicists, that all of a sudden sculptures, incredible artwork, Michelangelo, and, and great metaphors. If you look at the Sistine Chapel, you see it's a brain around God as God's outreaching to mm -hmm. Adam. But what is the metaphor here, right? This is some deep, deep wisdom that was had and was encrypted throughout all the artwork. And so that's what we're sort of left with today. Right. And when somebody achieves the ring cell stone, when you look at the Salvatore Mundi painting right over the heart of Jesus is a large amber stone. This is actually what is referred to as the philosopher's stone. <laughs> and if you look at the cross that is across Jesus chest, the cross always representing the Christos, Christ consciousness. There are several eights embroidered into this X shape across his chest while he holds his hands in the position of 
Alpha. He's making mm-hmm. his hand the shape of an A. He's holding the, the glass or crystal orb, right, that has three stars that are both the stars of Leo and the stars of Orion, the top three stars of Orion. And even the reflection of his hand in the orb is the shape of the Great Pyramid. Exactly. And then you've got 888, 888 going across the X of his chest and the ring cell stone right in the center, representing Christ consciousness, which is what 888 is. Comes back to 24. The cube octahedron has 24 edges, and that is the two-dimensional form of a modular spiral if you flatten the cube octahedron because of its 24 edges made of triangles and squares. So this knowledge is embedded in all of this information, this wisdom, is all here. The knowledge of the ring cell, the larger the ring cell stone you achieve when you die, and we're building it, and its symbol is a diamond. I mentioned diamond consciousness in Buddhism. Mm -hmm. Achieving the rainbow body is through the diamond consciousness, which is about bringing your heart. It's like taking the triangle and knocking off the edges. It becomes a diamond. We all face that in life, right? It's like how much pressure has to be put on coal to make it into a diamond. Well, we go through that same kind of pressure through these experiences that, frankly, we choose from our higher self. Now, someone asked me earlier today, do you believe in destiny? And my answer is, yes, I believe in destiny, but I also believe in free will. Destiny is the word we call the free will of the higher self. So this is the beauty of achieving this heart-brain awareness that we can tap in. And then through that transcendence, we can also tap into our knowledge and wisdom accumulated through many, many lifetimes. Yeah. I laid in the pyramid only a month and a half ago, and I experienced that, where I actually experienced being in the consciousness of all of my lifetimes all at the same time. I was in the sarcophagus. I was supposed to be there with a, a friend who is a CEO of a major uh, company in the space. I, will, I won't mention the name, but I was supposed to be there with this person, and they they couldn't make it at the last second. So I thought, well, I'll just go by myself. And I I've spent time in the pyramid by myself several times, but it had been a while, and so I was like, I was a little worried because usually I like to go in there with some feminine, right? Because when you're there by yourself, you're only representing one side, sure. right? So I was worried about it. And so I, I went to the pyramid. It was around 10 o'clock at night. And I always get overcome with emotion when I start walking up to it because it feels like a reflection of us. Imagine your conscious awareness projected into an edifice that each of the chambers is representing the different chakras. Mm-hmm. And as you ascend to higher levels of consciousness, we get access to more and more of those chambers. We understand them more. So it's collective human consciousness. I also knew that I was there for an important activation for the throat chakra. And I knew I was going to be in the sarcophagus for that exact thing. Because I'd gotten that, you know, sort of told to me before I went. So as I walked up to the pyramid, these women were walking out. And that's not unusual. It was during Ramadan. By the way, this was the holiest night of the year. I didn't plan it to be the holiest night of the year. It was the... Wayne here with Bells of Steel, and today I want to talk about our belt squat. Oh, 
the night of Orthodox Easter, so it was a Saturday night before Orthodox Easter. It was Ramadan. It was Passover. It was St. George the Dragon's Day, where St. George basically gets control and, and, and defeats his dragons, Kundalini. It was also the first time in 33 years that we had all nine planets in alignment. And those planets have been in alignment and will be until June 24th. It was also Shakespeare's fake birthday. Because Shakespeare wasn't really a person. Right? We know that. There was a, a group of writers that were Rosicrucian writers that encrypted all of this knowledge too into King James Version of the Bible, into the plays, the sonnets, the works of collective works of William Shakespeare were a group of people, Sir Francis Bacon, Edward de Vere. Um, and this was wisdom that was passed down from da Vinci to Anne Boleyn. They lived in the same house. Anne Boleyn's daughter was Queen Elizabeth I. So we believe that he passed mm-hmm. like a map of the Great Pyramid, even. And we believe it's actually inside of the Trinity Church in Stratford-upon-Avon, inside the altar. We think that there's, we know there's a lot of stuff that's inside that altar. We believe the original manuscripts are in there. We also believe of Shakespeare's works. And we also believe that the map of the Great Pyramid is in there. But because there's a very strong belief that there was a map. Da Vinci had access to it. He got it from Sultan of Cairo, Cape Bay, when he worked for him. But this whole experience, right, as, you know, you kind of look through time and see where all of this has been going, it's all culminating back into this knowledge that's coming back to us now for a reason, for us to remember who we are, to learn, to accept fully everybody else, to tap into this heart brain and usher in this new renaissance of understanding and understanding of awareness. And it's also going to be dark. I'm not going to lie. We were going to go through some things are going to get really, really bizarre. Yeah, They already are getting bizarre. But it's going to give birth, you know, the travail of birth, as it's described in the Bible, it's not a painless thing. We will all experience some difficulty going through this transition. But when we talk about this great split, it's not going to be one is going to be on the side of the light and the other is going to be on the side of the dark. Mm-hmm. It's going to be one is going to remain in total duality and it's going to become extreme duality. And both sides will think, even villains think that they're the good guys. Yeah. When the Nazis basically put in place the genocide of Jews, they thought they were doing the righteous act. And I can give countless examples of this. The Inquisition, everything, yeah, of course. The people that are going to experience the beauty, nirvana, right, and will resonate to that message will be in non-duality. Yeah. They're going to be in a place of love and acceptance. And you mentioned this menorah, the flame. And I want to just mention one thing about that because I think it's related. So we've been living in a world of alpha, right, masculine and omega. Light and dark. There's both light and dark. There's both masculine and feminine within me. There's feminine within you. It's it's not a reference to gender necessarily. It's a reference to polarity. It doesn't matter that one could be positive charge and the other one's negative charge. That doesn't matter because... Which way does the Earth spin? The Earth spins counterclockwise when you look at it from the top, but it spins clockwise when you look at it from the bottom. It's not one is better than the other. No one's better than anyone else. That's the beauty of this. The new consciousness we're moving into is away from yin, yang, alpha, omega, light, dark, into a trifold, which is 
Alpha. Okay, who do we have here? Rainbird. Mm. Yeah, for, for, are you finished? Is this done? Oh, no. Playing? Okay, that's the secret. Rainbird's with us, Rama. Okay, turn it back on real quick. It's going to be real close to the end, I mean, of the timing, Lady Master. Thank you. I'm sorry. We're so glad you're with us. Okay, go ahead, Mama. I, Omega. The Christ consciousness is about non-judgment. It's the X. The center of centers. The Christos. The center, X marks the spot. That's what we're moving into now. And it is the sheen in Hebrew. So you've seen Yahweh, right? The Hebrew writing of Yahweh, which is actually also a math equation. It's pi to the seventh power divided by pi times seven. And that's how you write the Hebrew letters of it. Comes out to be 137. That is the exact boundary of light and darkness. It's a math equation. It's pretty, that's kind of a mind blower. But when you think of it in those terms and you say, okay, what are we missing? There's a little letter that goes in the middle and it looks like three fingers, right? Uh, it also can look like this. Right. This is the old Nanu Nanu from Spock. Right. And Spock also like live long and prosper type thing. Well, what does this thing represent? This is the sheen in Hebrew. The sheen represents the flame, the spirit. So when you put it in the middle, it goes from Yahweh, right, to Yeshua. It's the Christ consciousness. It's the yin, shin, yang. It's the threefold. Now, it's no longer just red and blue. It's green in the middle. Mm. That is where this great split, people that choose to resonate with that path, non-dual, replacing judgment with love and acceptance, they will find this beautiful existence, realizing that everything that's happening for them is happening for their greatest benefit. And it's a, a place of bliss. It's an experience of bliss and love because you know, you know, it's like, let's say you lived in a game. The game could be a freaking hell if you didn't know that it was a game. And we love games like that. Those are our favorite games. Then the monsters everywhere. (laughs) The moment you realize that it's a game for your benefit, for you to grow and expand, to achieve higher states of awareness and consciousness, to learn to love yourself and everybody else. It changes the context of everything. It's no longer I'm trapped in this cage. You know, I'm in I'm in this escape room called Earth. How do I get off this place? Right? Oh my God! Everyone's against me. It's a conspiracy. This a conspiracy. That. It's the Archons. It's the da 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 da. It's the Greys. It's whatever the hell it is. Right? Once you transcend that way of thinking and think, what is it that I wanted for myself next? Like, bring it on, universe. This is what I'm here to experience. It changes everything. And it's such a, it makes your entire existence a beautiful one. And what you start noticing is that everything starts to, it really does start becoming easier because you're no longer judging all the stuff. So you're not experiencing the same cycles of samsara over and over again. And this is what I call monadicity. Hmm. You said unicity, right? Or unity. Monadicity. And I found the way to express it mathematically. And I'm presenting it at, uh, at Disclosure Fest, uh, this weekend. This next, on next Saturday night, uh, to a very large group of people for this. And monadicity 
is actually finding that every one of us has a golden ratio. We all, everyone, no one's any better than anyone else in this world. No one is any better than anyone else in this world. They're all just reflections of you, and they're all divine emanations of you. When we embrace that context, and we can actually see it, that the conscious mind that we call our persona is able to perceive the unconscious that is the you inverse, the world around you. And those two can multiply by each other to become the number one. Literally, it's X and one over X. Everything. We all have a number. This is our reflection. This is our absorption. Or this is the reflection, and we are its absorption. This is a very beautiful thing to realize because then everything happens for the highest benefit. And there are no mistakes. I used to worry about making mistakes, not living up to my life path, not living up to the things that I was talented with, all the things that I was given as gifts. I don't know what you're talking about. Never felt that. (laughs) Every fucking day. Every fucking day. Every day, right? But now, with this knowledge, it's about finding your north node. (laughs) Well, I got a call, you know, a week ago from Katy Perry's office saying, they want to have dinner. So I'm like, okay. I had no clue what that was going to be about. Mm-hmm. And then when she walks up to me and says, I'm your biggest fan. I've watched Codex like so many times. Like, And then Orlando's like, dude, she like does it under the covers and everything late at night on her iPad. She's like, it's had such a big impact. I love this show. Then I know I found my North Node. Yeah. And my purpose. So I'm not seeking anymore. We don't need to seek. It's already there. Mm. The answers are all within us. There was a, a piece of wisdom that came to me, you know, recently on a similar topic. And of course, with the existential threats, there's even more pressure that I put on myself to do more outward, outward output, you know, the masculine principle. All right, we got to do more. Now is the fucking time. And the <laughs> message, this divine message was like, relax. You'll save the world by savoring it. You'll save the world by savoring it. Like that's the consciousness of gratitude, of radical receiving, of radical love. And like then the emanations that will flow from that will be natural. It won't be trying. It'll be, it'll be music. It'll be music that I'm playing with every word, every casual encounter will, will be the emanations that are creating what I'm desiring to create. Whereas doing anything from struggle will be bound in struggle. Anything I do from fear will be bound in fear. Anything I do from radical monadicity will be monadic. <laughs> right. It's it's so freeing when you come to that because it's like, wait, I don't have to do anything. I just have to be. Yeah. We have lived in an age of human doing. The time of human doing is over. <laughs> it's time for human being. On the day of the rose, 2022, it has been declared. It is known. Yeah. The day of human doing is over. The day of human doing is over. It's time to just be. Yeah. And and you see it already happening. I mean, you see things like the last 200 years. It were it was the intermediaries, the people that could extract leverage of others who actually were rewarded the financial results in society. That structure is collapsing in front of our very eyes. 
And you see things like NFTs. I, I went to one of my friends who's an artist, she's a very talented artist. Her name is Delphine Diallo. And I told her I, I, I was, my token got, went uh, on the exchanges last October. And we met up with a group of people that were following my work in New York. And I, and I said, I mean, you really need to look at NFTs. And she called me this last, you know, about a month or so ago. She said, can you come to L.A.? I want you to come to this gallery, you know, thing where we're actually doing an NFT thing for my work. You know, I got picked up by this, you know, super gallery thing. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, absolutely. She made tons of money. She was a starving artist almost. Never really starving, but not thriving. Right. Now society has created a new structure that is rewarding more the creators, right? The, the writers, it's rewarding the patent filers. It's rewarding the inventors. It's rewarding the artists, the musicians. Because we now live in a world where creativity is rewarded more than intermediaryship. Mm-hmm. Intermediaryship is the last two centuries. We're now in creatorship. We have careers now where people call themselves contentainment specialists, right? What is mm-hmm. contentainment? Well, it's some form of creation. Yeah. So this is, I think, a sea change. It's already happening. We're now entering in the age of Aquarius will be the age of human beingness. In the age of, of what the Quechua called Aini, reciprocity, where that which we put out into the world will be rewarded. And the systems are coming online. Like you said, NFTs are just the, the infantile version of what this is. And, and not, to, not to diminish it, I think it's beautiful, but it's just the beginning. So it's, just it's like the beginning. beginning of the Herculean force that's developing. And self-sovereignty. Totally. Individual self-sovereignty. We don't need government in the same ways that we did before. No. It's time to transcend it. And that's, you know, if, if there's something I'll dedicate my life in the last, you know, 30 years or so of my life, it will be to helping to establish systems structures around education, mm-hmm. around, you know, new ways of looking at university. I think that's going to dramatically shift. New ways of expanding perspectives also. Where the universe governance. understands the universe. How about that? Yeah, something like that, right? <laughs> the one song. Um, and, and then also contextualizing that spirituality doesn't require religious dogma. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that I think could benefit my children and my children's children and hopefully will be a catalyst for being the change we want to see in the world. Amen. Thank you for being on the show. Thank Thank you for everything you do. Thank you for your heart. Thank you. Thank you for, uh, for you. Thank you for being you. And yes, you are more than good enough. Hmm. You've done so much already, and I know you'll still do more, but you don't have to have the thought in your mind of having to do more. Mm-hmm. It will just happen as a natural consequence of you expressing your divine nature. And so it is. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. We love you so much. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning into this video. Make sure you hit subscribe. Follow me at Aubrey Marcus. Check out the Aubrey Marcus podcast available everywhere and leave a comment. Let me know if this video resonated or what else you would like to hear from me in the future. Thank you so much. So Rama will send this whole thing to Penny and Penny will send it out to everybody else.
And you just, from there, you can send it out too if you have connections. That is gotta be played again. <laughs> we gotta do that again, Sam. Wow. Phenomenal, everybody. I am so grateful to be alive and in the presence of everyone here because there's no way here that wasn't ready for this teacher tonight. <laughs> and Rainbird, I'm passing this though. I guess I'll, I'll read this real quick. I, it's going to be on a line with, okay, I'll read this real quick. This is from Caroline O'Shean Wright. This is the transcript for the collective's latest quick energy lift video, Breathing Easy Nasara Now. You gotta send this out to everybody. This week's guidance from the Ascended Masters, Galactics, Earth Elements, Bay Elders, Angelic Legions, Archangels, and Higher Beings known as the Collective. Greetings, dear ones. Another quick message from the Creek side. We are asking that you just relax regarding the state of the world. Yet, might, you might want to think of something that's difficult for you about how the world's economy is going or how it's going politically or global warming, high temperatures, whatever it is that's troubling you as you are wondering, quote, where is Nasara? Won't it ever come? And breathe in for just a moment as if all of that were finished. And Nasara was actually here as though all of it were actually finished. As it, it, it was actually finished, yes. You were hearing it announced in this moment. And do what you can to capture the joy of that. Put your hand on your heart. And say thank you. Thank you. Many times over. If that works for you. Only if that works for you. In other words. Or as that works for you. And we go on. As you prefer to jump up and down or dance or sing, that is fine. <laughs> I we ready, yo, it's almost twelve thirty in the morning. <laughs> mm. And so do whatever it is that you would do as Nasara is hap- has had happened. And the plant was already being assisted by beautiful higher technologies and higher energies of the angelic realms and the galactic realms. For indeed, it is already being assisted. It is just that it will be a far greater level of assistance once Nasara is fully announced and enacted. So give yourself that moment, dear ones. Breathe easily, fully, yet not too deeply, and there's no rush. You are breathing into the calm and the peacefulness of the Sarah as much as the joy. And as you're watching this water rushing past, look, the, these are your life energies flowing so beautifully. Does it get stopped by the rocks? No. It runs over them, and in time, it wears them down. 
No problem. <laughs> you are at least as powerful as thousands of years of water racing away, and at least as joyful. So, allow yourself that, dear ones. And with you, we also cheer on Sarah now. We send much love and many blessings. You are never alone in any of this. Namaste. Are you there, honey? I'm calling on Sister Rainbird with with Quetzalcoatl with every feather color of the feathered uh, ones in his chief hat on top of his head. Here it comes, Rainbird. <laughs> I got it. Indeed. So happy yeah. Lamas and my what was the name of it who we were just listening to? Um, okay, I will read it. That's very good. But Rama's gotta send it to Penny because it mm-hmm. came from Gaia, just explaining that part. What mysteries oh, Yeah, what uh, what mystery of the pyramids were encoded? By Leonardo da Vinci, by Robert Edward Grant. That's what it is. And maybe I'll say it real fast again. What as esoteric wisdom about the nature of consciousness and reality itself was encoded into ancient structures like the pyramids? This is no longer conjecture, as mathematical equations rule out the possibility of coincidence. Polymath Robert Edward Grant is a wealth of knowledge in a great many fields. And this conversation was truly mind-blowing on so many levels. You'll learn about the hidden encryptions he has personally decoded from the pyramids in Egypt and how the works of ancient polymaths like Leonardo da Vinci provide the codex to these mysteries. We also dive into the importance of returning to a multifaceted approach to learning the age of miracles. Robert's time with the Dalai Lama and many more astounding mysteries that Robert has decoded. You do not want to miss this one. And that's back to you, Rainbird. I mean, what do you think? (laughs) Well, it was really fun. It was really fun listening to to that conversation, really enjoyed it. So I'm sure I'm not the only one here. <laughs> uh, I think so, and I won't forget it, but I'm even thinking, you know, somewhere not too far down the road, we might listen to this one again, because that's a masterpiece. It, it totally was, and is, yes, yes, yes. So thank you, and, and thank you for everything you you brought forward tonight. Thank you, Rainbird. What, what, what? Did, you want, did you want to say something to Rama? I'm sorry. Oh, uh, no, but you know, I thought of a story I just wanted to share real quickly. It's, um, it was the other night at the Plasma Reactor Group when Cash came on and he did a mobile experience, experiment with, um, using the mobile phone in the flight room. And uh-huh. people that had the headsets on could use them and connect to the flight route simulation chamber. And so he went, 
So me, so the story is about this guy who was on the on the program, who um, listened to it like you know the rest of us. <laughs> Only I was sleeping. I fell asleep, but I listened oh. to the replay of this. Anyway, this guy wanted to find his mother. He had never known his mother since he was five, and that was where he wanted to go, and he did in this with this experiment. And he went and he saw his mother, and they had a conversation. And um, or, but he was five then too. He also felt like he was five. He was like that's how he was with her. And um, while he was with her. The phone rang, and he'd been on the search trying to find relatives for most of his life, and I don't know how many years, but it was a person calling who was a relative saying that she had tried to contact relatives of his mother, and that so he was carrying on this conversation at the same time as being with his mother. And when he described that experience to Cash, he said, well, that's not a that is not synchronicity. That's just normal. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's what this world is like. This is what we're going to, where we can be in two places at once. And nowhere at all. And nowhere at all, yeah. And it was just a beautiful experience. I wanted to just share that little piece. For Absolutely, Raymond. we got to do yeah. more of this. That's really what time it is for... That's yeah, it really is, and it's beautiful, and so grateful to be part of the family and be here on this planet at this time. I got this talking stick over to you while my hair comes. <laughs> okay. Do you share with everybody what you can? I mean, Rama's got this Native American with every color of the rainbow of, of feathers on his head. And uh, let's see what the rest of the story is, right? Huh? Oh, this is Ellen Watts, Metaphysics. Oh, that's a physics. All right. Let's do this, everyone. Um. What I mean by metaphysics is really the question of what are your basic assumptions? What are the stakes, really, in living? I quoted Camus, who said that the only really serious philosophical problem is whether or not to commit suicide. That is to say, is the game worth the candle? And in order that the game should be worth the candle, we've got to consider the nature of gambling. What sort of a gamble is worth making? Is life, is existence a gamble? Where we should say, well, you've got to be kind of careful about this. Don't get too involved. See? Don't put your shirt on. Play it cool and cautious. Well, I'm going to ask, what are you going to win on the basis of that game? All you'll win, you see, is anxiety. That's all you'll get. You'll get enough goodies to make you go on being anxious. As St. Augustine put it, God has put salt in our mouths to make us thirst for it. But I would say rather, this is like quenching your thirst with salt water. It just makes you more thirsty. 
And so that basis for a game, when it is the game of existence itself, the game on which you say you're going to bet everything, it isn't a good assumption for a game. One of the most interesting questions in the world is what makes a game worthwhile? What makes a game interesting? The answer is, of course, gambling is what makes it interesting. And you can figure that at Las Vegas, on the table there, where there is some one of those great Greek gamblers, and he's been winning solidly and steadily all evening. And then there's a great show. At the end of the evening, he suddenly decides that he will gamble all his winnings on whether the ball lands on red or black. Well, you see, everybody's going to gather from the whole casino and come and watch that one. <laughs> and if he loses, well, that was great. <laughs> Because actually, supposing he wins, what does he have? Something to play further games with. My critique of the whole 19th century mythology of the fully automatic model of the universe, the billiards model, and uh, the other model, the hydraulic models, and all those kind of uh, put-down versions of the cosmos, my critique of all of them was that they were tepid. They were simply ways of striking a posture saying we poor little human beings are all alone confronted in this with this inane machine called the universe and we've got to make the best of a bad job and we know we're going to lose in the end but still while there is life there is a possibility for something but you're going to lose and you see that is underlies the real poison in the whole of modern thought say so, well one day the sun can go out One day the air is going to freeze and turn to blue. Or one day we're going to be hit by a comet or an atom bomb or a something. So, what's the use? What's the meaning? What's the sense of it? Now you could say, on the other hand, well, let's go back then to the good old time Christian religion and believe that we've got a big daddy in the sky and that everything's going to be nice and great or kind of a Christian science scene that there really isn't any evil and that it's all beautiful and sweetness and light but there's something about the imagery of those things that is not going to ring anybody's bell anymore I don't know what it is about Christian science churches and things reading rooms but they give me the heebie-jeebies <laughs> and as for the old gentleman in the sky obviously nobody's going to take that seriously Okay, we got to hang in there a few more minutes, everybody. Ron has got a song that we can't skip. Just put it in your heart. Oh. 
earth plane and beyond. And that's who we are, because there's only one of us here. Satnam. Satnam Ki. Thirteen, thank you. Honey in the heart, no evil. Until we meet again very soon. Namaste, everyone. Aloha.